Well, Chris, a girl doesn't risk rejection a second time unless she really, really needs a man. So bring him out, you little hot face. He's a law student from Southern California who wants to get into politics. He says he wouldn't mind being president, but he really wants to be a senator. Sure, there's more job security. And speaking of security, can we beef it up? Because frankly, he's scaring me. Say hello to loser Ken Scaler. Way. Come with me. Come here. Have a seat. Have a seat. Wow. <laughs> ladies, say hello to Ken. <laughs> hello, ladies. You were a loser on the show last season. I was a loser. You came back to the losers show last season. Uh -huh. You lost on the losers show, which in my opinion is worth about about 80 shows, Woo. but you're here again, and you're you're, you're going to be selecting as women, so we think you can find love. Ken, let's go there for a minute. Well, you got a lot of making up to do, my friend, but you're obviously a huge man who is very well endowed, so let's play the game. We have 50 girls. We will narrow them down to eight or less using height, chest, hair color, bedroom behavior, career goals, and nails. Ken, where would you like to start? Chris, I'd like to start off with hair color. Hair color. All right, we have the good witch or the wicked witch, Ken? Well, I like a light-haired girl who loves to have fun, so let's get rid of the wicked witch. Wicked witch. Sorry, my crazies. Dark hair's got to go. I'm sorry, yeah. girls. My hair is Thanks actually for coming. We'll be parting this backstage. <laughs> Bye, ladies. Aw, she's so adorable. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for coming. Hey, Lisa Lowe. Ken, where do you want to go next? I think I will go next with chest. Chest. Ken, you filth. Sorry, Mom. We have, wait a sec. Doorbells, doorknobs, or knockers. Well, I do admire Dolly Parton for her singing ability, but not for her body, so get rid of knockers. knockers. Big chest just got resist. Sorry. Sorry, ladies. Sometimes the bigger is not the well. better. <laughs> you weren't dressed then, Ken. That's all right. Well, before we continue, though, could we please all say hello to Piano Boy John Ernst. Hi, John. John Ernst. Hi, John. All right, don't go anywhere, because if we come back, we'll see which one of these past rejects finally gets the seal of approval. Don't go away. Singled out. It's hard to figure out who the real losers are here. I think it's me, personally. Jenny, let's meet the contestants. Number one, say hello to Ken. Hi, Ken. My name is Alyssa. I'm contestant number one, and that's all you need to know about me. Wow. Number two. Woo. Hi, Ken. Uh, my name is Lisa, and I can't wait to meet you. And number three. Woo. Hi, Ken. My name is Summer, and I'll bring a little sunshine into your life. Woo. Number four. Hi, Ken. I'm Sasha, and I'm ready for anything. Number five. Hi, Ken. My name is Kim, and I want to be your Barbie. And number six. 
Hi, Ken. My name's Amy, and I'm a bundle of fun. Wow. You're going to call one of these ladies at random and keep her number based on their answer. Who's first? I'm a big fan of Barbie dolls, so the joy of six. The joy, the joy of six, six you said. Barbie, come here. Number six, stand up. That wasn't actually the Barbie girl, but you it's, said six. It's so. me. Oh, wow. All right, go ahead, Ken. I want me a down-home gal who'll do the same down-home things I like to do. Put in this char tobacco, sit down on the porch with cousins Jenny and Chris, commence to whittling and shoot the breeze. Did you say to the pigs, cousin Jenny? Well, the pigs are all good care of, cousin Chris. Hey, cousin number six. There's some chewing tobacco. What did you do today? Um, I went, I went down into the pond and I visited the ducks. Quack, quack. You're not from around here, are you? Mm-mm. You know, you know. Uh, what are you whittling? <laughs> I'm whittling a, a pet rock for my man. You know, my cousin Chris wants to whittle the stick. What a whittle. Thank you. Thank you very much. The part of the hick was played by me, one of the many characters I, I can do. I tell, my... Chris. Oscar, right. Oscar. Ken, would you like to keep her a dumper? Well, the audience seemed to like her, and she passed, so I'll keep her. Go Get ahead, there. Sir. Here, take your pick. Here, baby. Well, Ken, who's next? I'll just get to number three. Number three. Three. Tres. Three. Go ahead, tres. Ken. I have a feeling that you make a great model, but unfortunately, I'm not allowed to see you. Why don't you strike your sexiest poses, and Bob will copy what you're doing where I can see him. All right, go ahead, sweetheart. Do your sexiest pose. Get down. Do you have any idea how much I would pay to see you take that off? I think my diaper is falling off. I think it's full. Would you like to keep her a dumper? I guess today's lenient day. I'm going to keep her, too. Go to the winner's circle. Right, get up there. You are a benevolent ruler, Ken. You are kind to your subjects, and they shall service you well. Let's go to final cut. Everyone stand up. Ken's going to ask you a question and keep one of you. Go ahead, Ken. It's time for the singled-out ring toss. Each of you has a few rings. Toss them on Chris's hat, and you go to round three. How many chances do they get? How many throws? Oh, well, give them one. All right, go ahead. That's number one. This is number one. Oh, I'm sorry. Go sit down. Jenny McTooglis. <laughs> number two. Yeah! Hooray for Diane Chambers. That sucked. All right, the last one. Here comes number four. Oh, one, two, three, or four. One, two, three, or four. Ken, I think the evidence speaks for itself, but who do you want to go with? Actually, I'm going to surprise you. Since it's a loser show, let's pick someone who missed. Let's pick number four. Number four? four. Wow, Ken, I am surprised. It's a loser show. It is a loser show. Well, that's the end of round two, Ken. Jenny, let's meet our finalists. Well, she's a down-home redneck country loser. Say hello, guys. And she 
say hello to Ring Loser. Oh, yeah. This is a loser show. I just want to say big one. some impersonations I'd like to see abolished. No more Jim Carrey, no Forrest Gump, and Beavis and Whore Butthead. I just wanted to get that out. Let's play round three. People in Los Angeles, friendly or phony? Phony. Friendly. Phony. What'd you say, baby? Friendly. I love it. Your little brother, tell him the truth or mess with his head. Tell him the truth. Mess with his head. Tell him the truth. What do you think? Uh... Well, my brother, I mess with his with head. Posing losers, kick in some butt. Nice pig. Greg Kinnear, really cool or smirking fool? Really cool. Smirking fool. Smirking fool. What'd you say? He sucked on E, he's a smirking oh, fool. Oh, come on. He's great. Teddy bears, just for kids or still have mine? Still have mine. Just for kids. Still have mine. What'd you say? Sorry, they're just for kids. kids. One more, we got a winner. Bigger fashion crime, Hawaiian shirts or neon spandex? Neon spandex. Neon spandex. Neon spandex. What the answer could be? The answer is neon spandex. You seem awfully excited. She has kind of light hair, a decent chest. And Ken, Ken, she made a winner out of you. Tammy, explore the magic. Ken, we knew just what you'd want if you... Okay, enough of that. Uh, If you want to see the very end of that, uh, it's uh, on YouTube in two parts. Ken Scaler dash picker on singled out losers show. That's how it's listed. Type in Ken Scaler, S-C-A-L-I-R, picker on singled out. I'm sure you'll find it. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff. We tell us this is being recorded live and broadcast live May 15, 2019 at 9.19 p.m. Pacific time. I bet you know what I'm going to say next. We have a free roll, which has already started at 9 p.m. You've got six whopping minutes to get in there to win the free money. We were going to give away $50 this week, but you'll be happy to know we're going to give away a bit more this week because we got a last-minute donation. So before it was going to be $45.50 from 442XX and the rest from me, we now have another $25 from Seabock Cockshot. <laughs> so we will give that away as well, and uh, that will make the prize pool... It'll make it uh, well. It, it'll make it uh, seventy dollars and fifty cents. So the first prize will be thirty-five dollars. We'll move up second prize to uh, let's say twenty-two, and third prize thirteen. So thirty-five, twenty-two, and thirteen are the prizes here. To uh, and thirteen fifty. Thirty-five, twenty-two. I hate having to do this on the fly. And thirteen fifty are the prizes this week for our $70.50 free roll, thanks to 442XX, who gave $45.50, and Seabach Cockshot, who gave $25. So thank you to you guys. And guess what? We're out of free roll money now. We're going to need more donations to sustain us in the foreseeable future. But thank you to you, too. And uh, late registration still going till 9.25 p.m. So uh, I'm going to give you the agenda, do our usual intro, and we will get going with the show. We're going to have Trader Ruski on as he has been for most of 2019. He's already confirmed with me. We don't have uh, as many major topics as last week, but uh, we have topics nonetheless, including several topics that are not being covered anywhere else. 
I really cover a lot of topics here. In fact, uh, someone commented, commented to me recently that it seems like I cover everything. Because they, they'd bring something up to me privately, like, oh, have you heard about this from like a year ago? I'll go, yeah, and I, I show them a thread on Poker Frawler. Like everything they could think of that ever happened in poker or Vegas or gambling, it seems like we've already covered it. Not always the first. Like we're going to do a topic tonight that Dat Poker Podcast already covered. So sometimes we're not first, but we get to everything. Anything and everything you need to know about the poker and gambling world, if it's not covered here, it's probably not important or it probably didn't happen. If you want to call into the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. The Mount Charleston line, it is working, 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. It's a separate line into the show, located in a shack, sorry, not a shack, in a cabin, a shack something else, in a cabin on the top of Mount Charleston, which is about 45 minutes away by car from Las Vegas. There is the call to listen line, and we have a change in that, too. Remember the original number for the call to listen line in 2015? 712-775-8162, and then we started changing the number all over the place, and some of you lost track of it, and I decided enough is enough. I'm going to bring that back. So the shack is back. There is a shack in Carroll, Iowa, where the call to listen line was once housed. And I got frustrated with uh, the person who was in charge of running the call to listen line over there, and I, I had it taken down. It, it occasionally was put back up, but I, I couldn't count on it anymore. Anyway, I have renegotiated the situation with this individual, and we now have the call to listen line back at its original phone number, 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162. The other number I gave, 641-741-1095, that still works, but I prefer the original number, so I brought it back. 712-775-8162. The call to listen line, which you just call up and listen to the show, doesn't require a smartphone, does not require the internet, does not require a data plan, will not use up any of your data, and it needs very little cell phone reception to work properly. Even one bar is fine. No buffering, no pausing, no slowing down, no skipping. It's just very easy. You call and you listen from any phone in the world. It's a call to listen line. You can listen to the live show, and when we're not on live, it'll play reruns, as if they're live, over and over again until we come back live on the air. If you want to chat in the chat room, you can do so. Click on the chat tab near the top of the screen of PokerFraudAlert.com. You need a forum account in good standing and a Flash-enabled device, meaning you can't do it on iPhones or iPads. And you can text me, 775-372-8355, our main phone number. You can text me any time of the day or night, whether the show is on or not. Just if you have a thought that you want to text me, you can go ahead and do that. I will never find it rude. We're intrusive, I promise you. I will probably answer you. 775-372-8355. Same as our main phone number. Very easy, right? If you want to know the rules for the free roll, for qualifying for the free money, you go to pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll. Pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll. You also need a validated account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room in order to play Otherwise, you won't be able to get in, and that is to prevent multi-accounting. If you want your account validated, you need to 
send a message to Belly Buster on the forum. That's Belly Space Buster. And if for whatever reason he's not responsive, you can message me. But I prefer you do it through him. I will find Trader Ruski. Then we will get going with our program. Well, we're going to do the agenda. I think get going with the program. But close enough, right? Finding him in his submarine here, sending out the sonar signal. What's happening, Drop? Trader Ruski, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming back this week. Glad to be here. Okay, so we're going to do the agenda, and then we will get going. I already told you about the call to listen line returning. The shack is back. It is in a shack in Carroll, Iowa. I won't really make that a topic. Just wanted to mention it again, that the original call to listen line is back because I, I announced last week it was working, the new one, and then it really wasn't, and I was embarrassed. So I, I did some more work on it. I, th- I think we've got it now. I think we've got it. Let me know, though, if it doesn't work. Anyway, the agenda. There are some fake poker player profiles on Facebook and elsewhere on social media that are attempting to scam you. And yes, you. I mean you. I mean Trader Ruski. I mean you, the listener. Every, every one of you is a potential scam victim of these fake profiles. This is not a new trick. In fact, it was done to me before. Well, it was done using my name. It wasn't done to me. I will tell you about these scams and how far they date back, and I'll tell you about a poker fraud alert listener that you guys probably know of who has been impersonated recently. Dan Highmiller, longtime poker pro, has posted a World Series of Poker package with high markup. You may say, big deal. A lot of people are doing that. Why is that a topic here? Well, not only was the markup amount insane, But he did so in a very convoluted way, which I believe was meant to hide how high the markup really was from potential buyers. Aside from the Real Grinders group, where he's been advertising this, this is not being covered anywhere else. And I want to discuss it, and I want to discuss what your expectation should be from someone who advertises a package. And we'll talk a bit about the markup debate again. We won't get deep into that. We're going to more focus on Dan Heimiller and what he did. I think it's pretty shady, and it needs to be corrected. Something that really needs to be corrected are the rules at certain casinos in Nevada involving horse racing and the potential payouts. A man in Reno, Nevada had a dream come true. He had a long-shot bet on the Kentucky Derby, which initially seemed to have lost, but then when the horse Maximum Security was disqualified as the winner, then he ended up with a winning ticket, a ticket which he bought for a very small amount of money, which was going to pay $609,000. Unfortunately, due to an obscure rule at William Hill, the William Hill Sportsbook at a casino in Reno, He was only paid $35,000. How could that be legal? We're going to discuss what happened there and why I feel the casino and William Hill are very much at fault. There may not be much that can be done, but I feel that they acted very unethically in several ways. 
And I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you how it happened. A Poker News article has come out in their strategy section, which is giving advice on how to replenish your poker bankroll if you are bust. How do you get money quickly if you're broke? That article was written to tell you that. In fact, it's in their strategy section. One of the suggestions in the article, go down to donate your plasma. (laughs) Can you believe this? Poker is actually telling you to give plasma, give the plasma from your body to replenish your poker bankroll. That's, That's not dangerous at all to published to possible problem gamblers, right? That, that was really published by them, and it was not a joke. I'll read you parts of the article, and I'll tell you why I believe it is not a joke, it's not a parody, it's not something to garner attention. It's actually a serious article, even though it shouldn't be. The IRS has seized a lot of money from an Oregon poker player, an Oregon poker player who played at a tournament I did last year at the World Series and, in fact, uh, got near the final table. This Oregon poker player is not all that well-known. In fact, they won't even name him. But I have pretty much uncovered who I think it is. I will tell you the name of this poker player, who I think it is. I don't have proof it's him, but I, I think it's him, even though other news outlets will not. And I will tell you right now that he had much more than one million dollars seized from him. So that's a pretty interesting story. And you may wonder why was that seized? Well, I'll give you a hint. It was by the IRS. And it was not because of failure to pay taxes on gambling winnings. It was not for that reason. Bovada has decided to remove some cash table offerings from the site without any explanation. I'll tell you which cash tables are now gone, and I will tell you why I think they are doing it. The Las Vegas Review-Journal did a long article about the Rio and its maintenance issues and why Caesars isn't spending money on the Rio, and a pretty detailed article, which many have pointed to as an example as to why the Rio is going to sell very soon. Well, guess what? Even the Las Vegas Review-Journal doesn't always know Las Vegas very well. I found what I believe to be factual inaccuracies in that article, and I will tell you what I believe to be the real situation at the Rio. A major sports betting partnership has been made between Poker Stars and Fox. It could have uh, very long-standing ramifications. I'll tell you about that. And finally, New Jersey had an online site get in trouble once again. This is a, a, the second time this has happened. Different site, but uh, the second time that uh, a site has gotten in trouble for, for geolocation failures, this time due to a boneheaded mistake in the design of the software of one of the online casinos, the legalized online casinos operating out of New Jersey, a player in Nevada was able to play on a New Jersey casino. So uh, I'll tell you about that as our final topic. Free roll started seven minutes ago. If you are not in, you're not going to win. You're left behind. 
But let's start. Let's, let's leave our intro behind and get going. Let's talk about the fake poker players that have been infesting social media, especially recently. Maybe because of the World Series, maybe it's a coincidence. This is something that isn't being talked about much. But it's something of concern, and it's something you, as a poker player, need to be aware of, or you might get ripped off. Before we talk about what's happening today, I want to tell you about something that happened, uh, I'd say around 2006. I don't remember the exact uh, year. It was around 2006. Maybe 05, maybe 07, somewhere in that range. I was reading 2 Plus 2, and I saw that someone there was complaining about a scam that had happened to them that was perpetrated against him by a player who went by the Donator. He was from Florida. I haven't I haven't seen him around in a long time, but uh, he used to play on Stars a lot. He, he was in a wheelchair. In fact, you could kind of see that in the picture that he put up. It was actually, his avatar was really of him. The Donator was in a wheelchair. I think he was actually friends with the Mizraki group over there, but I, I haven't heard much from him in a long time. Anyway, the Donator, who hadn't been known to be someone who scammed or caused trouble... He was blamed for this, as was uh, one other player responsible for scamming this guy on 2 plus 2 out of $500. That player's name was Todd Dandruff Wattellis. Well, I was quite surprised to read that. I had not scammed anyone for $500. So, of course, I was very interested in that story. Was the guy just making up accusations? Or was he really scammed by someone purporting to be me? I know I had not scammed anybody. And I didn't even know this person who was posting. Well, he posted further and explained what happened. That he was saying that he wanted to trade uh, party poker money. Sorry, he wanted to trade. Yeah, he was. He wanted to trade party poker money for stars money. So he wanted stars, and he was going to send party. This is back when you could play on both sites in the U.S. So this must have been before at least October 06, because after October 06, you couldn't play on party anymore. The donator, who knew I played on both sites, suggested to him in chat, I think on stars, I know Dan Druff plays on both sites. If you can find him, why don't you ask him? Well, at some point, I don't know how long after that, Dan Druff contacted him on AOL Instant Messenger and said, hey, this is Dan Druff. I'd like to do that trade. I heard you're looking for, uh, to trade money between party and stars. So the guy said, oh, yeah, yeah I, I do. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, the donator mentioned it. He said, yeah, yeah, I know. I saw that. I said, okay, here's what you got to do. Since I don't know you and since I'm the known name in poker and I have no idea who you are, send $500 on me or send $500 to me on party. My screen name is Todd underscore Wittellis. And once I receive that, I will send you $500 from my Dandruff account on PokerStars to your screen name. So the guy said, oh, okay, great. Shipped the $500 to the Todd Wittellis account on party. And of course, he never got the 500 on stars. Now, interestingly, this guy was not attempting to get the 500 back. He was actually, and nor did he start a thread about this. There was, there was some discussion on 2 plus 2 of matches like scumbags in poker who cheat people, and he just kind of threw that in there, that this had recently happened to him. He even said something at the end like, I'm not even going to try to get the 500 back, I just want to put it out there that these two people screwed me. 
So I immediately posted and said, hey, wait a minute, I didn't do this. Someone obviously lied to you and pretended they were me. So I, I got the information from him. The guy believed me, or at least he seemed to, but I, I could tell he wasn't sure. Maybe I could just be screwing with him again to protect my reputation. But this really bothered me, even though this didn't directly affect me. I mean, yeah, sure, I wanted the Todd Wittellis account closed, and I was going to make sure to do that, so this didn't go on further. But uh, I wanted to take it a step further. I wanted to get this guy his money back. So I called a party. I told them the whole story. I told them I am Todd Wittellis, that at the very least they should not have an account there under my name that's somebody else that can trick people into things like this. And they agreed, and they said that they will force the account to change its name. I said, but that's not enough. I said, this, this account to scam someone using my good name for 500 bucks. And I said, look, I, I don't know how much you know about me. And the guy stopped me. He was an Indian guy. And he says, oh, no, no, I know exactly who you are, Todd. I'm a big fan of yours. I know you want to bracelet and limit hold them. <laughs> this guy actually knew uh, a lot about me, this customer service rep in India, which is funny. He didn't just pretend. like He actually knew stuff. So I said, okay, that's good. You know me. So you understand. Like, you understand I'm a known player and people were, someone made this account specifically to scam people. So I would really like it if, number one, you could close the account. And number two, if you could ship back any money that this account has received from people because it's been a scam. So he looked and he said, well, the only account, the the only money that this account has received so far is that $500 you're talking about. I said, can you please send that back? I said, I, I know I can't prove it's a scam, but I can direct it to the 2 plus 2 post. And just look, it's, it's, it's an account under my name. I'm calling up with this concern. You know, why would I be making this up? So he, he put me on hold. He came back and said, okay, it's been done. We've banned the account. We shipped the 500 back to the person who it came from. And I went back on 2 plus 2, told the guy, your money's back. And he thanked me profusely and said, I'm so sorry about what I said about you. You're a really good guy. You didn't have to do this for me. I wasn't looking for you to do this, but thank you so much. And uh, I received the 500 back and happy ending there. So who was the and fake? Ha- and had the guy taken the cash out truck and then they refunded it out of their pocket or was the money still there? No, it was still there, fortunately. So, the, so I'll, I'll tell you in a second why the money was still there. You may wonder who was doing this, who was the guilty party. I know who the guilty party was. The guilty party was someone who had an MO of doing this to poker pros at the time. This was Steve DePimp, also known as his real name is Steve Coleman from uh, West Virginia. And Steve DePimp loved to do this, where he would pretend to be known poker pros, get people to do phony money trades, and then, of course, never send the other side of the trade. Now, how much did Steve Coleman, who, who scammed hundreds of thousands of dollars from people using this and also... He had some connection to someone who could break into AOL accounts. I'm not even sure. I, I know it wasn't him doing it, but he knew someone who could break into AOL accounts. And he was doing that to reset passwords and take over accounts. So he did that to a lot of people too. He never got me. Other, he impersonated me, but he never scammed me for anything or broke into any of my accounts. Of course, I didn't use AOL. But how much did he make from all this, Steve the Pimp? He ended up making... Zero point zero. By the way, can you hear the sound effects that Trader Risky? I sure can. Good. Yeah, he made zero point zero. You may wonder why. Steve the Pimp was a joyrider. 
all he wanted to do was play high-stakes poker with stolen money. He wasn't particularly interested in cashing it out. Now, yeah, he he would have if he could, but he never even had an exit strategy on any of the accounts that he hacked. He never really tried to get the money out. He just seemed to get some thrill out of stealing people's money, breaking into their accounts, you know, getting fraudulent transfers being made, like uh, trades that people think they're making with legitimate players who are really Steve. And he just wanted to play high-stakes poker, so he'd go to sit at like 25-50 no limit, and he wasn't that good, and he'd shoot it all off, and that would be that. He wouldn't purposely lose, but he just wasn't that good, and he'd lose against the really good players at that level. And then he'd do it again. In uh, 2011... 2010, actually, I think, not 11. Somewhere around there. I, on Donk Down, we were contacted by the FBI. I've talked about that before, about the Joe Seabach email hacking and the extortion that was attempted against him. It had nothing to do with us, but it was just someone posted one of the emails and, and the dick picture on Donk Down at the time. So that's why the FBI was talking to us. And the, the FBI was funny when they talked about the picture. They said, you know, we don't care about the penis picture. You can leave that up for all we care. <laughs> So the FBI actually gave the thumbs up to leaving Joe Seabach's stolen penis picture on the site. But but anyway, uh, I was talking to the FBI agent about other scams, and I said, well, you know there's a guy who's like constantly hacking accounts everywhere. And I told her about Steve the Pimp, and she was actually interested and eventually asked me to send her the information but uh, when I did, nothing came of it. So uh, I don't know what happened. But she actually was interested at the time in investigating Steve the Pimp and uh, having him arrested for it. I just don't know where it went. It must have gone nowhere. Anyway, that was in the 2000s. Steve the Pimp is gone, thankfully. I know he got in some trouble with the law and some, some I think some drug-related thing with his dad. He, he seemed to have come up come from a pretty bad background from what I saw about his dad in, the, in that news article when he got in trouble for something completely different later on. But this isn't about Steve Coleman. At least I don't think it is. The same scam is starting up again. And it probably never was completely gone. There's probably been poker pros impersonated for many years now even by others besides Steve the Pimp, even since Steve the Pimp kind of disappeared from the scene. But there's been a lot of other uh, situations like this, especially recently. It was brought to my attention by Alan Kessler, where a fake Ari Engel, yes, Bodog Ari, Ari Engel, who listens to this show, he listens to every episode, and he was uh, being impersonated by someone who was clearly foreign and, and had duplicated his Facebook account. And and so this person didn't appear to have hacked Ari's account, but actually made a fake Ari, copying all of Ari's information and his pictures and everything. And uh, this appears, this particular instance, appears not to be a situation of... Uh, scamming aimed at uh, poker players. It, just, it seems like it might just be a coincidence that he was being impersonated and happened to be a poker player. I, mean, I don't even think the foreigner who hacked him was aware of this. But still, it's it's pretty disturbing. Let's see if I can find it here. 
uh, Alan Kessler posted a copy of the conversation and let's see if I could find this here. No, I should have, should have had it up. Oh, here it is. Here it is. I found it. On May 13th, Alan Kessler said, heads up, there's a scammer impersonating Ari Engel. He stopped responding after I asked him a certain question. So it started out with Ari, with Ari Engel's current picture up there, saying, how are you? Alan Kessler says, okay, why? That's that's such a Kessler thing to say back. <laughs> okay, why? <laughs> At this point, he really thinks it's Ari, by the way. Uh, I'm doing great myself, thanks. I am wondering, from you have been following the news lately? So I think again this was uh, this was a coincidence. He said he's been following the news lately, not realizing that Ari really does get in the poker news for winning tournaments. So Kessler says, "What news? You're doing great in the tournaments." Last I saw. Then here comes where it starts to be obvious that scammer, fake Ari says, "Are you not aware of the prize we won with a promotion on Facebook Lottery?" So Kessler says, "What did you win?" He says, I won 300,000 rand. Not, not dollars, 300,000 rand. <laughs> yeah, that's likely that Ari Engel from the U.S. is going to win 300,000 South African rand on Facebook. I won 300,000 rand from the ongoing lottery promotion, and I thought you were aware of the Facebook promotion because I saw your name and photos on the winning list when they delivered my prize. So then... Kessler, who probably was aware of it by this point, but was just playing along, says, my name was on the list. How do I claim my winnings? And then he says, okay, I will, I will send you the claiming agent Facebook page. And then he sent him some page belonging to a, some fake person named Michael Owen. And then Alan clicked on it and says, that guy has only two friends. Who is he? And, he, and fake Ari says, click on it and text him that you are ready to claim your winning money. Alan says, then what? And fake Ari says, text him. And so Alan says, okay, I think you're a scammer. Are you really Ari? And of course, Ari says, yes. So he says back, okay, tell me the city where we both last spoke in person. If not, I'll report you. And then the guy just sat there and and Kessler wrote, your time is running out. And at that point, uh, the guy didn't even read his message, which means he probably either blocked him or uh, just closed the window. So that was that. So I'm sure that account is gone by now. And, and so this one was not aimed at Ari, the poker player, it seems. it's uh, It just seems like he hacked it and then thought he was going to try that you won a foreign lottery scam on Kessler, who's like also the wrong person to try this on. So obviously, no harm, no foul, at least uh, not to Kessler. He probably tried this to a lot of Ari's friends. Uh, th- now, there's a reason that Ari, or fake Ari, messaged Kessler. And I'm guessing this is because Ari's friends were visible to everybody. And you, you have to be careful about this on Facebook. This is this is what can happen. In fact, I, I should have checked this before the show. But as usual, I'm going to produce the show during the show. I have a the problem is Ari is a, a friend of mine on Facebook, so I, I can't look. At, I can if I can see his friends, that doesn't mean that much because I'm actually a friend of his. So that. I want to see what the average Facebook user can see. So, hold on. I thought that was... I'm going to go on my... I 
think I, I think I'll use the Nigel Fabersham account. Nigel Fabersham actually has a Facebook account. Would you believe? You can add him if you want. Search for Nigel Fabersham. I would think Nigel's connected to Ari. No, he, he may be connected, but he, I don't think Ari's a friend, and that's good enough. It's like, well, you know what? It is a friend of friend. You're right. But let's let's even just with that. Um. Yeah, so I can see all of his friends. I can see all of his friends, at least a, at least as a friend of a friend. Because Colonel Fabersham is a, a friend of mine, as you might guess. But I'm on the Colonel Fabersham account. The Colonel doesn't mind that I'm using it, by the way. He's okay with me, with me uh, borrowing his account here. But the, the Colonel, I'm on his account, and I can see all of Ari's friends. So that's already a problem, because if uh, some account is a mutual friend of any of Ari's many friends then they can see his entire friends list. So even even if he's only showing his friends list of friends of friends, that's a problem. So I, I'm not trying to call out Ari here. Uh, it, it's too bad this happened, and hopefully nobody got scammed that is uh, Facebook friends of his. And it's not his fault if they did, by the way. But uh, th- this is a warning to everybody that in order to prevent your friends from being victimized or potentially victimized in this way, what you should do is hide your friends list from either everybody or everybody except for your Facebook friends. I would suggest everybody. Like, like, why should people be able to search your friends? What what good does that do for you? So this scammer, what the, what they do is they they find profiles of people who have all of that open, where they can see everybody's friends. They make a duplicate account with the same pictures with uh, the same name, obviously, same city, same info. And then they message the person, you know, various friends on that person's list and try to pretend they're that same person. And with Kessler, it didn't work. I mean, Kessler saw right through the scam, but it, for the first few minutes they were talking, Kessler thought it was really Ari. And why shouldn't he? It's, it's the right picture, right name. And I have to admit, if, if I got that, I would probably think it's the, the person until they started saying weird things which wouldn't match what they're saying. So you have to be very careful on Facebook because it's very, very easy to impersonate someone. Very, very easy. You can make any account that's a, a complete duplicate of any other account. You won't have the same friends, but you can make a duplicate account and Facebook doesn't catch it. And that has been used to scam and trick people. Sometimes it's not even scams. Sometimes it's to pump info. So watch out if, uh, you know, let's say you're in a contentious divorce and you think your ex-wife might one info. And then uh, one of your friends starts messaging you and you think it's them and they ask you questions and you, you're sure it must be them and you answer It might be your ex-wife. <laughs> These type of things happen. And just always make sure who you're talking to is who they claim to be. And it's very easy. You can just click on the profile that is messaging you and number one, see if it's friends with you. And if it's not, then see if you can search out that name and see if there is a profile that's friends with you. Obviously, it would be a duplicate account if you find one that's friends with you and the one talking to you isn't. And second, if it's missing posts on the wall. If you, if you look and you, you scroll down their uh, their news feed or their wall, whatever you call it there, and you don't see any of the posts that they've been making, if it's blank, then you know it's fake. Or if it speaks to you in broken English, if the person is a native English speaker, then obviously that's not them. Or if they... And also there's, there's situations of accounts being hacked. 
I recently had a message from someone on Facebook from their account telling me of some great deal they found and to click on such and such a link. I knew right away their account had been hacked. But just because it comes from someone who actually is your friend and is trusted and it really is their account, that doesn't mean that you have to you can trust what they're saying because it may not really be them. Their account may have been hacked. Usually the way these accounts get hacked, by the way, is not what you would think. Most people, when they think of a Facebook account getting hacked, they picture some brilliant Russian or Chinese hacker sitting in a dark room somewhere breaking into Facebook or breaking into your account by cracking your password with uh, advanced techniques. That's not how it really happens. Typically, Facebook account passwords are fished. And what that means, for those of you that don't know, is that you are presented with a phony login page from some link. You click on some link. It says you need to log in. It gives you what looks like a Facebook login page. Sometimes you get like an email from Facebook. Sometimes you get uh, a message from someone, click on this to see this, and you'll click it. And it'll say you need to log in to see this. It'll look like a Facebook login page. You type in the info. In reality, it's not a Facebook login page, and it's actually a page operated by the hackers, and they save all the info you type, and now they have your password. It's not that sophisticated. It's actually pretty easy to set one of these things up. Not super easy, but not like anybody can do it, but it doesn't require a high degree of technical knowledge. But that's how most of them are obtained. They're fished. In fact, phishing can be done automatically. Someone can write a program to fish people to where humans don't even have to get involved. So thousands or millions of people could be fished. And then their friends could be messaged by bots without even a human having to be behind it. A human is ultimately behind the whole thing, but it's a, sometimes the person you're talking to is not even human. It can even be a bot. Usually it's human, but uh, often the passwords that are being uh, fished are uh, actually be do- being done en masse, where they fire out like a million messages, and even if 0.1% go for it, they get a lot of accounts. They get you know, 0.1% of a million is a thousand. So that's a lot of times th- things that seem mysterious, nefarious, and ominous online. Threats online, which appear to be the work of cyber geniuses who can just break into anything like you see in the movies. That's not reality. The reality is you're falling for pretty simple scams, simple tricks. So you can avoid those by just, when you, first of all, don't ever click on any links from anyone that you don't know, or even people you do know that would be sending them for no reason. Whenever it asks you to log into something, always make sure that you're on the right page. Make sure it's the actual URL of the site. Make sure you're at actualfacebook.com, for example, before you log in. Do not uh, log in through something that kind of looks like facebook.com, like facebook.com.something else. You don't want that. You want facebook.com slash something to log in. Otherwise, it's not Facebook. So make sure whenever you're logging in, especially when you're clicking on something, that you're actually at the right site. Don't automatically trust someone that you know, because it may not be them. It may may be someone who got access to their account. And when you see something suspicious, let the person know. If it's someone you know in real life, uh, call them, text them, tell them, hey, it looks like your account was hacked. Because often the hackers will not even change the password. So often the person can just get right back into their account. 
or if, even if the hackers have, the person can usually reset their password. Just always be aware of your surroundings online. It's important. But there's been other scams occurring that are aimed at poker players, also with phony profiles. And they're done in the same fashion that Steve DePimp used to do, where they impersonate someone and they ask for a loan, uh, a money trade, sometimes something that the terms sound great, someone that you trust. Like, like, okay, it's a good chance if you listen to this show, be a trust me, or at least trust me to some degree, at least with money. So imagine I messaged you and said, hey, I, I need money really badly today. I don't, you know, I have plenty of money, but I, I don't have it with me right now. Uh, can you ship, ship $1,500 to me right now? And for your trouble, I'll send you back 1700 tomorrow. And you think, oh, what a sweet deal. I know Todd's not going to scam me. I know he's not going to throw away his 20-year rep in poker of being uh, honest and uh, a decent guy to, to rip me off of something like $1,500. Clearly, he's not going to do that. So sure, yeah, I'll send him 1500 Of course, he'll send me the 1700 There's no chance he won't. So you send what you think is me, $1,500, and then, of course, fake me never sends the 1700 And then you feel like a fool because you thought you were trusting me, but you were trusting a phony representation of me. That's why it's very important to always know who you're talking to. Bitcoin is often used for these because Bitcoin cannot be reversed. PayPal can be reversed. Bank transfers can sometimes be reversed. Bitcoin cannot. So if somebody asks for Bitcoin and says they'll pay you back later, like let's say a a, a version of me contacts you and says, hey, uh, I just busted on on ignition. Can you send me three k of Bitcoin so I can reload? Okay, sure, Todd. Yeah, okay. I'll send you the three. I'll send you the three k plus another few hundred tomorrow for the trouble. Okay. You send it. Turns out not to be me. You have no recourse because it's Bitcoin. It's gone. It's absolutely gone. So in that case, you need to do like what Kessler did when he was talking with Ari. Ask a very specific question, and not one that can be found in that person's email or messages. That's another trick some of the more advanced scammers use, is they go through the person's messages. In fact, Steve the Pimp did this. He used to go through all the emails that he would get into on AOL, and when people would start to doubt it, he'd say, I remember he once... uh, he used to. Uh, he was uh, on the account on Full Tilt of John Juwanda, who was actually a Red Pro, and he actually scammed a lot of people by looking at John Juwanda's emails. And then when they doubted, he go, "Oh, come on, don't doubt me. You know, remember we were at uh, such and such restaurant three days ago." Well, then they'd believe him because they were. Why? Because something in the email was say, you know, reservations are for this time at this restaurant. So you got to make sure you ask the person something that would not be there in the private messages or email. Like what Kessler asked, where was the last place I spoke to you in person? Or, yeah, if it's someone you've played poker with, you had a memorable hand with, what was the bad beat you put on me three years ago that I can't stop talking about? Or uh, what, what was the name of my girlfriend that I dated three years ago, provided the person knows that. Yeah, things like that. Some question that you think that you wouldn't have you wouldn't have there sitting in the email. And then ask a few of them if you, if, if there's any doubt. And if the person gets offended, tough luck. 
tell them you're just doing it to be protected. Or very simply say, call me. Call me right now and tell me it's you. <laughs> that's, that's a very simple way. Even text isn't, you know, text is good, but even that is not totally secure because sometimes that can be compromised. Obviously, a phone call would be hard to do because you'll hear the person's voice. But I'm just warning you that there are, it's not just this one ARIA account, which seems to not be related to poker, but I have been reading about, I forgot who, but I've been reading about that there have been fake accounts running around trying to ask for transfers, loans, trades, whatever. Be very careful. Again, the simplest way is to call the person and talk to them, especially if you know their voice. Ask them personal things that the two of you would know together. Never feel afraid to ask that. Never feel afraid to ask for verification. And tell them, if they if they get uppity with you, well, oh, come on, what's the problem here? Just say, look, you know, there's been a lot of this going on lately. I just want to make sure I'm just trying to protect both of us. And if they won't do it, then give them the big, big middle finger. It's a good chance it's a, a scammer. All right, moving along. Dan Highmiller. People have been wanting me to talk about this one. I knew as soon as I saw the situation, this is going to be a topic for this week. Dan Highmiller is a longtime poker pro. He's an older guy. Uh, I don't know how old he is. Probably near 60 is my guess. 56. Okay, I see it right here. He's 56. He'll be 57 pretty soon. That's pretty close, right? Uh, he has a reputation of being a, a good tournament player. He has cashed for $6.2 million, but you know what that means. That nothing. I mean, <laughs> cashing any amount means nothing because it matters the buy-ins you put in to cash that. But obviously a very prolific tournament player, obviously someone who, who does have skill to cash $6.2 million, even if he did play a lot, even if he lost overall in buy-ins. I don't know if he did or not. I'm just saying that uh, still the cash 6.2 mil is, is pretty good. This does date all the way back to 1992. Now, most of those caches were on the smaller side, but that's that's how long he's been around. It's 27 years he's been around poker and maybe more. That's how long he's been cashing tournaments. Uh, when Phil Ivey won, I believe, his last bracelet, and that was actually part of all those bracelet bets that were being made. So there was a lot on the line. Uh, at one point, there were four people left. And I remember that I heard from someone that Phil Ivey said, if we can get rid of High Miller, or if I can get rid of High Miller, then the other two guys I can easily beat. He was The only one that worried him was High Miller there. High Miller didn't even have much of a stack. He just said, I don't want a High Miller to get a stack because uh, he's the one that worries me. Why? Because Dan Heimler has kind of a weird play style. He's sometimes hard to read and hard to deal with. And he can give these tournament players fits at times. So Ivy felt he could run over the other two guys. The uh, Heimler was the one he was afraid if the cards fall the wrong way, he could lose. Fortunately for him, Heimler went like third or fourth. So he ended up heads up with someone who wasn't very good and easily beat him. But back to Heimler. Uh, he used to play on Poker Stars under the name Lenny. I think he had like Leonardo da Vinci as the uh, avatar, something like that. He had a really, really weird play style at Limit Hold'em. I didn't think he was particularly good at Limit Hold'em, at least in cash. 
I rem- I had not. I didn't know who he was yet. I didn't know that was Dan Highmiller. I just knew Lenny on Poker Stars had a really weird play style. And I mentioned this to someone after he left. I said, that Lenny has a really weird play style. He said, and the guy, I forgot who it was, says to me back, if you think his play style is weird, wait till you meet him in person. So Dan, Dan Highmiller is just kind of a strange guy. And he'll admit that. But he has had tournament success over the years. However, as is the case with many poker players who have millions of dollars of cashes, he does not seem to have a lot of money right now. This could have to do with the fact that he hasn't had uh, any large cash, like over $30,000, since, uh, I believe, 2000. 16. Actually, he had a 31,000 cash or 53,000 in 17, but he hasn't had a really big score, and he's been playing a lot of tournaments. And I don't know how he spends his money, I don't know how responsible he is, but whatever it is, he doesn't have much money right now, and that's not in dispute. He admitted that recently on Facebook. So, like many in that position, he has a package to play the World Series of Poker, which is fine. There are people out there who are very bad with money who are good at poker. And provided that the markup is reasonable, these are good people to invest in. Well, the markup has to be reasonable and they have to have a reputation of not stiffing people. So like Chino Ream is not someone you'd want to back. But someone who doesn't have a reputation of ripping people off, which which he doesn't. He I haven't heard of him ripping anyone off in all his years in poker. And he has a reputation of being a good player. He is the 93rd highest casher in tournaments all time in the world. Definitely not a bad choice on the surface to buy a piece of for the World Series of Poker. Unfortunately, Dan Highmiller has resorted to gimmickry to what I believe is mislead people into buying pieces of him at a ridiculous price. Before I go on with this segment, I want to tell you that I'm not in the camp who believes that people should not charge high markup. When I say should not, I mean it would be nice if they didn't, but it's it's basically the free market. If you want to charge too much markup and people are willing to pay, then fine as long as you are upfront and honest about the whole thing. That is, make your markup clear. Make it clear to people what the typical markup is being charged, and you know, those that don't know. You don't have to tell experienced uh, poker players this, but people who aren't that familiar with the whole markup thing, uh, it's honest to tell them what the average markup is that you've observed, and be honest about it. And then uh, lay everything out, exactly as it's going to be, and then those that still want to buy a piece of you, fine. Not everybody has to get a great deal. Look at things outside of poker. There's stores that are ridiculously expensive. There's restaurants that are ridiculously expensive. Hotels that are ridiculously expensive. There's many things you can buy out there, which are way, way overpriced and definitely not worth the money. But people buy it. 
And you really can't fault those selling those items or services if people are willing to buy as long as they are honest about what they're selling. So on the whole markup debate, I'm fine if somebody wants to charge 1.5 markup or higher, as long as they don't do this in a misleading fashion. And Dan Highmiller, I'm afraid, posted his package in a misleading fashion. I don't know if this was on purpose, but I know for a fact that he did post it in a misleading fashion. I do have an update to it, by the way, which I, you know, I, I, I want to put all the facts out here. So I'm going to tell you the part that doesn't sound that good. And at the end, I'll give you an update of something that sounds a little bit better. Believe it or not, Ray Davis is part of the story, too. <laughs> Regardless of what you think of him, uh, he's part of the story, too. Not in a bad way, though. If you're, if you're looking for Ray Davis dirt in this story, you won't, you won't find it. So th- this is what happened. I was noticing Dan Highmiller was posting a lot of brags on the Real Grinders group. And he was bragging about his tournament successes, about how he has more caches than he listed like a bunch of different well-known players. Some of it was kind of unfair, like he listed Sean D. But Sean D, I don't think he was born yet. Or maybe he was born, but he was very, very young. Probably like a baby or a toddler when Dan Highmiller first cashed. So it's not fair to compare someone that you had a 20-year head start on. But uh, he posted a lot of self-promotional material on Real Grinders. For example, he wrote, I've cashed in more World Series of Poker tournaments than Max Pescatore, Jeff Lissandro, Alan Cunningham, Miami John, Sean Deeb, John Juanda, Scotty Wynn, Mike Mattis, Scott Clements, Phil Ivey, Michael Mizraki, Paul Volpe, Doyle Brunson and Johnny Chan. He, he could have left uh, Deeb off there. The rest of the list, I guess, is okay. Everybody else has been around for a good amount of time. He could have left off Sean Deeb. I guess the rest of the And Paul Vogue, he's also too young. The rest of them, uh, fine. So fine. If he wants to pr- uh, post his self-promotional material, he can. A lot of pros will do that, prop themselves up to try to get people to buy pieces of them, as long as they're telling the truth. That's okay. But I was wondering where he was going with that. I assumed he was trying to sell something. Then he created what was called the Dan Highmiller WSOP Fan and Investor Group. And it's open to the public. You you can go take a look right now. Go search Facebook groups for Dan Highmiller WSOP Fan and Investor Group. You don't even have to join. You can just take a look and see everything. Again, that's fine if he wants to make a group for those that are buy pieces of him. Others have done that. No issue with that. But then I saw people complaining about Dan's package. And at first I thought, oh, no, just more stupid markup debates. Like, who wants to read about this? It sounds stupid. But there, there was so much noise about this on Real Grinders, I, I finally ventured into this group and, and took a look for myself, and I couldn't believe what I saw. This is what's being sold. World Series of Poker, Package 1, 2019. I haven't seen what Package 2 is, but Package 1, 2019. $17,950 in buy-ins, it says, coming from 50 shares to be sold at $359 each. That's already confusing. 
So they're saying like like all these tournaments together, you're, there's 50 shares being sold at $359 each. Now it's true if you multiply 50 times nine, uh, 359, you do get 17,950. But that that already seems to be he's accounting for markup here. So it's really not seventeen nine fifty in buy-ins. It's really seventeen nine fifty of investor money. But but let's forget that. That's that's uh, probably just a semantic difference. But you can see it's already confusing. Okay, let, let's say you want to buy a share for three hundred fifty nine dollars. What do you get for it? So he lists what you get for it. But as, as you'll hear when I list you what he's selling, you're going to have a hard time without breaking out a calculator, figuring out what type of markup there actually is. Number one, there's 10 tournaments you listed there. Number one, the main event, which is $10,000 buy-in, the World Series. Backers get 0.2% of total prize money per share. Win about $15,000 plus per share if I come in first place. <laughs> now, that's, that's already getting stupid. I mean, to, to list what they're going to get if you come in first, it's so unlikely to come in first in the main event or really any tournament here. If you do, great, but you shouldn't be telling them what they're going to get for first. That's that's already dreaming there. That's, that's already starting to look like gimmickry and used car salesman tactics. But okay, fine. Uh, he's estimating what first place is going to be and how much you'd get per share. He's allocating $34 per share for 0.2%. So what does that what does that mean? Allocating thirty four per share, thirty four dollars per share for zero point twenty percent. Well, it sounds like thirty four dollars for each thirty four dollars you spend, you get zero point two percent of his main event. But what's this allocating thing? What well, see what he's doing here is you're just buying fifty shares. Or he's making available fifty shares, and each share is three hundred fifty nine dollars. So if you send him $359, then you get what he's listing here. So the first thing you're going to get for one share is 0.2% of his main event. Well, 0.2% of the main event is not very much. That's two one-thousandths of a main event. That's worth a whopping $20. But wait a minute. $34 per share is what he's, quote, allocating, which means that's what he's charging you. It's all being bundled up into the 359, but he's charging you 34 per share. And it's worth 20 with no markup? That would mean the markup is 1.7. Hmm. That is pretty brutal. But you may say, okay, the World, the World Series of Poker main event is kind of an unusual event. There's some, a lot of recreational players there, a lot of people who don't understand how to play a very slow structure. There have been some theories that there are players in the main event who are... 1.7 uh, markup would be actually fair for them. Some are that good, some have that, have that much of an edge in that tournament because of the slow structure and the reduction of luck there through that structure. But let's go on. Number two, the World Series of Poker $1,000 Seniors event, including $1,000 rebuy. Now, to be fair, Dan High Miller did have some success at the seniors. Uh, I believe he won it. Yeah, he uh, he did win the seniors in 2014. So this is a, a fairly recent champion of the seniors event. So okay, 
I have to admit, I, I would like to have a piece of him in the seniors event, but listen to this. Backers get 0.2% of total prize money per share, just like the main event. Win about 1200 per share if I come in first place. We'll just ignore that stupidity. Allocating $8 per share for 0.2%. Now, is that good or bad? Let's think about it. $8 per share. The event is $1,000, and you're paying for two bullets. So let's call it $2,000. So 0.20%? He's charging you $8? Well, if you do the math, without markup, that would be $4, which means he's actually charging you double. The markup in this case is actually 2.0. He's actually charging you double for the seniors event crazy, right? Well, I'll go through the rest of these quicker. The $625 mega satellite to the 50k high roller, he's selling two bullets with, again, a 2.0 markup. With the $1,500 limit 08 event, which I'm playing, by the way, he's again selling it at at 1.67 markup. And he's not stating these markups, by the way. He's listing it the way that he was doing the other ones. Like, I'll I'll tell you the way he lists the 08 one. Uh, Backers get 1.2%. Notice it's not 0.2. This time, backers get 1.2% per share, uh, allocating $30 per share for 1.2%. So this is is not easy to figure out the markup unless you bring out a calculator and, and, and know how to do it. It's not a super complex math equation, but it's not obvious. It's not easy. There's a lot of easy ways to make a mistake. It's, it's, Nowhere does he list the markup here. He just puts that. You've got to figure it out yourself. I figured it out afterwards, and it's 1.67 markup. Same with the 5 million guarantee uh, Big 50 event, the $500 no limit uh, event where he's going to do up to five bullets for the event, marking that up 1.67. The $600 event, no limit hold'em, again marked up 1.67. The $1,500 dealer choice with two bullets, again, marked up 1.67. The $1,000 uh, turbo bounty, uh, marked up 1.67. The $1,000 WSOB horse, marked up 1.67. And even an $1,100 Venetian event the, at the MSPT, which is also during the summer, four bullets for 1.67 markup. Again, he doesn't state this. He does not state what the market is for each of these events, nor total. He just said $359 a share. That's it. I figured out the total markup is almost 1.7 overall, 1.696 markup. Basically, for the $359 share price, you're getting $211.70 before markup. Isn't that crazy? $359 for $211 worth of buy-in. Wow. But again, my issue is not that the markup is really high. It was the way he chose to list it. And what my bigger issue came as his critics were calling him out on this, and he was responding to them, so he was seeing it, was he would not address why it was listed this way. He he addressed it to one person saying that uh, everybody can do math, you can just figure it out. And people just kept asking, but why don't you list it? Why isn't it put there plainly for people to see? And he wasn't answering. He just kept answering, I'm worth the markup. I'm good enough to beat the markup. He just kept saying that over and over again, that his skill is so good that 
it overtakes the markup. Not to worry about it. But that's not answering the concern here. The concern was that he listed in this crazy convoluted fashion where most of these events you're buying uh, 1.2% per share, except for the main event and the seniors where you're getting 0.2% per share, but you're buying it all in one bundle, and he's not saying what the markup is. He's just saying how much is allocated for each event of the 359, and you have to figure out how to break this down and, and see what the markup really is. Now, I think there's a very small chance that this wasn't done on purpose. I think he was very aware of the fact that the markup in this was very high. That if he just said, hey, buy my package for 1.7 markup, uh, people would laugh in his face. People would say, come on, Dan, this is crazy. You're a pretty good player, but no, you're not worth 1.7. Like, pretty much nobody is. Especially in a whole package here. So in order to hide that and just make it look like a good deal, especially putting these uh, eye-popping amounts of money you could win if he wins the event. To the casual player, and by the way, on real grinders, that it mostly is casual players. Like to be honest, I'll, people will post hands on real grinders, almost always no limit hands, and they'd post the hand. They they'd post what they think are tough hands to figure out what to have done. And just about every time I read these hands, I think to myself, "What a donkey!" <laughs> I think I'm going to be reading something that's pretty tough, and then I read something that, that the person just mangled the hand the whole way. And I go, okay, you know, this this is not a strategy group. This is not where great players congregate. This is mainly recreational players who don't really know what they're doing. I'm not even the greatest no-limit-hold'em cash player. That's not really my thing. But I'm telling you, like, uh, like, not only are the hands that are posted there embarrassingly bad, but then the commentary from people giving the person advice, uh, like 90% is, is blatantly wrong. So I, I'm, I'm always pretty shocked at how, like, and the funny thing is a lot of these people think that they, they really are thinking players that they really are analyzing it. Great. Like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not even like, like a top, no limit cash, hold, uh, hold, no limit uh, cash player, but I, I can easily critique these correctly. So the reason I'm bringing this up is to tell you that this is a group full of like 17,000 recreational players. And it's a great place to advertise something like this because Dan Miller is a known name in poker. He's known to be successful. And when you say, oh, you know, you get this, you know, this much for this share, this much for this share, and you add it all up, 359, you'll get all this if I win the event, and all you got to do is put the 359, look at the thousands you can win if I even win just one of these events, it looks great. To the, to the average person who doesn't understand it, it looks great. By, by the way, I just got a text from someone showing me that, yes, you can see all of Ari Engel's friends, and this is someone with no connection to him. So that, that's why he was victimized. I just wanted to mention that. I was looking at my texts. So th- this whole thing was a trick. It, 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 it's not a scam so much because if Dan Miller cashes, I trust he's going to pay everybody. I, he doesn't have that reputation of someone who just runs off with the money. He's not a Chino Ream. I believe whatever he cashes, he will pay you of whatever percentage you have of him. But hiding how much the markup is, even when people are telling you that's wrong, can you just state the markup 
And he kept ignoring that. If there's a reading, they kept ignoring that. If this was an oversight, maybe in, as I said, the guy's kind of strange. It's possible that just by putting the whole thing together, he didn't realize that you really have to state the markup up front or it looks shady. But he had person after person after person telling him that. I told him that. A lot of people told him that. State that the overall markup is 1.7, because it is. State it where everybody can see it. And he ignored that, ignored that, ignored that, meaning he knew he was supposed to state it and didn't want to. He wanted to kind of worm his way out of it. He was talking about haters and, and the usual rhetoric you get back when someone is trying to worm out of being confronted over something they did that wasn't right. I do have an update, though. Uh, I guess the kind of the turning point to all this occurred this morning. I jumped on this pretty hard on Real Grinders. And I, I really tried to get people to separate the debate of how high markup should be versus should you be transparent. Because how high markup should be isn't the argument here. It is too high, but that's not the argument here. The argument is, why is he not being transparent? So I tried to really push that side of it. Then I noticed Ray Davis was reading it. Now, Ray Davis is personally friend, he's personal friends with Dan Heimiller. So I wondered if Ray was going to delete the critical posts. I wondered how he was going to respond to me. Uh, I wondered a lot of this. But uh, I was surprised to see this morning that Ray Davis actually posted that he's unhappy. He didn't name Dan, but the, that certain people have been posting WSOP packages where the markup is too high and where they're not being transparent. He said something like that. So he was actually unhappy with this whole thing. And shortly after that, Dan Heimiller posted this in his investor group. By popular demand, my package markup is 1.696 altogether, but my average advantage here is more than four times the average player. <laughs> I think he's trying to say his, his actual advantage should be like a 4.0 markup, so you're getting a bargain with a 1.7 markup. <laughs> this is someone without a cash in the six figures for years. I'm not denying that he's a pretty good tournament player, but it's not like he's just smashing all the fields and doing something nobody else is. It's not like he's going through like a Fedora Holtz-type run in his uh, recent heyday, saying, hey, you know, I'll sell pieces of me, but it's going to be expensive. This is someone who, who whose best performances are uh, you know, somewhat a number of years ago. <laughs> his average advantage is more than four times the average player. Where does he get that? Where, where does that come from? Here's something I posted on Twitter, not about Dan Heimiller directly, but just something for you to think about in case you still think maybe 1.7 is a reasonable markup for a good player. Dan listed 10 events there. He's charging an average of 1.696 markup. There is no event where he's charging less than 1.67. So there's not even a single event where you're getting a good deal. The the best you're getting is 1.67. The worst you're getting is 2.0. Since most are 1.67, that's why it averages out to 1.7. But let's say Dan plays those 10 events, and let's say Dan min-cashed all 10 events, so he did not brick one. 
10 out of 10 caches, which, which he won't do. I don't know anybody who's done 10 out of 10 caches at the World Series. I don't believe it's ever happened. I don't think it ever will. Just too hard to do. But let's say he was 10 for 10, but they were all min caches. You wouldn't big, make big money, right? But I, I guess you'd assume that you'd make something, right? How about if he had 10 out of 10 min caches, you would actually lose money on his package? <laughs> it's true. Why? The World Series of Poker changed it a few years ago to where they pay 15% of the field instead of 10%. As a result, the min cash, instead of being about double the buy-in as it used to be, is now about 1.5 times the buy-in. So if he were to cash 1.5 times the buy-in on all 10 events he played, even though on the surface that would seem to be a pretty good profit, right? That'd be a 50% return on investment. You would lose money because you are paying 1.7 times the buy-in. Isn't that crazy? He could min cash all 10 times and you would lose. You wouldn't even come close to winning. You wouldn't only lose, you wouldn't even come that close to breaking even. That's how bad a 1.7 times markup really is. And that should be sobering. If you ever think of buying anyone at 1.5 or more markup, is that even if they min-cashed every tournament you bought, you would still lose money. And that is insane. You may ask, well, what about staking deals? You may have heard of situations where someone is in a staking deal and uh, they have one person who's staking them completely and then that person staking them takes as much as 70%. Or sometimes the staker will take less than that. Sometimes the staker will take uh, 50%. So you say, wait a minute. If the staker is risking all his money and the player is risking none and the staker is only getting half the profits, how could this possibly be profitable for the staker? Well, a lot of times it's not, is the answer, but the important point here is that in staking arrangements, and this is not staking, this is buying a piece, and I'll explain to you in a second why there's a difference. In a staking arrangement, there's almost always something called makeup. What makeup means is that once you're in the hole to your staker, you don't owe your staker the money, but... If you cash big in the future, you have to pay the entire amount that you're in the hole before you get any profits. So let's say you keep losing under your staker and you're 200000 in the hole. And then you cash for 210000 You finally hit a big cash for 210000 You would give your staker two hundred five of that 210000 You'd keep five for yourself. Why? If, if it was a 50-50 agreement. Why? You'd have to pay off the 200000 markup and uh, makeup first. Not markup. You pay off the 200000 you're in the hole, which is called makeup. Then there's 10000 left, and you split that. So you'd keep 5000 of the 210000 If you cash 600000 that'd be a little bit better. Then you would, or a lot better, actually. Then you would give the 200000 then you'd split the remaining 400000 so you'd, uh, you'd keep 200000 he'd keep 400000 And then from that point, you'd be out of the hole, and then it'd be 50-50 on whatever you cash if you don't get back in makeup. So the fact that there's makeup is what 
makes it okay for a deal like that to exist. Now, of course, the the player has to be a reliable winning tournament player. Otherwise, uh, this really screws the staker. The staker then uh, will lose otherwise. So the stakers have to be very careful who they stake. Because if someone gets deep in makeup, eventually the staker has to just cut them if they, they can't ever get out of it. But buying a piece is very different. Buying a piece, there's no makeup. Buying a piece, once the person loses, the money's gone. And that's very different. Why? Because let's, say you, let's say you bought several shares of Dan Heimiller in this package. And let's say he bricked them all. And you lost all the money you put in. Let's say he goes and plays another tournament. And you don't buy a piece of him for that reason. And he wins big. Do you get your money back? No. There's no makeup. So buying a piece and a staking deal are two different things. But interestingly enough, in eight of the ten events that you're buying of him, I calculated that Dan is putting up not very much of his own money. How much are you putting in for eight of the ten events? Zero point zero. Zero point zero. Eight of the ten events, he is charging enough markup to where if he sells 50 shares, he's entering for free. In general, the rule of thumb is in any buy-a-piece deal, if the person is playing with none of their own money on the line, then it's very bad and you shouldn't do it. Staking is a different story, but if you're buying a piece of someone, they should always have their own money on the line for many reasons. If they are playing for free, then you're pretty much getting the shaft. It means the markup's too high. It means they may not treat it as seriously as they would if they had their own money on the line. And while I don't think Dan Heimiller would do this, it also makes it more likely that they might uh, chip dump to friends. And so he's basically paying for a free 30%, right? Is that the way it works out? Well, what, what he's doing here is he's he's... Through this package, provided he sells all 50 shares, he's getting eight events he gets to play for free and keep 40%. Because the 50 shares, most of them are 1.2%. Those those eight are also 1.2% you're getting. So it's uh, it's actually 60%. So he's keeping 40%. Uh, he, he gets 40% of whatever he cashes, plays for free. And then the other two events, the main event and the seniors, which are also heavily marked up, the only reason he's not playing those for free is because he's only selling a smaller piece of them. So those are the only two where he's putting up his own money. The other eight, if all 50 shares are sold, he's being completely bought in by the investors, which is crazy. When there's so no, he's free-rolling everything for a free 40% except for the seniors and the main. And the main, which are already... And then with those... And they're marked up anyway. He, how much is he selling of it? Uh, he's selling... Uh, uh, 20%? 10%, 10%, 10%, 10% of each. 50 times 0.2. So, oh, so it's, so he's so he's getting ninety percent, and then what percentage is he paying? Yeah, he's well, yeah, he's getting ninety percent. He's paying ten percent out on whatever he cashes. So it's it's again. Right, it's, but I'm saying, how much is it costing him for the ten thousand? Oh, ninety percent. Right, so he's paying a thousand bucks to get in. No, no, he's paying. He, no, he's paying nine thousand to get in, and 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 a thousand. Oh, nine thousand. Nine thousand to get in, and and the rest comes from from. Uh, or no, he's not paying nine thousand. He's. Yeah, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. I know what you're saying. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, he's pay- sorry. He's paying eighty three hundred, and 
and he's keeping ninety percent. Oh, eighty three hundred. Oh, that's oh, that's more than I expected. Okay. Well, because he's not selling that much. It's actually it's still one point seven. It's just the only he's he's basically selling ten percent for seventeen percent. So that's ah, yeah. So, so so it's still pretty bad. But but at least he's paying his own money. Those two. At least at least those two. He's actually putting up some of his own bucks. The uh, the other eight he's actually entering completely for free if he sells all fifty shares. And I think that's kind of crappy too. Uh, now let's compare this for a second. And I'm not trying to sell anything here because mine it's already sold out. But my package, my package. I've always been very upfront with the markup. I. Never sell more than 40%, except one time when I accidentally did so. And, of course, that, that was the time that I finished fifth place. But uh, other than that, I always sell uh, 40% maximum. So I, I always am putting up 60% of my own money. Even after the markup, I'm still putting up uh, mostly my own money. Uh, so I have a lot on the line in every event. This brings down my variance sum. And that's part of the reason I do it, and I'm honest about that. I say that right on the page. But uh, I'm putting up a lot of my own money for every single event. There's no free rolling going on. And I'm charging a very standard markup. And despite that, I even state that if you're doing this as an investment opportunity to make money, it's not a good idea. You're probably better off putting the money elsewhere. But if you're doing it for fun, or for entertainment, or because... Uh, you just like following me and like having a piece of, of what's going on and you enjoy my updates you know, and, and uh, feeling like you're there. That's why you should do it. Or you know, just because just kind of like a thank you because you enjoy the show. Those, those are all good reasons to do it. But I, I tell you, the, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm better than four. I'm four times better than the average player. No, I'm not. I'm not four times better than the average player. Neither is he. Not even close. But I, I stated everything up front. I even stated up front that I had some psychological problems last year, starting in August, not during the World Series, but starting in August, that I, I stated that are about 90% better and shouldn't affect me this year. But I even stated that for those that, that hadn't followed it, just so people don't complain later, hey, I didn't know you were having anxiety and depression problems that started last year after the World Series. I, I didn't know you had that going on. I wouldn't have invested in you. I, I want people to know everything before before they put a, do- a dime towards my play. So if, if you say, hey, I don't, I don't want to back somebody who had anxiety and depression problems uh, pretty severely between August and, and October, then uh, even though we're, we're a number of months past that and I've greatly improved, if you still feel uncomfortable about that and you're afraid maybe they're going to come back and screw me up, then, then don't buy a piece of me. I, I really don't want you to if that concerns you. So, but, but, but he's the opposite here. So, you know, Sean Fanning's limp dick is in chat. <laughs> Some people don't even know the origin of that name. I guess I have to tell people who don't know the origin of that name because it goes back a number of years. Sean Fanning's limp dick, I believe, is in England. That is the guy behind the account, but there's there's a reason there's the, he, that weird name. Genocide. Jennifer Lee dated Sean Fanning, the founder of Napster. She did date him. I, I think this was after this is a while after Napster was relevant, but still, she dated Sean Fanning. But she told Neverwin, who she dated a while after Sean Fanning. She she told Neverwin that Sean Fanning had a problem, and that was he abused pills so badly that he couldn't get it up anymore. And then Neverwin told everybody in poker. 
So <laughs> a person in the chat named uh, Sean Fanning's Limp Dick, he's actually been a, ne- a member of the site since the beginning. And that's in reference to what Genocide said. There's, there's no verification of this, but this is what Neverwin said that Genocide said about Sean Fanning. Do I believe it? Uh, I think I probably do. But may- maybe in 2019 he's better and can get it up again. But that was uh, Genocide supposedly complained about this. But Sean Fanning's Limp Dick said... Uh, he doesn't need to win the event to turn a profit. I don't think he's worth 1.7, maybe 1.3, but it, it doesn't seem sufficiently high to get worked up about. If you don't like the piece, the price, then don't back him. Um, yeah. I agree with that, except that's not my point. My point here is that he was not upfront about the markup. Finally, he is now. Finally, he's putting that out there after a lot of pressure. But it took a lot of pressure to be upfront about the markup. That was my problem. It was an intentionally convoluted package so people don't notice the markup and that people don't notice eight of the ten events he's free-rolling into. That's the problem. Sean, Sean Fanning's limp dick saying in chat that uh, uh, he also remembers uh, Richard Brody's comb-over was, was an influence. There's it's another member of the site, Richard Brody's comb-over. And that's actually refer. There's a, a member on the site named The Side Dish who's from South Dakota. And uh, I've met him. He comes out for the World Series usually every year. And The Side Dish had some pretty memorable Limit Hold'em heads-up matches with, with Richard Brody on full tilt and beat him pretty badly. And people were kind of laughing about that. And... Uh, Richard Brody was very interested to find out who the side dish was. He didn't realize the side dish was just kind of a nobody in poker. He, he was he kept he actually approached me at the World Series and said, "Who is the side dish?" He really thought he was playing some like well-known heads-up limit hold'em stud that uh, was under a fake name. Where I said, "No, no, it's just it's just some guy in South Dakota. <laughs> that, that's all it is." Uh, I, I didn't tell him. I, I know the side dish's name. I didn't tell him that. But uh, in fact, he asked me, but I said I can't tell him. I said I can't. Reveal that information. I was just a regular guy in South Dakota. But, but anyway, uh, because of that, there was some member of the forum at the time who called himself Richard Brody's comb over, comb over because Richard Brody is bald. And the funny thing, Richard Brody addressed this also at the World Series. He said to me, and who's this Richard Brody's comb over guy? You know, I don't even have a comb over. And he's showing me his, his bald head that he doesn't have a comb over. So I said, no, I know. I know. Someone just made the name because they were fascinated with the heads up matches. I don't think Richard plays the World Series anymore. I, he might. I might. See, I, I think I see him around occasionally. I can't say he doesn't play, but he doesn't play as actively as he used to. Richard Brody's money did not come from poker. Richard Brody was actually the primary author of Microsoft Word, would you believe? And uh, that's he was. He claims that he was a Microsoft employee number fifty-five. Clearly, he had a lot of stock in Microsoft early on, and. That's where he made a lot of money. So Richard Brody has a lot of money. Poker was just a, a side interest of his. And he's, he's still active on Twitter. He follows me. He occasionally will retweet something I say. I don't know if he listens to the show or not, but I know he follows me on Twitter. Actually, he usually agrees with the stuff I say on Twitter. I'll give him that. Comb over or not. So that's it. Nothing much more to say about Dan Heimiller. This is not a scam. I don't think he's trying to rip anyone off, but he was trying to kind of mislead people into buying his package without really knowing the full details. I don't know if he even really believes. I I think he does kind of believe that he has this tremendous edge over everybody. 
There's a lot of delusional poker players out there. And he's one of them, it seems. Sometimes his trader ruski's on hold. What's that about? Did he put me on hold or is he just on hold? I, I don't know. Let me try to reconnect him. Whenever it says on hold on Skype, it kind of throws me off. That usually means something's wrong. So if he if he legitimately put me on hold, I don't believe it. Whenever I see on hold on Skype, I go, oh no. Something's Sorry, wrong. I'm back. Did you put yourself on hold or was it, did, did uh, it just go that way? Kept blowing my phone up, and I was able to switch and come back one time, so that was working. Yeah. Okay, okay. So someone's calling. All right, I understand. Yeah, but um, I, you know that I knew that name sounded familiar, and that's a trip that he uh, was one of the original Microsoft Word developers. Yeah, he was. He would have been a Lotus before that. Yeah, because I used to recruit those guys, you know, years ago in the early PC software days. Yep. I have a story about that. I don't want to get too, too sidetracked, but I can jump in whenever. Yeah, I, I, have to, I have something in common with Richard Brody. I don't want to talk about on the air either, but I, I do have something in common with him that uh, he and I are both aware of, but I, I, I won't make it public here on this uh, show. I know, nice teaser not to tell you guys, but that's uh, I just wanted to throw that in. Okay, let me move on to the next topic here. Uh, I've already lost my agenda. Par for the course here. Okay, here we go. Discuss a topic that isn't being covered very much in the gambling media, which it should. In fact, I think this is deserving of coverage in the mainstream media, and it is not covered. I will admit that we were scooped on this story. We are not the first show to cover this. There's already been another show out there that has covered this upcoming topic. I, we are the first show to cover the Dan Heimiller topic, but we're not the first show to cover this upcoming topic. This was first brought up by Dat Poker Podcast, specifically Daniel Negranu on Dat Poker Podcast. That's the podcast with Negranu and with Terrence Chan and Adam Schwartz, where it was revealed that a man won $609,000 with a win at the Kentucky Derby only to find out that the casino was going to give him just $35,000. And it's a, a very outrageous story, something that the general public could easily relate to. This one doesn't require knowledge of, of sports betting or horse racing or poker. Well, it's not even about poker, but it, it doesn't require a lot of industry knowledge to appreciate this story. You could tell this to the average person, and they'll be pretty shocked by it, too. And they'll understand it. They'll understand most of it. So here's what happened. A gentleman named Steve Friedlander in Reno placed a bet on the Kentucky Derby. A long shot bet. And he did so at a William Hill location at the Tamarack Junction Sportsbook. He actually placed... uh, fairly sizable bets for horse racing standards. I mean, these aren't giant bets, but they're not small. Uh, Overall, he spent $2,760 on bets at the Tamarack Junction Sportsbook, which is uh, run by William Hill, which is a very large uh, sports betting company. And 
he put uh, $600 on the number eight horse Tastus to, to win place or show. He did a $100 exacta box and a $40 trifecta box using the eight, 13, 16, and 20 horses. So basically, if, if any of those four, the eight, 13, 16, and 20, finished uh, first and second, not first or second, but first and second, he would win the exacta. If any of those finished first, second, and third, then he would cash what's known as the trifecta. So that's what he's going for. These are big-time long-shot bets. It, it doesn't sound that hard, but it, first of all, it depends on the odds of each horse. Uh, some horses have huge edges over others. So with the horses he bet on, if he were to win the trifecta, he would really be in for some big cash, even though he bet uh, less than 3 k overall. Well, it seemed like he lost. Maximum Security, the number seven horse, won the won the race. And uh, Friedlander was probably close to sharing up his tickets. However, as some of you probably heard, Maximum Security was disqualified, and they moved everybody up one spot. So at that point, the... Winners, first, second, and third, were Country House, number 20, Code of Honor, number 13, and Tacitus, number 8. He had all three of them. Remember, he had 8, 13, 16, and 20. The only thing he didn't get was 16. Now, the big deal here was the fact that Country House was a very big long shot. Country House was 65 to 1 and actually won the event, won the race. It's been over 100 years since a long shot of higher than 65 to 1 won the Derby. But that really made a big deal. Since Country House went off at 65 to 1, and since he also won the trifecta, he made a lot of money. I'm not going to do all the math for you, but the way it broke down was that he was going to be able to cash his tickets for $609,464. Pretty damn good for a bet under three k right? So you can imagine how thrilled he was and how lucky he felt that maximum security got disqualified. If maximum security didn't get disqualified, then he would have lost everything because he would not have had a first-place horse. So obviously, he wasn't going to sit around. He drove quickly to Tamarack to go get the money. So he went up to the the booth there and happened to see the person who actually printed his original ticket. And he said, hey, I just won a lot of money, $600,000. And the guy says back, yeah, uh, we don't have that kind of cash here. That's a disturbing thing to hear from a casino. I'm not familiar with this uh, Tamarack Junction. I'm not sure if it's a, a part of a casino or if it's just a, some uh, satellite sort of uh, race book or something. I don't know. It's not important here what Tamarack actually is. But they said, we don't have that kind of cash here. So he, he was pretty sure they just meant that they don't keep that type of money on hand and that they'd write him a check or they'd order the cash, whatever. But then another employee came over and said to him, 
there's a cap on these. And they showed him a placard that was sitting somewhere in the front of the sports book. And in the fine print, it said the maximum payout on an exacta is 150 to 1. The maximum payout on a trifecta is 500 to 1. Which brought his win all the way down to $35,000. So why is that? Why is there a cap? And is that all William Hill, by the way, or was that exclusive for this? No, this is, well, no, it's, it's exclusive to this particular location. It's not all William Hill does, does this. Well, unreal. So th- this is what uh, this is what happened. This is why they had the cap. Um, each location needs to have a paramutual license. Now, some people may not know what paramutual is, so I will explain it. Paramutual is a form of betting where you are betting against the other players, not against the house. The way the house makes money is just by taking a fixed percentage of the pool. It's kind of like poker in a way. Think about it in a poker hand. There is a rake taken out of the pool, and it doesn't matter who wins the hand of the casino. It just matters that they take a rake from it. You're playing against the other players. Same thing in horse racing, which is usually paramutual, which means that you're... The odds that you get have to do with the amount of bets placed on each horse. So they start out with opening odds. And then if people bet more than expected on those opening odds on certain horses, then those odds will go down and then other horses' odds will go up. And it's constantly adjusting. Unlike sports betting, where whatever you bet, you get those odds. So let's say I bet on uh, the Miami Marlins at uh, plus 210. And put in my ticket and get my ticket for plus two ten. If the line moves to plus one sixty, I don't get screwed and it doesn't go down to plus one sixty for me. I I stay at plus two ten. Same with if it goes the other way. If it, if the line goes to plus two fifty, I'm still stuck with plus two ten because at the time I bet it, it was plus two ten. I'm stuck with it for good or for bad. That's how sports betting works. But with paramutual betting, it's constantly fluctuating. So the odds you're getting have to do with the amount of money placed on the other uh, the other horses. And it's constantly moving, constantly moving, and the, the, the odds, you don't know the actual odds you're going to get paid on until the horse goes off. For that reason, some people like waiting till near the closure of betting for that particular race to bet so they, they see what odds they're really getting. There's no advantage to betting early uh, because uh, the, the odds move for you too. Again, better or worse, they move for you. And you, whatever odds you're getting on that horse, everybody else who bet on that horse is getting too, no matter when they bet it. So that, that's paramutual betting. And paramutual, as you would believe from this whole thing, protects the sports book or the race book or the race track from variance. So this way, if a massive long shot wins, they don't lose. There's a few rare cases where they can, which I won't bother to get into. But for the most part, no matter which horse wins and which horse loses, they don't get screwed because the money is coming from the other players. They're just adjusting the odds based upon which horses have the bets on them and which don't. So that's paramutual betting. However, these off-track books, 
like this Tamarack, which was uh, run by William Hill, the sports book over there, they need a paramutual license to be part of the paramutual pool. They can't just become part of it. They actually have to have a paramutual license to do so. So when they don't have a paramutual license, then they are not protected. And in cases like Freelander's Ticket, the casino, or in this case, the sports book run by William Hill, would actually be out the $600,000 if a long-shot trifecta hits. Sportsbooks are often very risk-averse, and they don't like taking big risks like that. They don't, a lot of times, sportsbooks don't care so much if they have the edge on the bet, even a pretty sizable edge, if there's a big risk of a huge beat they're going to take on a relatively small bet. They don't like that, which is understandable. Like, I don't think, unless you're really rich, I don't think you'd want to take a bet like that where, where, someone, where you'll win, at best, $2,760 from someone, but then at worst, you can lose uh, 609000 Well, right, but with all the action the day of the Kentucky Derby, I mean, even at that small casino, I don't know that it would have... You, you would think that, well, but they, I'm telling I you... The, probably, I don't know. Yeah, these sports books are very... They're just very, very risk-averse, even on a very small scale that you wouldn't expect. So, basically, William Hill decided that at their locations where they don't have paramutual licenses, which is most of them. They have 115 locations in Nevada, William Hill. Of those 115 locations, 98 do not have paramutual licenses. So this is one of the 98 that do not. 98 out of the 115 have these caps. The other 17 do not have these caps because they're, they're part of the paramutual pool, so they, uh, they're protected in case this type of thing happens. So to protect themselves from getting hit by a player who strikes lightning in a bottle with a long shot, they have these caps. Now, they do have to display it somewhere. They can't just tell you after the fact, oh, guess what? We had a cap, so we're paying you less. That that wouldn't be legal. So they have to post it somewhere. But, of course, this isn't a thing they want to post. This isn't something they want people seeing or thinking about because they may not want to bet there when they see that. So they they place signs stating this, but they don't necessarily put the signs in places that can easily be seen. And they try not to be that detailed in the signs that can be seen well. And it's not on the sheets? Uh, I don't know, but I, I don't think it is. It, whatever it is, it's not as prominent as it should be, which is my big problem with it. So uh, there's two big problems I have, which I'll get into shortly. There is a sign there that says, this William Hill race and sportsbook is a non-paramutual location. Please refer to the William Hill house rules and regulations regarding pools available and payout odds limits. Okay. Oh, so it doesn't list the odds on the plaque? It just says well, that I think there's two different places. So there's one that looks bigger that says this, but, but right there that already says, you see, please refer to the William Hill house rules and regulations. So you see this sign, it doesn't list the, the, the odds and limits and all that, and then you have to go find this house rules and regulations sign, which is smaller, to, to actually find it. So you can see this is already getting kind of shady. It's technically posted, but it's not very prominent. This is the sort of thing, if they're going to do, it needs to be abundantly clear to the person betting a long shot. Like, do you know that you're betting a long shot, which would normally pay 609000 it's got a cap of 35000 Do you know that? Or at the right. very, or the, he, yeah. He, right, but he could have put in, was the chalker the fourth horse? 
I, I, well, regardless, it doesn't matter with anybody else. I mean, that really should be at least on the sheets that they give. And they should have the numbers right there. Like one store I play at, the max you can win on a win bet's 20 to 1. Place is 10 to 1. Trifectas and superfectas are 300 to 1. And uh, exact and daily double 100 to 1. Yeah, so here, is that the odds they had? Or no, this is actually a little bit better. This this is a trifecta is 500 to 1. Exact is 150 to 1. Uh, pick three payout, 300 to 1, I'm seeing. But here's here's my, my two problems. Number one, that uh, this is not prominently enough displayed. And number two, they should not be taking super long shot bets at all in this case. But look, look at the difference here. 35,000 versus 609,000. What we're talking about, the guy's getting like a little bit, like what, like 6% of what he should should have gotten. That's insane. That That's that's just insane. They just shouldn't well, right, take... But, Jeff, to, but to say you're not going to take that, like say there was, say he played like a five-horse box trifecta with like two heavy favorites, two real long shots, and the one maybe six to or one shot or something. You know, you could probably say, well, the two chalkers are in there, so that's probably not going to, you know, be a long shot. You know what I'm saying? It's just you have to eliminate so much. Yeah, I know what you're saying. If there's a, if there's a lot involved, it, it, and, and it's, it's much more likely the ones that, that, that would that would hit the trifecta are the ones who are uh, who are big fa- who are more of the favorites that uh, you don't want to yeah. d- disallow the whole ticket. I can understand that point, but I, I, there's got to be something that 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 warns people. And this is 2019. This isn't back in, in 1973 where it might be harder for the computer to crunch this and print it on the ticket and or or, or, or pop up a warning that the person really understands, but. There should be some sort of detection that in certain cases there's going to be a tremendous reduction in payout. So before he placed that bet, there should have been something that was very clear to him that if the long shot hits, he's going to get a severe reduction in payout. That would be the most ethical. That something something pops up through through the system that the person taking the bet warns you. I just want to warn you that uh, the most this ticket's going to be worth is thirty-five thousand. But I can tell you that uh, you can win up to such and such if if, if, this, if there were not a cap. Do you still want to place it? Th- that would be the most ethical. At the very minimum, there should be hundred percent acknowledgement from the better when they bet a trifecta or an exacta or anything like that with a cap on anything. Any bet with a cap on it that before they place the bet, they should be told. Do you know that we are capped at these these odds? And tell them the odds. And if the person says that's fine, I want to place it, then okay. And if they misunderstand it, then I guess it's on them. At the very least, it should be that where hundred percent. There's no question that the person knows the caps on the odds before they place the bet. This guy didn't. This guy would have walked away had he known that. And here's the real kicker. Here is the real kicker: is that this wasn't his only option. The Grand Sierra Resort, also in Reno, where I've been. Get out of here. That place across the street. Yes, Grand Sierra Resort in Reno would have paid him in full. And it's also William Hill. That's one of the 17 that has a paramutual license. So that is where... That is disgusting. Yeah, it's disgusting. Uh and, And that's where I feel that there really needs to be a notification. Okay, we have a cap here, and then... He should be informed that there's there's uh there, there are other. That's a bigger reason for them not to do it if they have a competitor across the street. 
I mean, if it was like some tiny town in Montana where you're the only game in town, then they'd probably post it because they know they're not going anywhere else. Their competitor across the street's paramutuals. So they're probably like. Yeah, you know exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. It's not quite across the street, but it's in the same city. It's it's uh, one's one's in the south part of Reno, one's in the north part of Reno. But it's it's all Reno. Reno's not huge, so he just didn't know. He thought they're they're equivalent, and he betted at the place with the caps. He just didn't know there were caps. I, I think once you tell people there's caps and they understand it, they acknowledge that they know there's caps and they want to place the bet anyway. If they get screwed, I, I guess I'm okay with that. But but here to have just a sign up, and then have. Uh, Direct, have it direct you to another sign where you have to go find out the exact caps and everything. It, it's not even in one place. Right, I th- you're walking around the casino like a scavenger hunt, going from sign to sign. Yeah, and, and now read sign number six. I've, I've always what the odds for this are. I've always been so against, and this is in all industries, not just casinos, not just gambling. I've always been so against any situation where something is misleading. And then when you complain about it, they point to some sort of sign or email or fine print, which you should have read and known about it. And, and there's idiots out there that believe this is okay. There's idiots that say, well, if it's, if it's, if you're being informed somewhere, it's your fault for not reading. No, it's a common sense. It's a matter of common sense. If something, yeah. if, if something is going to mislead people into making a purchase or a bet that they would not have made if they had known the truth, then the person needs to be informed better or they're being cheated in a way. It's, it's unethical. It may not be illegal, but it's unethical. If someone is buying something under false pretenses, if they're making a bet without knowing something important, just because you have it displayed somewhere that makes the legal requirement satisfied, it's still unethical if there are a number of people still betting and not knowing. And, and or remember people purchasing something and not knowing. And I always hate, well, we disclosed it. Well, th- this is there. If something's non-standard, it shouldn't just be disclosed somewhere. It should be made entirely clear to where everybody can't miss it. And I've made this point before in customer service situations too. I've had it where something really weird and non-standard is in the fine print of some of some product or service I buy. And then they want to screw me when a problem comes up because of this. And I say... I had no idea about this. This is totally not like the way normally goes on. This is not the, the industry standard of doing things. Well, that might be true, but we, we put it at the very bottom of the email we sent to you and I go find like, you know, they, they listed 50 things at the bottom and it was buried as number 43. That's, that's not informing me. Nor, right. nor- and, and the fact that it's William Hill, because I assume all the William Hill places, it's just basically a, it's just a teller. For this big William Hill thing, right? That's Who would have a, thought they were different. Right, that's a great point. That it's very misleading because it's a network, and you just assume they must all be the same, right? And I didn't know this either until this story came out. So I think this would be a huge black eye on William Hill if this and, were to be picked and up. And it really should donors should be on them to make it clear, right? Because right. I mean, I think that's where there could be some legal recourse. If there is any, I don't know. But I'm just, you know, I play at William Hill all the time at the Tropicana. What? It's not the same here? Where the fuck's the sign? <laughs> so so this guy has gone to the Nevada Gaming Commission, but this happened pretty recently, obviously, because the Kentucky Derby was uh, pretty recently. So there has not been a ruling yet, but he did file a formal complaint with the Nevada Gaming Control Board. 
they actually came down to the Tamarack Junction to observe the uh, the setup there. Uh, apparently, the placard, the the main placard that says that they don't have the paramutual license, it's on the right side of the table when someone walks in, and then. It's actually on the back of the sign is where they have the actual odds, which is weird. I would love to hear Eric's opinion about this. I I, I would too, but this is something really on the uh, like the, what the Nevada Gaming Commission would determine. I don't know. It has to do with their exact rules and regulations would be about this. Uh, I don't even know how much. Uh, well, well, but also William Hills, a company based in London. They have a brand. Should they have been responsible for? I don't know. I mean, there could be some things to maybe even get it out of that. Like, I well, agree that's what, with right. Probably black and white with the other thing. Well, so 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 I think here that because they are a big brand, they should just make it right. And I think this won't happen unless this gets enough publicity. But this is the type of thing I could see appearing on ESPN and other mainstream outlets. Oh, oh, oh my God! If they paid it out and just said, "We want to be clear." to everybody that pets with William Hills and explain this whole permutual thing, they would get tens of millions of dollars in free advertising. Well, they, they would, but in another way, this might screw them because then at 98 of the 115 locations they have, people may stay away from them and say, oh, well, no. No, but still, they, look, they should be honest that that's the max you get. Yeah, I know. And most people aren't paying things. Or, you know, this is such a rarity. Yeah, I I, I, think, I agree yeah, with you I from from an ethical standpoint. Marketing. I, 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 I mean, it would just be good marketing. I see. You know, in this case, I, I don't think it, I think it'll scare people away. Is the problem? I, I agree ethically. They should let people know a hundred percent on that. But uh, I just think they they don't want to draw attention to this because they still have ninety eight locations that that are still going to be in the situation. People are going to go, okay, well, we're not going to go to those ninety eight locations anymore because uh, we don't want these caps. This sucks. It's, even if they're going to pay this guy one time. Uh, now, and even if they make it more clear everywhere now, now they're going to still. It's like hitting the lottery. This guy. I mean, they could put in the story. Listen, this normally never happens. Probably for every ten million bets, something like this happens or something. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think what I think the story needs to be picked up. In fact, I'm going to try to look for someone at ESPN who covers this sort of thing and, and send it to them because this is very undercovered and they covered a lot that situation with DraftKings where they accidentally posted the wrong odds for very briefly and someone you know, like three people took advantage of it and placed bets on, on something that was you know, on a football game that clearly the odds were way wrong and then won it. They won like, you know, they turned like $20, $20 into five figures thanks to that and, and then DraftKings wasn't going to pay them. And they ended up doing it just for goodwill. It was only like $80,000 total because the thing was up there for such a short time. But they did it for goodwill after ESPN and other mainstream media outlets shamed them for this. And the funny thing was that I didn't even feel that sorry for the people who got screwed there because they were clearly taking advantage of something. They were clearly taking advantage of of, of misset odds, of uh, either that or a glitch in the system, to try to get over on DraftKings. So... I didn't feel that bad for those that got screwed there. With this guy, I feel really bad for him because he, he, he thought he was placing a legitimate bet, which would have been a totally legitimate bet in North Reno at this uh, Grand, Grand Sierra Resort just because they didn't prominently display the sign or make this clear enough when he placed the bets that this was uh, that they have caps there. So that's really bad. So uh, I know Negranu covered this on Dat Poker Podcast. So congrats to them for getting to this story before I did. 
But uh, yeah, but Truff, I think Scott Van Pelt and like uh, Stanford Steve and Chris Felica. I think that's his last name. Those guys, they they eat this up. Yeah, this needs to be publicized more, and they, I think they would talk about this for sure. Yeah, I, I think this needs to get everywhere, and maybe maybe this guy will get his money back just from William Hill being shamed into it. That's, I think that's the only way it happens. I think he only has a small chance of winning with the Nevada Gaming Commission. Uh, hopefully the Nevada Gaming Commission does maybe change the requirements of, of the display of the caps, because this is something that really, really needs to be known. As I said, at the very least, someone has to 100% know they have to be advised of this, maybe. If, they, if they're placing any bet subject to caps, the, the guy placing the bet should just quickly advise them of the caps. Do you understand? Yes. Okay, we'll place the bet. And what is the big issue? Like, why aren't these... 117 or whatever the remainder is that aren't under paramutual. Is it that big of a deal? You're saying, what, do they have, what are the steps they have to take to be approved? I don't know why. That's the question I can't answer. I don't know why only 17 of, of the 115 are paramutual. There may be it some, sounds like it must cost a fortune or just be a million hoops to that's jump my guess. through and probably a combination of both. Yeah, my guess is probably it's it's too expensive if it doesn't do enough business. That's my guess. And you know, and it's really a law that was that was put in place or you know, a rule by the gambling commission before they had these networked books. Yeah. Right? So I mean now with the networked books, I you know, there's probably a good argument that that should have been changed. Yeah, but but it wasn't. So it, I, it is a good argument, but it's not right because this. you are going to William Hill, and it's like if you go to a small casino, bet oh, it's William Hill. It's covered. Yeah, that, that I wouldn't have. I would not have thought twice. Right, and I, and I always say this to people. I always say a lot of times people are made to. They're, they're kind of beaten down by representatives of companies to believe that because something stated somewhere and they missed it, it's their fault. And, and there's there's morons that, that that really think that's the case. I, I see this all the time on my forum where I'll complain about something that happened and I'll get trolls getting all over my case saying, "Well, this was stated somewhere. Your fault, Todd." No, it's not. Not if this was non-standard and it wasn't easy for me to to see or find or understand. Uh, this is exactly how scams occur, and this is exactly how shady actions occur with with, with companies victimizing the customers. You anything that is non-standard. That tricks you, where you were not well informed, you got screwed. And don't let anyone ever trick you to otherwise. Now, if you were just stupid and, and misunderstood something that 98% of people would have understood, then it's your fault. But if most people would have been tricked by this, or even if half the people or a third of the people would have been tricked by this, it doesn't have to be the majority. It could be a third, a quarter. If, if some healthy portion of the customer base would have also made the same mistake, then they, the company is dropping the ball as far as how they are informing their customers about the situation. And it is their fault, not yours, and they need to make it right. And that's always, I'll always raise that point. I'll always raise that point. I, I once, I'm not going to go into the story here. My, my girlfriend had an issue at a doctor's like, office like this where they were doing something where a lot of insurances were billing it as surgery, even though it had nothing to do with surgery, and, 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 and inducing a huge copay. And uh, so my girlfriend got this gigantic bill for the copay for school surgery, and she was outraged and didn't, you know, there's a lot of money was, was uh, being demanded. And so I called up the doctor, and I told them that uh, this was unethical, 
And they said, well, this is your insurance's fault. This is the way they see it. So I finally won the argument when I asked the office manager, would you say, are there a fair number of people here whose insurances do bill at a surgery? Would you, would you say uh, that, she said, well, no, a lot don't. I said, well, would you say like, like, at least like a quarter do? She said, yeah, at least a quarter do. I said, okay. And would you say that, like, if you describe this procedure to 99% of your customers, would they think this, would 99% or more think this wasn't surgery? And she said, yeah, I agree that almost none of them would think it was surgery. I go, okay, well, there we go. So you just admitted and it's that. really probably them trying to scam the insurance company anyway. Yeah, so I, I said to them, well, there you go. One quarter of the people or more have their insurance see it this way. You admitted that almost none of your customers would understand it was, was surgery by, by the nature of the procedure. And uh, wouldn't you think you guys should warn them if you see this over and over? And she didn't have an answer to that. I said, why don't you tell people before you do it? Hey, we're about to do this, but just to let you know, your insurance may call it surgery and hit you with a big copay. So do you still want to do it? Yes, no. Like, why, why don't you say that to people beforehand? She couldn't answer. So that was the winning argument for me. She backed down and, and, and uh, let my girlfriend out of... Uh, that copay. So that uh, and they are really cracking down, you know, with like web sus- subscriptions and stuff. There's a ton of new laws that came into place, where you know where they try to auto renew you if you buy a year. Oh yeah, that's awful. <laughs> like there's a ton of laws that came out in the last 24 months where they're just really cracking down. It's a similar thing, right? You know what I started doing with those things? With a few that I have like that, I use a prepaid credit card and then just burn the rest of the card on like a bill. And then, then they can't rebill me. <laughs> then I get the email a few months later. Oh, we just tried to bill your credit card and it didn't work. I'm like, yeah, that's by design. Goodbye, everybody. I'm not, I'm not renewing. And I, I, I'm going through that with one company. Oh yeah, there's a lot. I don't know how they are. There's meltwater news, you know, and they raised it. They and they raised the price from 1700 annually to 2000 annually. Oh yeah, it's it's terrible. These auto billings. I mean, that that's illegal. There was a, a terrible auto billing scam out of St. George, Utah, done by Jeremy Johnson, former poker payment processor, who worked with poker fraud alert radio listener Chad Ellie, who was on this show. He, he, Chad Ellie was a, a payment processor for the major online poker sites, Poker Stars, Full Tilt, all that. He went. He spent uh, over five months in prison over this, and he listens to the show. And uh, Jeremy Johnson. In addition to being a payment processor, who Chad said ripped him off too, uh, Jeremy Johnson had a $750 million scam in Utah that uh, involved this auto billing crap where he just uh, the, the company just would never cancel anything no matter how hard, how hard you tried. And it was, it was so infuriating for people because they'd sign up for something and it would just keep billing and billing and billing month after month after month and there was no way to stop it. The, the credit cards couldn't stop it and – You'd call them and tell them to stop, and they'd claim they were, and then they would not stop, and that was the whole scam. And somehow he thought he'd get away with this, and this actually went on for years. And he actually bought favors from two attorneys general, would you believe, in the state of Utah. He actually bought the attorney general and then the state attorney general after him. And they both went to jail for it, as did Jeremy Johnson. And it was was actually uh, Jeremy Johnson who had the tape... He was a payment processor too. He had the tape where it was discussed that a million dollar bribe was to be given to Harry Reid. 
So Harry Reid would change his position on the legalization of online poker. And that, that bribe was made, by the way. A million dollars was bribed to Harry Reid, former Senate majority leader. He, he really did receive a million dollar bribe from Full Tilt and then changed his position. This really happened. And there's actually a tape of that that uh, Jeremy Johnson made where this is being discussed. Uh, Reed is not on the tape, but a representative connected to Reed was. So, uh, really shady guy. But that uh, you can go, you can Google Jeremy Johnson telemarketing scam. It's a pretty fascinating story, especially all the bribery. And on the surface, he seemed like a great guy. He gave to all kinds of charities and uh, just th- there were so many things about Jeremy Johnson just made him look like a, a wonderful individual until you realize that all the money he had was from scamming. <laughs> There's a little problem there. He also was doing uh, online poker payment processing and then stealing from his partners like Chad Ellie. Wonderful guy. And that was all, all out of St. George, Utah, which is also the location of the Sun First Bank. Jeremy Johnson was behind that whole thing, and uh, which led to Black Friday. So he was actually Jeremy Johnson was actually a, Johnson was actually a very big figure related to the collapse of online poker. So you can Google it and read about it. A lot of people don't know, don't know about that. Or maybe they once knew and forgot, because the story is uh, eight years old now. So, moving on. And is he in jail now? Yeah. Status, you know? Yeah, he, he, I, I believe he's still in jail. Let me see. Let's see what his sentence was. That part I forgot. Actually, I, you know what? There's some recent news on this. A judge reduced Jeremy Johnson's prison sentence after, get this, a tearful apology. Come on. How do you believe a guy like this? This is from December 2018. This is actually pretty recent. A handcuffed and shackled Jeremy Johnson tearfully apologized in federal court Wednesday for his, quote, foolish and selfish actions that caused the demise of his multi-million dollar internet business and landed him behind bars. I've given given up hope of being released from prison a long time ago. He said, Johnson, who's only 42 years old, uh, appeared uh, in April, uh, appeared uh, after the court in April upheld his conviction, but sent the case back to district court for a new sentence. A three-judge panel ruled that the trial judge mistakenly enhanced Johnson's sentence under federal sentencing guidelines that resulted in a 135-month prison term. After hearing from Johnson, his wife, Charlotte Johnson, defense attorneys and prosecutors, Benson reduced Johnson's sentence to 87 months, a little more than seven years. He's already served about two and a half years and is incarcerated in a federal prison. So he's, yeah, so he's still in prison, but he doesn't have that much longer. He's only got, uh, like, like four, four years left. He can get back out and, uh, he can scam people all over again. And, uh, and the odds of him scamming, or would he be le- going to a legitimate business? <laughs> I, think, I think we know that. But uh, And I, I like how his wife, in tears, told the judge that the couple's uh, 15 and 11-year-old daughters deserve to have their father back for what's left of their childhood. Well, how about their father shouldn't have scammed people for $750 million? How about, how about that part? I think if you do that, then yes, you, you lose the ability to spend time with your kids. That, that's the risk you take when you engage in a $750 million scam. Unbelievable. You can raise those little scammers. Uh, by the way, he was never prosecuted for any of the uh, online poker processing. Or any, any of the stuff he had to do with online poker, including the stealing some of the money, like, like none of that he ever faced any consequence for. They just focused on this 
and that was it. And Chad Ellie had to go to prison for it, but not uh, not Jeremy Johnson. He, it, it was never understood why they didn't go after that part. And uh, there was also a lot of weirdness surrounding that case, as I mentioned, the Reed thing. Utah really, really wanted to follow that up. And the problem was to investigate it, they needed help from the FBI, or otherwise the case was going to go nowhere. And the FBI at the time, uh, at the time this was being investigated, the head of the Department of Justice was Eric Holder. And Eric Holder, who was a Democrat who was very loyal to the party, was not going to assist with anything that would have resulted in uh, a very prominent Democrat like Reed getting in trouble. So the uh, Utah was really frustrated that the FBI refused to cooperate, and they were they were public about that. The state of Utah was very upset that uh, they had a criminal investigation, that they had very strong reason to believe that bribe was real and really did occur. And they said to the FBI, hey, help us out a little bit. Help help us with your part of it that we need to to investigate whether Reed got this bribe. And the FBI is like, I, then we're not interested. No, no it, it, we, we don't really want to investigate this. Not, not, uh, not worth our time. <laughs> Utah's like, what? Not, not worth our time. You, say, you don't care that uh, the, the Senate majority leader took a million dollar bribe? No, 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 no. That doesn't matter. We're not investigating this. Not important. So that's really what happened. I mean, Google it. I'm not, I'm not making this up to try to make Democrats look bad. This really happened. I'm not saying there's no corruption on the other side, but I, I'm saying in this case, uh, there was. For uh, the, the FBI really did cover for Harry Reid taking a million dollar bribe. And uh, so that was part of this whole thing. And there was some suspicion that that part of it is why they didn't ever want to touch the payment processing thing by Jeremy Johnson, because it would then uh, bring whole, that whole matter back to light. So they kind of just skipped past that and went for the easy thing with the telemarketing, which was the bigger crime, of course, too. But they, they just completely dropped the payment processing thing. Anyway, we're kind of off topic, but it's an interesting off topic. Let's move to something, though, completely different. If you are at the World Series of Poker and you're out of money, Let's say you shot it all off playing cash, and you want to keep playing. You want to buy into some tournaments. You want to maybe try to satellite into something, but you're flat broke. What do you do? You could borrow from people. You could uh, engage in a telemarketing scam. You could mug people. You could steal from people. Set up a Todd Rattel's Facebook account. Right. You could set up a, a phony account uh, pretending to be me or other known poker players and trick them into sending you money. That's, that's another good one. Those, those are some ideas. But uh, Poker News, they decided to publish an article in their strategy section, which, which is a serious section. They have a section called The Muck, which is kind of uh, for offbeat stories where uh, just – I wouldn't say they're hoaxes or anything, but it, it's kind of just – weird stuff that you can't take 100% seriously all the time. But this was not in the muck. This was actually in their strategy section, and 100% of the strategy section are are serious stories and serious uh, pieces of strategy advice. So in their strategy section, they had an article that they recently published, and the title of this article, which came out on May 13th, written by Ashley Adams, and I believe Ashley Adams is a man, by the way. Ashley Adams wrote, uh, 
this article, if you go broke, how to earn quick money in Las Vegas. And there's actually a picture of an empty wallet <laughs> that's the at the head of the article. So, okay, that, that caught my attention. Not that I expected to be in that position myself, but I, I was wondering what advice they were going to give those that go broke in Las Vegas to make quick money. And this being printed uh, two weeks before the World Series of Poker starts, I'm sure is not a coincidence. So here's the beginning of the article. You surely started your trip to Las Vegas with enough money. Your intention and planning notwithstanding, however, you find yourself short of funds. Maybe you got robbed. Maybe your wallet fell out of your pocket while you were getting in and out of an Uber or Lyft. Or maybe you just gambled a little bit too hard and a little too long. Whatever the unfortunate circumstances, you are now broke and in need of some quick funds to sustain you. Good news, you have some options, even if you've maxed out your credit cards, don't have a buddy for an easy touch, don't want to borrow money, and don't want to alert to anyone to wire the funds that you need. There are some other things you can do. Okay, so what are these? And keep in mind, all of these things that they're going to list here do work. The, the, this is all legitimate advice, and this is because I have a friend who was mentioned in the intro that I played here, or the singled out episode I played from 1995, by the way, for those of you who don't know. Uh, Ken Scaler has done a lot of these things. He doesn't gamble, but he's done a lot of these things to make money. These all work, and he's given me details. And this, this, this is a very detailed article that explains these ways to make money. But you'll see why this stuff should not be in an article on Poker News. Number one, take a survey. There are companies that pay you to take surveys. Most allow you to do this on your laptop or phone electronically, so you don't have to leave your motel room or temporary shelter. The, the pay varies from 50 to 150 or thereabouts. Plan on at least an hour or so, plus five to ten minutes for the initial screening, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to read the rest, but they're explaining about the surveys and how you can make money. It is true. It does take more time than that, though, and it's not as simple to get on the surveys as this. You can't just snap your fingers and get a survey online for an hour for 150 bucks. It doesn't work that way. Usually, you have to go in person. Sometimes, it can take several hours. Uh, you have to wait several days, usually, before you can actually take the survey. I have been offered a few surveys, uh, only one of which I did. And... Uh, I showed up a few minutes late, and for that reason, I actually got excused from the survey, but paid anyway. The best of both worlds. But uh, usually it's not worth it, and usually you don't get that much money. But that doesn't sound that outrageous. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit weird to be suggesting in an article in Poker News, but it gets worse, though. Then they mentioned, number two, participate in a focus group, kind of similar to the survey thing. I won't bother reading it. Number three, try the pawn shops. <laughs> Oh, boy. So now they're telling you if you lost your money gambling, go pawn your stuff to keep gambling. Is that good advice to those who might be reading poker news with a gambling problem? Try the pawn shops. Do you have anything of value on you? Rings? Bracelets? A watch? A snazzy leather jacket? It may not get you much, but it will get you something at the ubiquitous Las Vegas pawn shops. Two suggestions. Don't take the first offer and check the daily price for gold and silver so you'll know if they're trying to rip you off. The one good thing about Las Vegas is that you have many places to choose from, so shop around. So see, the guy's giving serious advice. He's not just joking around like, ah, you know, go to the pawn shop if you're really broke. Ha, ha, ha. It's not like that. Like, he's giving you real advice here. He's really... Bring, exp- your, sna- bring your snazzy leather jacket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's, he's really trying to help you with if you're going to really do that. Now, here's my favorite, though. Number four. Sell your blood plasma. This is on Poker News, people, in the strategy section. Sell your blood plasma for gambling money. 
There are many private companies that sell blood and plasma for research. Ken Scaler does this, by the way. They'll pay you for yours. It's not the blood itself they're buying. It's your blood plasma, also known as platelets. You can expect to make between fifty and a hundred dollars, depending on the need and the company doing the buying. By, by the way, that's not what Ken makes. He makes like forty, I think. Oh, I think we lost Trader Ruski. Did we? Yeah, we did. Hmm. Let me try to get him back before I finish with the plasma. Can you believe this though? Plasma. Okay, got you back here. My bad. Okay, so once again, it pays to shop around. Don't be shy. Check online for the many companies that that buy plasma and get their best price. Since your blood is actually returned to your body after the platelets are extracted, it's possible to donate your plasma twice in three days. That is what they do. This is why plasma donations, it's, it's very popular with people who really need money badly, drug addicts, uh, ones like that. People, you can do it a lot more than giving blood. G- giving blood is very tough on your body, and there's uh, you can't do it that often. Plasma, they return the blood to your body without the plasma. So people can do it a few times a week, and uh, they uh, they do. But can you imagine, it's not like this is advice being given to those who are very poor, who are having trouble making rent or feeding their family. I can understand that. Okay, these, these aren't bad suggestions. They're giving details here, which for the most part are correct, and they're giving good advice if you're going to do these things on, on how to get the most money. And uh, so, so this, It's not like he's giving incorrect or inaccurate advice, but this would be good advice for someone who's either out of a job and broke or, or making minimum wage and needs a bit more, can't make rent, whatever. Not people who need money to gamble, but Poker News is actually putting a strategy article out there telling people to sell their plasma to get gambling money. This is the most irresponsible thing. I mean, who approved <laughs> this? You know, like number eight, give hand jobs or blowing a guy does not make you gay if you want to get back in that. I was waiting to see that one. I was waiting like a, a search for search for someone who might be willing to take sexual favors for buy-ins. Uh, you must understand, especially in 2019, there is no shame in, in, in blowing another guy as long as you're not enjoying it and as long as you're only doing it for money. Like <laughs> I was waiting for that there, but it but it it wasn't. They they, they kept on the legal side here, but still. Then, number five, work as a temp. There are day labor companies like Manpower, Trojan Labor, Casino Job Center that pay minimum wage or a little more to anyone who's in good health, can prove U.S. citizenship and has a resume, and willing to show up for work at 5.30 a.m. And then they explain various ways you could get temp jobs. Again, not a bad piece of advice for those who need money for essentials, but not for gambling money. Number six, why even put this? Uh, find regular work. Well, thanks for that one. They, no, no one thought of that. There's also the possibility of getting hired off the street by any number of places that are displaying help wanted signs. There are restaurants, pharmacies, convenience stores, and the like. Just go in, fill out an application, tell them you're going ready to go to work right away. Uh, they'll probably want a commitment of time from you, like at least three months, but you can decide how to handle that. By law, even if you quit after a day or two, they must pay you for your time. So this one is even worse than it sounds. It's not just an obvious thing he's telling you, oh, you can get a job. He's saying, go in, lie, you're going to work for them for three months or more, and then just ditch out after a day or two, and by law, they have to pay you, which is kind of crappy. Employers hate when you do that, and rightfully so. So that's, that's, that's kind of, he even put it, it's not the most, it's not the most ethical thing to make such a commitment and then not honor it, but you're broke, so it's better than panhandling or stealing. 
Yeah, but you don't print this in poker news. Like Unreal. Stand by the valet at the Bellagio and wait for a Rolls Royce to pull out <laughs> and jump in front of it. The, the stand, wear a, a dress up like, like Humpty Hump and rob the Bellagio. And just uh, be careful not to do it when there's a pervert there kidnapping a 12-year-old at the same time. That's that's the one thing you got to be careful of. You're gonna, if you can do the Humpty Hump robbery trick, just be careful that doesn't happen. Or you get shot dead. So this guy, Ashley Adams, he was, I hadn't heard of him before, but it says Ashley Adams has been playing poker for 50 years, obviously not a youngster, and writing it about it since 2000. He's the author of hundreds of articles and two books, Winning Seven Card Stud, which is from 2003, and Winning No Limit Hold'em from 2012. He's also the host of poker radio show House of Cards, which you can go to find at houseofcardsradio.com. Let's, let's go there. Okay, so I click there. House of Cards Radio. Let's hear this, Ashley Adams. So it says, produced by something Granary Way Media. And you have, there, there's a button to press enter, like you're entering. There's that kind of weird arch on top of it, like you enter a haunted house. Let's press enter. I wonder if he's used all these, by the way. Yeah, yeah. He's 50 years he's been playing poker. It sounds like this is all personal experience. Well, the show has a phone number, but I assume it's, it wouldn't answer right now. But let's let's listen to a show. They, this this week they have uh, Lynn Gilmartin on and uh, Andrew J. Cohen. Let's, let's take a listen to House of Cards Radio. Wait, wait hold on. That take me to the World Poker Tour site. I must be clicking something. I hate when it's not easy to to listen to something. Like I, on my site, I make it I, I make it pretty easy to listen. This is see, I can't even find how to listen. This this is not done well here. Let's see. Podcast. Maybe that's it. Why is it so hard to play this damn thing? Oh, here we go. Finally found it. House of Cards is brought to you by Drizzly, your online liquor store. Available in over 95 cities across North America, Drizzly offers a huge selection and competitive pricing with a side of personalized content. Online liquor store. So in attempt, not only does he give you advice on how to become uh, a problem gambler, but, but also how to become a problem drunk. Now there's no I, need to leave the house. What was that? I thought it was going to be sponsored by the Plasma Center. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. There could have been a tie-in here. Skid alcohol delivered in less than an hour by Drizzly. Head on over to drizzly.com and order today. Is there anything this guy does that doesn't encourage uh, destructive behavior? And now get $5 off your first order of $20 or more when using promo code DRINK19 at checkout. Shop beer, wine, and liquor with drizzly.com. Waiting for the next ad for uh, the local cocaine dealer. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to House of Cards. Today, the game is different. I want to gamble. Gambling is a very serious business. Is that clear? I need an intro like this. I, I, I don't have an intro to the show. Like, I stopped playing music. I've just been playing, like, little clips of things now. But I, I don't, I, I've meant to do an intro like this, but uh, I just haven't gotten around to it. I, I think I need the motivation of, like, alcohol within an hour. I'm getting fired up here. Welcome to House of Cards. Dave Weishout with here, deep from the swamps of Jersey. Wait, where's Ashley? Great show coming up for you. You know, esports has been all over the news lately, and casinos are starting to take notice. Our guest coming up is an expert in esports. He is Ari Fox from Fox Marketing. Before we get to that, we have a call. Someone, someone trying to call in here. 
Is there someone from the 702 is trying to call in here? Um, I keep missing the guy. You can try to call back. I'll take your call while I'm playing this. And the creator of the Casino Esports Conference. I want to hear Ashley. I don't care about this Dave guy. Gaming, and is now part of the Ice North America Conference being held in Boston, Massachusetts, May 13th to the 15th. We're going to hear all about esports and the impact it's going to have in our near future. So stick around. We'll be right back with House of Cards. Right, wait, wait. Right back. You haven't even done anything yet. Now let's take the call here. This is pissing me off. All right, caller, you're on the air. Caller, hello. Hey, what's up, Druff? What's up, Trader Ruski? Who is this? It's New York Mark, the poker dealer. Oh, New York Mark. Hello, how are you doing? Hey, I know Trader Ruski was only joking when he said about jumping in the Bellagio in front of a Rolls Royce. But you guys want to hear two stories from Manhattan from when I was a child about 40 years ago? You know what? Hold on. Hold on. I, I can't. The problem is I won't be able to hear the story. You've, you've got a very bad connection right now. It's, it's really, really static. Can you hear me better now? Yeah, that's a lot better. Yeah. Go, go ahead and tell us your story. Much better. You were mentioning a joke that you said about a guy jumping in front of a Rolls Royce in front of the Bellagio. Would you like to hear a true story from Manhattan about 50 years ago? Go ahead. Let, let's hear it. Okay, so I live in Manhattan all my life. I grew up a few blocks from a hotel called the Carlisle Hotel. It's on 82nd Street and 5th Avenue across from the Metropolitan Museum of Art. So my father, he was a shoe repairman on Lexington Avenue, 82nd. But he knew a lot of shady characters and guys, would forget about real characters that Gruff would love. Anyway, this one Puerto Rican kid, he's got a big scheme. He tells my father and me, I'm only a kid, about five, seven years old, but I never forget these stories. He tells my father, my uncles, he's going to go up to Fifth Avenue and make a huge score. He stole a chauffeur's outfit. He's got the hat and everything. He runs up to Fifth Avenue and 82nd Street. He goes in the Carlisle Hotel, and he waits till the limo's pulling up on Fifth Avenue and jumps in front of it. It hits him. Breaks his leg, he's in heaven, he's in the hospital, he's got a big case coming up, and now the DA comes and trying to threaten him that they know he's he's doing the wrong thing, and you jumped in front, we got witness. He denies everything, and he wins a few thousand dollars back in the 1970s. A couple of months later, he gets a bigger brainstorm. He's going to walk down a Con Edison manhole cover. He makes another few thousand dollars. This is a no-bullshit story. By the end of the year, he goes down to the Metropolitan Transit Authority to the subway station on 86th Street and Lexington Avenue. He's got a cast on his leg from the Con Edison. He's still whacked out from getting hit by the limo. And now he gets hit, he gets his leg caught in the train. He's in the hospital with a third lawsuit. They're really giving him a hard time. So now he gets out of everything, out of the hospital. He's got a few thousand dollars, and a lawyer tells him, give this up. You're going to get in trouble. He goes back to the Carlisle, the same place. He jumps in front of a limousine, like you said, in front of a Rolls Royce with his chauffeur hat that he still had. Gets hit by the car. He's in the hospital with all kinds of terrible things. And the DA comes and visits him personally and tells him, you jumped in front of a stolen Rolls Royce. You ain't getting a dime. 
It was unbelievable. <laughs> these are the people I grew up That's with. That's hilarious. Why, 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 these are wow. true stories. The, the, only thing, the only thing I'm missing from this story, that why, why, why was the guy wearing a chauffeur's hat, though? What does that have to do with it? Because this is what he started the whole scheme with by stealing his chauffeur's uniform from the locker room of the Carlisle Hotel. So he was trying to think of ways he could make money with it. But he was always trying to sue people. He sued the city for the manhole cover. No, I, I understand that. But, but, what, but what is that? What I'm trying to understand is why is wearing a chauffeur's outfit help him oh, with getting hit by the car? When he went out in front of the car, when he went out in front of the hotel and waved the car down, the kid that pulled up in the car was a stolen car. It was a stolen road. No, 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 no I know that. No, I'm asking, I'm asking where, where, does the chauffeur's, where does the chauffeur's outfit fit into this story? That's what I'm not understanding. Oh, because because he's one of the chauffeurs from the hotel so that the guy would turn over the car to him because they ain't going to turn over right, the car to Right, but he was probably just trying to fit in, though, up. right? Right, he was just trying to fit into the crowd and, and relieve the chauffeur dealer from the car and, and be with the, but the guy pulled in fast, hot, what they call He pulled in hot and he hit the kid. The kid wind up with all kind of broken legs and everything and they found out it was a stolen car, a stolen Rolls Royce. <laughs> The guy didn't even work for the Carlisle. He just picked a bad day. He just—he had a great plan, but it was just well. The wrong see, day. see, it's like it's like that. It's like the Humpty Hump guy who was who was robbing the Bellagio. He picked the wrong day when there was when there was a, a, a when there was a they were there that to arrest him. Didn't he get killed by yeah, the police? Yeah, well, it was the poor killed? guy. I mean, he did try to he tried to shoot people, but uh, yeah, he 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 got killed because he was he happened to try all this BS on the same day the police were there for uh, arresting a pervert who had kidnapped a twelve year old girl. Rough when it ain't your day, it ain't your day. Yep, that's what happened. <laughs> hey, guess what? Weeks ago, when I called you, I was still fighting the big C, but my doctor gave me the clear sign, and I just got to go for the radiation for six weeks. Five that's great. Times a week. That is great. And he said I could still work the World Series. Oh, good, poker. good. So your good deal is going to be there. For I hope you. so. I, I, I hope it for you, and I ain't buying no package from my good friend Dan. <laughs> he's not my friend, but he's a good guy I always whoop for. But well, as soon as I seen that you got your nose up in the air, I got to trust you, Druff. Well, thank you. Because you never led the people wrong in 15 years. Well, I, I, look, so I, 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 I hope... I not trust you when you got suspicious. I'm only an amateur. I mean, I should know more about buying packages, but... I don't know that much, but I just know he's given a high markup. But he's always been a nice guy, a pleasant person to deal with, never been this polite. But as soon as you got suspicious, I see what you're saying now. I talked yeah. to some friends. I studied it. He's really taking advantage of the amateur. You yeah, know? he is. He is. And, and, and right, he's, he doesn't have a bad reputation, and he and he's... he's yeah, you know, pleasant at the table. That part's all true. By, by the way, I do hope you are you are dealing to me. I'm going to be in my first event 15 days from today. I'm May 30th at the 08, the 1500 08. I I, I, I I always run well when you deal to me, so I, I hope I get you again, and I hope the streak continues, and I can, I can run up a stack there. Hey, rub Fedorowski's head. Maybe you could pass the luck that I deal to you on to him when he's playing Maybe. that big Triple A or the big fifty tournament. It, it only I don't seems even to know work. What he looks like, but if I'm dealing to him. Tell him he can't miss my voice, and I'm a bald-headed guy now with a big New York accent, all right? Yeah, okay. And I love yeah, you guys. Yeah, I, I think, I love I, I think I've seen you before. And I'm rooting for you guys every day that I deal to you. I'm okay. rooting for you, even though I don't say it out loud. I know it ain't correct, but I'm rooting for you, Druff. I appreciate right? it. It's, it's, it's worked out. I've done very well when you dealt to me, so thank you.
Hey, I love you guys. Thanks for that story, Trader Ruski. People really jump in front of limos. Don't forget that. Okay. Thank you. But Absolutely. Sure and it was just... It, all right? And it was justice, too, because it sounds like that was the guy's original scheme why she stole the chauffeur outfit to begin with, because he was going right. to steal the limo. Then the right. one he jumped out in front of, the guy had done the thing he started with months before. That's hilarious. You only got to come from Manhattan to really believe it. You got to be from Manhattan, New York. But I love you guys. I see you in that 6120 yep. game, Druff. Don't be mad when I check raise you. We're still friends, okay? Okay, no, no problem. All right, we'll talk to you later. I love you guys. All right, wow. bye. It's our, our New York listeners seems to be doing a lot better with uh, a cancer survivor. So that, that's great. He could be that was, that was great. What a character dealing the World Series and uh, yeah, I've, I've mentioned this before. The guy actually uh, he, he lectured people at the table that they they better respect me that I call out all the, the scums and bad guys in poker. He told that to me. He said, "You know who this guy is here?" And pointed to me and told told the people at the table who I was and what I do. And uh, so, and then I then I ran over everybody at the table because I got dealt the good cards. So as I always seem to do with with him and anyone else I, I know who deals to me or who listens to the show. It's. Uh, it, 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 can you imagine the reverse? If every time someone who listens to this show dealt to me, if I just got killed, I, I would look like the biggest fish to the listeners here. It would be embarrassing. Instead, instead, it looks like I'm the best player who's ever lived. All right, so moving on here. Oh, no, wait, we're not moving on here. Hold on, I got sidetracked. But we were playing uh, that that podcast there. Let's get back to this. I got to find the right window I was in. I have a million windows open here. Let's. Where is it here? Not that. I think it's this here. Let me see. Here we are. Let's, let's continue. I, I want to get this guy's voice. Whoa! Hold on here. Jeez, is there anything but loud music on this thing? Spread betting, money line betting, prop bets. You name it, you'll find it at PointsBet. And you can bet oh from anywhere God. in New Jersey using your mobile device. This thing's like all ads. How come these failed podcasts all have like a million ads and I, I don't have anything? I mean, I I appreciate Eric Benzamokin and and the money he donates, and uh, you know, and I play his ad as a courtesy. But why why don't I have these sponsors here? I, think I, I don't have alcohol that delivers to you in an hour or some something about sports handicapping. Ridiculous here. It's the only place with points betting where every point will be twenty one years or older. And in I'm New Jersey, the place of bet. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. <laughs> now there's now there's sex stuff. So let's see, we're, we're covering everything. We're, we're covering the gambling addiction. I can't hear, by the way. Oh, you can't. I'll, get, I'll put I it back see on the here. Screen, but can't hear. Oh, weird. Okay, I'm gonna put this back on. Uh, I bet it's because of the call. That probably is why Skype is a piece of crap. Okay, so I I, I don't believe this. They've had they have everything here. They have. Gambling addiction, they have alcohol addiction, they now have sex addiction. They're trying to encourage every possible addiction. Go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, BABE16, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sex... Including? First of all, how is it a secret code if this is like a pre-made commercial, not just for this show? What, 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 what I want to know code that we're broadcasting over the radio. What, what I want to know is how are they getting big sponsors like Adam and Eve? Like, a, can I just call up Adam and Eve and have them be a sponsor of this show? 
how do they manage this? How, how do they do it? And well, I can't. It, it'd be like it's because it's probably like an ad network. I'll bet. Maybe I, I, you know, which is something to potentially look into. I, I, I should. I, I think I'm getting jealous. The item for him, a special toy for her. Ooh, a special toy for her. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and a third item you'll both enjoy. Oh, we both enjoy. What would that be like? A double-headed dildo? I, I, I'm just gonna move on. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, vroom, vroom. your curiosity, mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Oh boy, free shipping! So you can be embarrassed when your mailman delivers this. Uh, all these sex toys. Great. And discreet packaging. Oh, discreet packaging. That's good. Com now get fifty percent off plus the ten free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code Babe sixteen. That's Babe sixteen because without it, no free stuff. That's Babe sixteen at AdamandEve.com. You know, ever since the U.S. Supreme Court handed down its decision lifting the national ban on. Okay, so how many ads are they going to have here? Like, like. 20 of them before they get going. I just want to hear no, that. And, and like you said, all he said was like 30 seconds worth of stuff and then went to 14. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was no content. Yeah. <laughs> At least it's easy to skip. Sports betting. Okay, I'm, I'm going to skip forward. On the entire- oh, this, is, this is creative. They're playing Poker Face by Lady Gaga. That, that, that wasn't even funny 10 years ago. Oh, I see. It's a parody. Oh, that's that's clever. It's it's not a parody. It's the actual song, but someone else is singing it. I don't, I don't understand what's going on here. What's the point of what's the point of this segment? When I, when I listen when I listen to other podcasts and shows that kind of compete with this one, I, I have to admit uh, there's things I'm jealous of and things I'm not jealous of. There's there's things that just leave me scratching my head. What is this? That was really annoying. I had to skip it. More heavy metal music. You're listening to the number one heavy metal music station in Los Angeles. 105 KNAC. Welcome back to House of Cards. Dave Weishaddle with you. One of the hottest trends in gaming and casinos nowadays is esports, and our next guest is at the forefront of this exploding market. Well, we don't have Ashley Adams, though. We have this Dave Weishaddle, but there's no Ashley Adams. And the creator Where is he? Casino Esports Conference, which is now working with Clarion Gaming to bring this amazing esports experience to Ice North America, being held in Boston, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. May 13th to the 15th. Ari, right, thanks for joining us. Um, that, uh, I don't think we're going to um, hear him. Regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation, send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow us on Twitter at HOC Radio. No, I guess he's not on this episode. This isn't well, he worth... called in sick. He, he donated plasma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He was probably waiting in line at the plasma place and then, and then had to go take a survey and then had to go do some temp work. And uh, then maybe he even did you know, blow a guy outside the poker room. He's probably busy. He's probably busy. 
Against my better judgment, I'm going to go one episode back and see if we can find his voice here. House of Cards is brought to you by... There's so much publicity. Oh. It's it's uh, Meadowlands is. Uh, I mean, I'll walk in front of you in, in every room and I'll introduce you. <laughs> so. I'm thinking about that. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, that's <was> cool. <laughs> uh, Welcome back to House of Cards. Dave Weishaddle with you. You know, that's the same guy. I, I don't think I don't think Ashley Adams is around anymore. I think that uh, I think this is only Dave's show now. I think he handed it off. I think I think you're right, Traders. I think he's busy with his his other activities, so to speak. Well, he might have he might have pawned the lap shop he normally runs his show from. Oh, here someone someone found one for us. I got I got to read the chat room more. Um, yeah, I was going to look for it too. All right, cool. Oh, can you believe this here? Shiz Money is saying this podcast looks like it's Westwood One affiliated. Westwood is owned by CBS, so the ads are probably sold by some sales rep somewhere, and the person doing the podcast probably has nothing to do with the ads on this failed pod. Can you believe this thing is this thing is actually right. on Westwood One? I mean, I, I, it does sound yeah, like well, it's... Well, that's like an ad network, and they got on some hokey-doke station somewhere, and then Westwood One just sells into the whole market. And then they pick, what do I want for the sex ads and the this ads and the that ads? <laughs> Let's see. Uh, let's go to. Uh, it says thirteen minutes in on episode five eighty five. So let's try that. Uh, this is suggested by Shiz Money, who's listening right. See, I'm glad our listeners help us out here because I honestly I I didn't go to this until we were just talking about it right now. Like I'll come up with these ideas during the show somehow. Like I I try to prepare, but then sometimes these things just come to me during the show. Like we got to find this guy. Okay, let's, let's jump to 30 minutes. Tournaments to win a gold. Uh, you have bazillions in vet bills. Everything we tried failed. Jeez, everything. Adams, your host. Our listeners, by oh, here the way, he is. we are, if you just tuned in, we're talking with Seth Polanski about the world. Oh, Seth Polanski of all things. So we got the, the, we got the, the double-edged sword here. We got Seth Polanski. double We double, We got uh, Seth Polanski and Ashley Adams. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, you have, I think, more... High roller events as well. Could you tell us about your marquee high roller events, bigger than ten thousand dollar buy-ins? Yeah, sure. We have a twenty-five thousand dollar, two fifty thousand dollars, and a hundred thousand dollar event on the schedule this year, as that marketplace has uh, uh, found a relative uh, stabilized home for players that want to play on that level. I guess it takes some guys a little more to get out of bed in the morning, and uh, we want to make sure we have an offering uh, catered to those guys. Too bad Asian Spot's not alive anymore. He loved that the most. He, Asian Spot loved this. <laughs> this is, uh, so I, I guess Ashley is, uh, this is almost like a propaganda piece for the World Series. So, Seth, can you tell us about the high roller event you're having? Well, yes, we can. We're having a high roller event of a twenty-five thousand this year. Like this isn't very interesting. This is not hard-hitting radio. You may have to change your voice to to talk like this. You know, yeah, you know, they're, they're, right. They seem to be trying really hard to do the stereotypical radio voice. Well, Seth Pulaski right. is our even next guest. <laughs> yeah, even Seth's trying. You're right. He's doing it too. <laughs> <laughs> This is Ashley Adams. We're going to have on Seth Pulaski right now to talk about the high roller events the World Series is going to have. Seth, take it away. 
Oh, yeah, so this is Seth Lansky, and I'm trying to do the same thing as you because I don't want to be uh, upstaged by you with a radio voice. Even though I'm a, a Caesars executive, I've got to sound just as radio-ready as you do. Well, thank you very much, Seth, and uh, caller number seven will win tickets to the upcoming New Kids on the Block show. To re-amp. Okay, That's, uh, I've heard enough of this. I've heard enough. Um... Shiz Money said, I've played with Ashley before. Couldn't even beat the $20 rebuy tournaments in Boston I played 10 years ago. LOL. <laughs> well, all I know is that uh, that article is ridiculous, and I can't believe Poker News printed it. And I understand Poker News, they, they're not always trying to print newsworthy things. They do print a lot of advertorials. They print a lot of things which masquerade as news but are really promoting something and that's just kind of the state of poker news these days and i understand that uh we don't do that here but this is a different type of site and they might even have just really some intern they have the shows that are the advertorials that the sponsors paid for then they probably just have some intern going around looking for poker stores that they could use as filler space. Yeah, it might be that. Or, sure, you know. Maybe it's even possible Ashley or House of Cards Radio paid for this because they do promote him at the bottom. The only thing that makes me wonder if that's true is that it's not mentioned at all in the story itself. You have to see the end blurb about who Ashley Adams is and go to HouseOfCardsRadio.com. But it could have been a thing where he submitted this for free in exchange for having this promoted. Like, I wouldn't have found House of Cards Radio if it wasn't for that article, so I guess it worked in a way. And look, we, now I just gave them free publicity. Now we're going to have people who say, hey, I like Ashley Adams and his uh, fake radio host voice. I, I want to hear that. I want to hear these these hard-hitting interviews with Seth Polanski. And they they make... He's like that homeless guy they found with the golden voice <laughs> right. a few years ago. <laughs> Let's say, Ashley Adams, can you, uh, can you sell us macaroni and cheese? Well, yes, I can. Kraft macaroni and cheese is the cheesiest... Okay, let's let's move on. I, I I I when I saw that article come out, I just tweeted, "This is embarrassing to print." This is what I tweeted, and oddly enough, Charter Christian Harder, he just tweeted back, "Embarrassing," without even having seen my tweet. We actually had the exact same thought. That should tell you it's embarrassing if two separate people, their response back is embarrassing, but it was. I I, I really felt like Poker News has hit rock bottom. And I, I don't have a reason to bash Poker News. In fact, they've been fairly nice to me and to Poker Fraud Alert in recent years. But they, they've just put out some stupid things recently. They they also put out some stupid advice regarding Deuce's Wild Video Poker. Just like really bad advice that I, I had to take them to task for. And, and the reason I do this is because I, I just think some of these articles are irresponsible. Like the... Uh, this one with trying to encourage problem gambling and the uh, the Deuces Wild article encouraging wrong strategy for, for these games. Uh, I, I'd be fine if they – the Deuces Wild thing was kind of an advertorial for some online casino. And I'd be fine if they put a good strategy piece out there and then also promoted the online casino, provided it wasn't a scam casino. But to put out bad advice, which wasn't intentional, they just, just the person writing it didn't know what they were talking about. So I, 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 I just and listening. you can see people reading it that are broke that are like, oh wait, I don't even need money to go to Vegas. I yeah. just have to get on a bus to get there. Then they're donating plasma, you know. Yeah, and there's people who do this. It always amazes me. There are people who go to Vegas 
with no place to stay and no money and just think somehow it's going to work out. And and you ask them, why did you do this? Why did you come to Vegas with absolutely no money and no place to stay? And they answer, well, I, I don't really know. I was hoping I can just you know, hit it big somehow. Like they, they have this fantasy that somehow they'll get together a little bit of money and drop it in a slot machine and hit the million-dollar jackpot. And that's just not realistic. It's just not going to happen. It's, it's millions and millions of, of odds to one that this will happen for you. It, you just should never go to Vegas unless you have enough money to stay somewhere and to be able to eat and to be able to do what you want there. And, and by the way, those who sleep outside, there's some who actually do just kind of live like they're homeless in Vegas when they come there without this stuff. And it's dangerous. There have been murders in recent years, we've talked about on the show, of people sleeping outside in Vegas. There was a guy who shot dead in his car, who slept in a gym parking lot. There were the, these homeless people sleeping on the ground who were just getting uh, bludgeoned to death by that one psycho who's going to be released from prison in like a year and a half. So it's dangerous. There's, there's I know. And that Jim story too, that, you know, that cheap bastard, he doesn't want to pay for one extra night. He's a software engineer in the Silicon Valley. So he's making at least a buck 50 a year. Probably that guy had, he, that you guy know. had, that guy had some real chronic cheapness going on. Apparently he didn't even live. He, I think he was like living in his car there too. He was just like super, super, super cheap. And he, but he was making decent money there in uh, in Silicon Valley, and and he just. Right, I, but I think he had. I I thought it was that he had a room. He was going to CES, but he got in a day early, so then he was just in a shower, twenty four hour fitness, then check into his room the next day. No, he was actually there in like late December. Like I think the murder happened in December, so he. he no, was, no, it was the CES guy. It was a, it was CES. Sure. It was CES, but CES hadn't started yet. It was it was. You're you're right. It was before CES, but it was oh, more, right. it was oh, more than a day before. before. He he just used he was just used to sleeping in his car, and he thought he was clever saving money, and then he was unlucky that uh, the this this drug addicted uh, psycho who who was breaking into cars that night uh, sees him sleeping there and, and thinks thinks the guy is going to be an easy victim and then because he's in like this uh, drug induced uh, psychosis somehow thinks the guy he's going to rob is a threat and just shoots him dead and uh, it's a you know, sad story and that and that, uh, that guy and his girlfriend are, are now in jail but uh, yeah but he did save money. They save money. I know. You, there's some points where you just got to, even for me, that, that even I will say, at some points you've got to not be totally cheap. There's sometimes you got to spend the money. Sometimes it's not, not worth saving the money. Uh, I, I have to, speaking of money, I have to go through the arduous task of, of selecting a new refrigerator. My, my refrigerator has gone from like partially not working to completely dead. So I, I have a back refrigerator here. It's in the garage that I've been kind of we've been kind of tolerating but uh th- this isn't what i wanted to do with my my time right before the world series and uh and then uh, benjamin's mom she actually wants a better refrigerator than we had before she actually she wants it to, now that it's dead she wants to upgrade it she wasn't even that unhappy it died because now now we get to upgrade the refrigerator but it requires making more space for it and we've got it, it's a it's a you better check and see if there's any wires cut in the back or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that cabinet. Actually, my mom just bought a fridge, and I'm sure she researched the hell of it. So, just text me what size. Uh, she might already have. Some okay, ideas. I, mean, I, I, I would save be, me some time. Yeah, I know we can only go like uh, 30 inches deep 
that's that's the most it can the most space we have. We can go a little bit more up or to the side. We have to have someone who can uh, do the the work on on that. But I, I can hire someone for that. But what about a pain in the ass? I, I hate when things like that just abruptly break. And uh, I'm just waiting for the water heater to go. It's tw- twenty years old. It's twenty years old. It's yeah. just it's just waiting to hit me at the wrong time. That's the next thing. Okay, so at least at least you had the backup fridge. I do. If it wasn't that, I'd be. I, the, the thing is, that's making me procrastinate some. Like, if if, if we had no fridge at all, no, I probably no, would have no. this done already. It's the fact that there is the backup fridge that's making it a little more tolerable. It still kind of sucks, but it's like it, it's much more tolerable than than having no fridge. Which I, I had that before, and I remember going out and buying like a styrofoam cooler for like two dollars and uh, putting ice in it, and. Uh, Yep, I, I did that too. Yeah, that's what I busted. And and you know what I actually did in Mammoth when the refrigerator broke there is uh, I actually stole ice from, from the <laughs> the condo complex up the street. And it wasn't that I was trying to be cheap, but uh, when I say stole ice, I mean they had an ice machine there. It was a huge complex with an ice machine, so I would just go there and fill up a bag with ice and uh, discreetly walk out of there. But the reason I was doing that was that uh, I hate buying those bags of ice, not out of cheapness, but they're terrible. They, they, like after a very short time, the, all the ice sticks together, and it's very hard to, to break apart and, and use. And it's just a, it's so much nicer just to have daily ice cubes made for you. It's not even the cost. I just uh, I didn't want to buy one of those fail bags. So I, every day I would go to the hotel complex with a bag. Of, and now it's a condo that that kind of acts as a hotel too. So. Just walking in and out with bags doesn't look suspicious at all, and I, I would fill it up with ice and leave. And so, yes, I I, I will admit, here, here's a fraud for you uh, committed by me. I, I was uh, stealing ice from a condo complex up the street. And uh, you can report me for that to the Mammoth Police. I won't give you the date, though. It's going to be hard to prove. It, it could be outside the statute of limitations. I won't say when it happened. Okay, so let's, let's move to uh, the next topic here. The IRS has seized a lot from a poker player. A poker player who almost made a final table last year at the World Series of Poker. The IRS has seized a lot of assets from him. One million dollars. No, much more than that. Much more than that. Not... One hundred billion dollars. But they've seized four million dollars from a poker player who I will identify shortly. Nobody's identifying him, but I'm going to do it. I will identify him shortly over an issue that has nothing to do with poker. It actually has to do with piracy. The IRS seized four million dollars in U.S. funds and cryptocurrency from a 28-year-old man in Newport, Oregon. Now, this is not Newport Beach, California. This is not Newport, Rhode Island. Both both of them are considerably more famous. This is Newport, Oregon. And they also seized his home, which is on the ocean. And the reason for these seizures, nothing to do with poker, doesn't actually directly have to do with Bitcoin. It has to do with a website called Noob Room. That's N-O-O-B-R-O-O-M.com. Noob Room. Apparently, this guy, who is also a poker player, ran Noob Room and other similar services 
since uh, at least 2013, and for $10 a month, was streaming lots of pirated material, like movies and TV shows and other things that they should not have been streaming. They didn't have the license to do so. They just would download these and uh, stream them. And for $10 a month, you could stream and download copyrighted movies and television shows. Which is not a good idea because the Motion Picture Association is pretty aggressive with going after sites that do this. If you're going to do this crap, you better not live in the U.S. because they're going to get you. This is not a, a good business model. It's going to end in something not very good for you. So it says, in October 2013, Homeland Security investigation agents received information from PayPal regarding websites identified as newbroom.com and newbroom7.com that allowed subscribers to stream and download copyright movies and television shows. It sounds like this guy was accepting the payments on PayPal, and then PayPal noticed it and uh, reported it. That's not very good. PayPal watches. Like, like PayPal gave me a hard time when uh, the, when I was posting stuff about taking PayPal payments here for nothing illegal on this site. And I told them that, but they didn't care. They gave me the middle finger. Uh, Homeland Security contacted the Motion Picture Association regarding these websites, requesting the open investigation to determine if the websites were authorized by member studios to offer the copyrighted content to subscribers. The MPAA uh, assists the motion picture and television industry to protect their intellectual property rights, including copyrights. Uh, in November 2013, the Motion Picture Association provided a report of their investigation to the Homeland Security uh, investigation. In, in According to the FPAA report, NewBroom7.com and its associated websites, NewBroom5.com and NewBroom9.com, were distributing without authorization from the copyright holder motion pictures and television shows that are protected by United States copyrights. So just a month later, they came back with a report, which I'm sure surprises nobody that they find a site like that. And oh, lo and behold, they're not authorized to distribute this stuff. So they started their investigation. And believe it or not, instead of busting the guy, which you'd think what they would do, like you would totally think that they would come down hard on him at this point. The MPAA is, is very protective of the, of the copyrights of, of their members. And the guy was actually collecting money. This wasn't just uh, like torrenting where people are distributing these movies for free to each other. This is where the guy's making 10 bucks a month from a lot of subscribers to get this stuff. So you would think the guy would just be arrested right there. But no, on January, uh, July 17, 2014, the MPAA sent an email to him and directed him to cease and desist operating the illegal website. So the content of the email notified the operator of New Broom that they were violating copyright laws and requested they take immediate steps to address the copyright infringement. Uh, apparently, five days after the MPAA sent the cease and desist letter to New Broom, the MPAA received an email to its undercover subscription at, at New Broom. The email was uh, the email the subject New Broom important update. The email advised that user accounts had been moved to a new website, www.superchillin.com. <laughs> <laughs> so stupidly I mean this guy wasn't a very smart criminal stupidly not only does the guy run this movie and TV piracy site from the US where he was easy to reach and bust 
But once they were on to him, once he gets an email from the MPAA itself saying, uh, hey, can you cut this out, please? Instead of going, okay, I'm going to stop and hope they don't bust me now. Instead of that, it's like, yeah, I'm going to email to my massive subscriber base that we're moving to a new site. And I'm sure there's no chance that one of these subscribers is not someone at the MPAA watching this whole thing. Or not someone at the FBI watching, not someone at the uh, at Homeland Security watching. Just, I, I'm sure every single member getting this is totally legit and not going to report me. So they, they they moved over to Super Chillin and started looking at that, and it said uh, eight, Homeland Security agents were able to download movies from Super Chillin and obtained IP address information while downloading those movies. With this information, they identified the company hosting the servers and. Uh, the account associated with this IP address was held in the name of the person involved, which I'll tell you in a second, and included a phone number frequently associated with that person. Uh, through additional investigative efforts, two more sites linked to this person were identified, movietv.to and sit2play.com. In June 2016, Homeland Security agents attempted to log into Movie TV and were redirected to Sit to Play, which accepted the log information for Movie TV. So this guy just kept moving things around and thought somehow this was going to work. In 2017, agents attempted to renew the subscription to Movie TV and found the Movie TV address had a notification posted that the site was moved to Sit to Play. Uh, Homeland Security agents downloaded content from Super Chill and Movie TV and Sit to Play through, throughout 2016 and up to the present. The Motion Picture Association reported that the subject websites listed above were distributing it without authorization from copyright holder motion pictures and television shows that are protected by U.S. copyrights. Blah, 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 blah. I won't go on with that, but then we'll finish off. Based on financial records obtained during the investigation, it was determined that uh, the person involved, again, who I'll identify shortly, received substantial revenue from the above listed websites. In 2018, he was averaging over $500,000 per month from these websites. Wow. In 2017, he received over $2.2 million. In 2016, received over $1 million in revenue. And in 2014 and 15, received on average about $400,000 per year in revenue. He's not been arrested yet. What happened is that they have seized his property. They seized his money. They seized his, seized his cryptocurrency, and they seized his house. The interesting thing here is that uh, what he has to do now to get this stuff back this this goes along with the uh, asset forfeiture thing. This is one of the few uh, reasonable usage of asset forfeiture. Unfortunately, most of it is a scam these days by the government to steal from people. But but now, basically, this guy has to go to court and prove that the assets that were seized were obtain, obtained legitimately, which he won't be able to do. He'll have to show where he made the money to get all this stuff and all, and, and all this money, where, where it all came from. And uh, if he doesn't attempt to counter these IRS seizures, then he just gives up by default and these things just get taken. This is an interesting tactic because it's believed what they're trying to do is seize the stuff, let him just basically uh, (laughs) be afraid to counter it, knowing he's going to lose and knowing it's going to open it up to further... uh, 
scrutiny that they might arrest him if he tries to step forward about it. And then maybe they'll arrest him later anyway. But they feel that they can just grab all this stuff now because they feel he won't challenge it. And then after that, see if they want to arrest him too. Uh... There is possibility he could claim that uh, there is some illegal search and seizure, that uh, there is a lack of jurisdiction, there was a statute of limitations problems, but but uh, I don't know. I, I think that uh, he's probably screwed here. The person involved, who is it? They identified him as a professional poker player even though it seems that's not really his profession. It seems like he's a poker player who is actually a a professional movie and TV show pirater. This story was covered by KOIN, which is a a TV station in Oregon, and also by FlushDraw.net. Haley Hintz did an article. But neither of them wanted to name the guy. But I have figured out who he probably is. And I say probably, so keep in mind, I might be wrong about this. But there is information that the, quote, professional poker player who was arrested for this is 28 years old from Newport, Oregon, which is not a very big town. And at a fairly recent World Series of Poker event, finished between 10th and 18th place. Those were the clues that I had to work with. So again, from Newport, Oregon, which has a population around 10,000 people. It's not a very big town. 28 years old. Cash in a fairly recent World Series event between 10th and 18th place. So I searched, I did some work, and I came up with someone. I came up with get back to the page. Talon White. I don't know if it's Taylor or Talon. T-A-L-O-N White. He is from Newport. My records show that he is 28 years old. In 2018, he cashed 14th at the 08 event. The 10K 08 event, which I played. His only other cash at the World Series of Poker was also last year at the six-handed 1500 no limit, but he cashed a uh, min cash at 245th place. But he did get 14th in the 08 event, which isn't a big field. It's a 10K event. But I was in that event. I'm trying to remember if this guy, he might have been, but I can't say for sure. There were a number of fish, believe it or not, at my 10K first table at the 08 event which I was very surprised about. And to show you, it wasn't just me who was uh, misjudging players. David ODB Baker, you know, my good pal, he tweeted that he's never seen such a soft 10K table in his poker career. He tweeted this because he was one of the first ones out. He just ran really bad. I didn't run much better. I kind of treaded water for a while and then just went into the toilet and then I was gone. I... I Busted near the end of day one, shortly after that table broke. He he busted hours earlier, David Baker. But but really, aside from him, um, most of the other players were bad. And then when some of these bad players busted, 
I'm going, okay, well, I'm sure they're going to move some good players now. No, the players they replaced them with were actually worse. They actually got worse. <laughs> we didn't think it was possible, but they actually replaced them with worse players. This was a table where had you run decently as a decent player, you could have just cleaned up and been like by far the biggest stack there, at least for the moment. I was like salivating seeing this table. Uh, th- these were, I don't know how much you guys know about 08, but you know, it's a split pot game in Omaha. And uh, there were a lot of players there who would put in a lot of action with hands that were clearly second best or drawing to second best and uh, multiple players in each pot where if you've got it really locked up and don't get screwed, you could win huge pots. And a few times I would flop gigantic and think, okay, this is going to be it. And a ton of action goes in and then I get counterfeited on the river. So, or at best I'll, I'll get screwed and they'll make some, uh, you know, my nut low will, will get counterfeited and I'll win half the pot when I've, had a very strong both ends the whole way. Uh, things like that happen. So I'm not going to recap that whole event. But uh, I'm trying to remember if he was one of the people. I, I don't know if I really recognize him or if I think I recognize him. He could have been or could have not have been. I can't be sure. Um, but he was in that event, and there wasn't there weren't a whole lot of people in that event. It's, you know, like 100 people or so, 120 people. I'm playing that event again this year. I hope I get the same type of starting table with some better luck. But that's, that's why I play these 10Ks, is you get actually a surprising number of people entering who suck. And then you have a lot of people who are very good, too. So you've just... The, the value there are the people that suck, because they're pretty much dead money for the most part. And then you've just got to hope to run well against the good players. But anyway, getting back to this, he it's got to be him, right? It, it's, it's 28 years old, from Newport, who finished between, ninth, or between 10th and 18th in a recent event. I, I mean, that's, that would be some coincidence if there's somebody else. So that's probably who it is. I can't find that much about him, though I'll admit I didn't look that much to find. His Hinden mob shows that he has a hundred k worth of total caches dating back to 2012, which is probably shortly after turn 21, and uh, the biggest cache he's ever had was uh, a 31k cash which is actually the first cash he ever had at uh, a second place at uh, some place called Pendleton the Spring Poker Roundup I've never even heard of it but the second biggest cash was that 08 hit he had now, I'm just about sure that's him was he just about sure a good chance it's him I don't know if he's an online player too but and they identify him as a poker pro, but uh, yeah, Talon White is probably the guy. Amazing how reckless this is. I, I'm really floored sometimes regarding the recklessness of certain criminals. And I thought this to some degree of Brian Mikon when he was running seals from the U.S. I thought that was foolhardy. But at least with Mikon, you can say there was no. There had not been a bust yet of any kind of Bitcoin gambling site in the U.S., so at least he could claim, well, we were just we're just gambling Bitcoin. It's technically legal, he thought. It wasn't, but yeah. At least he could claim he thought he had that defense or they weren't going to go after it or he wasn't big enough to go after it, whatever. The, the dumb part, he, they actually wouldn't have gone after him probably if he wasn't running it from Nevada. It was Nevada who went after him, not the federal government. That was the real dumb part, doing that from Las Vegas. But 
this guy is it, ten times more reckless, a hundred times more reckless, because here he's pirating U.S. TV and movies while living in Oregon. And that's well known that, that the federal government goes after that. There's no question they go after that. And the thing is, he had an out five years ago. They, they send him an email saying, hey, uh, knock this off. He should have thought, okay, I'm super lucky they're not putting me in handcuffs. I'm going to shut everything down right now and hope they don't come after me. That's what any sane person would do at that point. When you get an email or a letter from some kind of entity that is related to something illegal you're doing, and they warn you to stop, you should stop. (laughs) If you do not stop, you're probably going to jail. You should be happy you're getting that letter instead of just being arrested. At that point, when you get that letter, what do you think is going to happen? Just just switch to a different URL and they're going to forget? I I think maybe he just thought it was a form letter. It's so weird. And the email everybody? Yeah, to email everybody, yeah. Hey, yeah, I mean, to start... To do like a scam, a person would move from scam to scam. They're not like emailing the list of other people they scammed the last time and say, hey, come here now. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Why not just start a new one and pretend it's unaffiliated? Here he's actually informing everybody, hey, right, we're exactly. all moving We're all moving <laughs> over here. Hey, everybody who hopefully is not, not uh, from the federal government or the MPAA, hopefully, all of you, hopefully the many thousands of you are trustworthy. I, I think I can believe none of you are going to report me or, or aren't investigating me, right? Okay, good. I trust all 8,000 of you. How dumb was this guy? That's why I think maybe he was one of those fish. Like, how, how good could he have been at, at 08 if, he, if he's that dumb to do that? I don't know. Oh, my gosh. That's, uh, it could be a guy who's good at poker and just sucks at everything else. I don't know. Uh Someone said, hey, Druff, it's him for sure, and then tried to post a picture to the chat uh, from their own hard drive. So I appreciate the, the attempt to help me, but you, you got to put it online somehow. But uh, but the guy says, hey, Druff, it's him for sure. It's hard eight telling me. So I, he, he's trying to send some PDF, but it there's no way to get it. So if you could maybe email that to me, email it to me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. I'll lowercase dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. Is a, there's like talonwhite.pdf he was trying to send, but it, through the chat, it can't do that. I oh, said he posted it in the scammer. Th- okay, let's go see. He said he posted it there. Let me, let me go see. Let me go see. Oh, okay. Um, oh. Well, thank you, Hard Eight. Hard Eight actually found. I mean, the, the thread he made. No one's going to understand it because I haven't posted about it yet on the site. But, uh, but thank you anyway. I will, I, will, I will edit your post to make the context clear. But he found some documents from United States District Court, a complaint, and uh, let's see, where does it say Talon White here? Uh, plaintiff, where, where's the defendant? How come I don't see that? Let me go to the second document. I mean, it's got to be him. I just want to see what the documents say. 
Oh, yeah, here it is. Against Talon V. White, yeah. United States of America against Talon V. White. Yeah, see, I'm proud of myself for my, my poker results searching acumen. That's how I found it, just, just from these clues. And uh, there it is. So you can, you can go to Poker Fraud Alert, the Scam, Scandals, and Shadiness forum, and, and read especially the second thing he posted, two PDF files. It's a thread called Oregon Movie Scammer. And I will, I'll clean up the thread after the show to make it more clear to those who aren't listening to the show what he's trying to post here. But thank you for posting that. It's very useful. Yeah, so the moral of the story is if you're going to do things like that, uh, don't live in the U.S. And if you're warned to stop, then stop. And if you don't, I really can't blame anyone but you for you ending up in prison for a long time. But they've already taken his stuff. So I wonder where he is now. He, he must be sitting in some sleazy motel going, damn it, damn it, why, why did I email everybody of where I'm moving next? Why didn't I stop five years ago? Why? I think the money was just too good. I think he's making like 500k a month, thinking, "Oh, sweet, I can't stop this." You know, screw the MPAA. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just switch URLs. That'll, that'll throw them off my trail. I think he's probably going down the poker, uh, the card player magazine list. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Since I hear Bovada beeping in the background, Trader Ruski, uh, we'll talk about Bovada. Oh my bad. I do have something good to say about them, by the way. Okay, good. Well, I, I have something not so good. Well, sort of good, sort of bad. More, more bad than good. Uh, on Bovada, I've been playing a lot of 1530 and 3060 limit hold'em. That's, that's what I've been playing. And if you've been playing at those tables, I'm sure you've played me. They're, they're not that active, so I'm sure we've run into each other if you're a player in those games. You can't chat there, so you, you won't know who I am, and I won't know who you are, but... Uh, I've been playing there. These are not super active games, but they both of them run uh, at least a few times a day. A lot of times you'll go and they're just completely empty, especially in the middle of the night. But you'll you'll often find someone. You'll often find a game going during more prime hours, especially at thirty sixty. But often at fifteen thirty too. Usually it's one of the two. It's rare to have them both going. Usually one of the two goes. But they're both games that I'd say semi actively run. Well, not anymore. Uh, Bovada has made some changes that somewhat make sense and are somewhat baffling. They've completely removed Limit 08. So you can't play Limit 08 there anymore. That might sound like a big deal, but it actually isn't, because ever since they went to the anonymous tables, that completely killed the 08 scene. There, there used to be like a daily 30-60-08 game running there, that's gone. Completely gone. No more 08 on, on Bovada for years. It's a, it's a, shall I say it was there. There was You could sit at the table, but there was never anyone there playing. It was super, super rare that the game would go at any limit. So they realized that, and they removed the fixed limit 08. You just, it's grayed out. You can't click on it anymore. If you want to play limit 08, can't do it there. So it's not a big loss because the non-tables just killed it. Much more baffling was the fact that they removed 1530 Limit Hold'em. Because that one went. As I said, every day, at some point, usually that went. Just gone. So now, Limit Hold'em at the mid and 
upper mid limits, you can play 1020 and 3060 as the highest, but you can no longer play 1530. And there's nothing higher than 3060. There has been on that site. So basically, if you if you want to play for any meaningful money, it's, it's really only 3060 now. 1020 is already getting kind of low to where you're just not going to make or lose that much at, at limit hold'em. So it's, it's really too bad they killed the 1530. The 1530, especially because it's shorthanded and it's, it's online so it plays faster, 1530 was still big enough to where you can play it and still be worth your time. 1020 starts to be too low for anyone who wants to play like for a living or make any real decent money. 3060, that's a good game to play when it goes, provided it's not just you and other pros. But So I don't know why they killed the 1530. They've also completely killed the nine-handed... No Limit Hold'em on there at 510 and above. Six-handed still exists at 510 and 1020. 1020 has always been the highest on that site for No Limit. But there is no longer any nine-handed at 510 or 1020. Nine-handed Limit Hold'em was actually killed a while ago. But again, that was a game that was never running, so it was okay. Regarding the nine-handed 510 and 1020... The no-limit cash players have told me that what they've typically seen is that those end up going heads-up most of the time. And since there are no-limit heads-up tables, that they decided that it was kind of redundant and they'd rather just reduce the offerings to where there's fewer empty tables, so they they probably killed it for that reason. Though some people were unhappy because sometimes nine-handed would go, and now that's, that's gone. Well, I'm kind of understanding what they're trying to do here, but I'm also a little confused. A big problem with Bovada and Ignition is that you can't see what tables are running, period. I understood what they were trying to do with the anonymous tables. They were trying to stop bum hunting. They were trying to stop data mining. They were trying to stop people who were only sitting when fish would be there. They were trying to stop tracking Sites like Poker Scout, they didn't like having them track their traffic. Even though their traffic was pretty good, they, they didn't like the tracking. So they want nothing to be seen. They also don't even want you to be able to select your own table. They want you. They want to place you at a table. The problem with that is it's very difficult to find games. Unless the site is super active, which it isn't. It's, it's active by U.S. online poker standards nowadays, but it's not super active, especially at certain games. So you will often have trouble finding which games are running. Now, sure, you'll always find a, a one, two, or fifty cent a dollar no limit on there if that's what you're looking for. But you're you're not going to find things like 08 very easily, and even limit hold'em. It, it's hit and miss whether it's running or not. And this can be very frustrating for recreational players who say, "Hey, I want to play some limit hold'em right now." For example, they can't just glance at the lobby and see which games are going. Instead, they have to go through the arduous process of opening tables, selecting what they want to buy in, having it load, having it drop them there, and then see it's either not running, there's either nobody there, or it's them and and one person waiting heads up and they don't want to play. This is very demoralizing for regulars to find, instead of just having the regulars look and see what's going and be able to see it. And the thing is, they could accomplish a lot of what they were trying to accomplish and still show which games are running. Uh, for example, they could just have it where it, it has a little list of these are the games currently running. Click on one of these. Or you can click on open uh, open a new table at the, at these other limits. It could be something like that. They could change the client for that where you at least get visibility of which games are currently going. 
but they don't want to do that. And as a result, people show up, they see there's nobody at the table, and they just close it. And that's what's been, that's what killed the 08 games, and that's what's been somewhat killing all the games. They don't care that much because they're not really focusing on poker. They, they really want the fish on the site to lose in the casino and in the sports book. They don't really want them shooting off their money at poker to other pros. Or to pros there. They, they don't want the pros taking the fish money. They want to take the fish money. I'm surprised they even still have poker. I thought they were going to kill this a long time ago. But I think they just leave poker begrudgingly because they want to be kind of like a, a full gambling solution for people. Bovada offers poker, sports, and casino games. So they want someone who enjoys all of those things to be able to do it all in one place. But they've really killed the poker by making it so hard to see which games are running. So what they're doing here is trying to come up with a solution to that. They say, okay, well, 08 is just never running anymore. So why should we have it? Why should we have it as an option for people to click and never find anything? It just frustrates people. So let's just remove it. Okay. As much as I like playing 08 on there, I agree. What about the nine-handed No Limit Hold'em? I didn't watch too much how active that was, but if it's true, it's mainly just heads-up action that goes there. If, if it goes at all, fine. I can see killing that. And uh, the, the Limit Hold'em really baffles me, though. If, if that is going, and if some people like playing that because 3060 was too big for them, why not let it keep going? Why why kill it? They, they had the stats on how often it went, so what? it doesn't make any sense why they killed that. But overall, what they're trying to do is give fewer choices, so this way it's more likely that you'll land on the game people are playing. The more choices they have for you to pick of the type of game you want to sit in, the more likely that you'll encounter an empty table and get frustrated. So that's what they're trying to do, but I don't understand the limit hold'em thing. And uh, this uh, this is I don't think this is gonna be enough, and I think this is gonna really hurt the limit hold'em scene because not everybody wants to play thirty sixty, and I hope a lot of the action doesn't move to ten twenty because that's, it's not gonna be worth my time to play honestly. I don't think I could stomach playing ten twenty on there. Uh, apparently, by the way, un- unrelated, but Beer and Poker posted this on Poker Fraud Alert in the same thread. He said that Ignition has actually now allowed kind of a delayed transfer between players, which is the first time that ever that network has ever allowed it in its almost 20-year existence. They have stayed away from allowing player-to-player transfers, presumably to get to keep the government off their back, because player-to-player transfers could be used for money laundering. And they don't want that. They've actually been very smart on that network for their almost two-decade existence, in that they've, they know that they're operating illegally in many ways, but they're trying to do things to really stay out of the problem spots that would really get law enforcement's attention. So they didn't let the player transfers, the player-to-player transfers to go on so there couldn't be money laundering that way. If there was chip dumping, they would clamp down on it. 
they wouldn't allow people to sign up new accounts from places where you can play legal online poker, like Nevada. So they, they try to stay out of the way of the legal sites, and they try to prevent money laundering through their site because they, they don't want that to be the excuse that the federal government uses to finally go after them. And that's how they've avoided getting busted all these years, to be honest. They've been very smart about that. But Beer and Poker posted a link to something on Ignition, which I don't know if it's on Bovada too yet, but it's something called Vouchers. If you go to ignitioncasino.eu slash vouchers, you can see it. And what you do is you make a withdrawal, and instead of withdrawing through methods like Bitcoin or check, you select voucher. Then you can select an amount between $10 and $3,000, and it will send you a voucher code. Then you have to request a withdrawal. You have to wait for the withdrawal to be approved. So it's not an instant transfer. It's like it's like the same way of making a withdrawal where they, they you have to wait the few days for them to approve it. And once you once it is approved, they will send you a code which you can send to somebody else to deposit. So you, you take the voucher code, you give it to your friend, and your friend can deposit using that code without having to use any real money to to deposit. So you're basically you're you're handing your withdrawal to your friend to make as a deposit. Up to three thousand dollars. That's interesting. Clearly, they are doing this in order to make it easier for people to get money on the site. So, they uh, people who don't want to deal with Bitcoin, people who uh, can't get their credit cards to work on the site. Now, if they know somebody plays on there, they can get money transferred. I think the reason they're allowing this rather than direct player-to-player transfers is that here they are scrutinizing the withdrawals and they they take the time to see if you've actually won the money on there rather than uh, you're just dumping it to somebody else through through a transfer. So I'm sure if you just deposit a ton of money and then try to do a, a voucher withdrawal, they'll reject it. Whereas if you buy in and play a lot of poker and win and then try, then try to do a withdrawal for a voucher, they'll, they'll approve it. And then if you give it to somebody else, it's fine. Then they'll assume it's not money laundering because there's a lot of play to make that money. So I think that's why they, they're not fearing the money laundering claims as much there. But that's interesting. This isn't all that convenient. Like a, what used to be really convenient is like on Poker Stars, you owe someone money who's on Stars. You just say, oh, "I'll ship it to you on Stars." They used to be like a like a free money transfer system. I used to do that all the time. You know, someone I see someone at the casino, and uh, you know, we go to dinner together, and we we split the dinner, and uh, they go, "Oh, you know, your, your portion's fifty dollars." I go, "Okay, you know, when I get back to my room, I'll send it to you on Stars." Like stuff like that happened all the time. Now, this wouldn't be a good thing to do with an ignition to go through the whole withdrawal process and wait for days for it to approve, and the vouchers is not worth it to send a small amount of money. But on the other hand, if I, if I have somebody I know who wants $3,000 on, on ignition, 
then I, I can help them out this way. Where before that was impossible. I'll see if this consolidation helps at all. I mean, maybe it will. Maybe I'll see a little more actions at 3060 now. Maybe the people at No Limit will see more action. I don't think the 08 thing really matters. I don't think many people are opening it anyway. But I think, I think rather than consolidating, I think what they should just do is show which tables are running. What's the harm in that? I never understood that. But but they don't take constructive criticism very well at, at Bovada. If you, you call them and give them ideas, they just don't listen to you. They did listen to me with one thing, and I, I told you guys on this show. Remember where there's a, uh, a situation where people were claiming that their Bitcoin withdrawals were being stolen, either by insiders within the company or, or maybe... Uh, Hackers that had placed malware on people's computers to uh, see Bitcoin addresses being entered or automatically change the Bitcoin addresses being entered. There, there is malware like that. When you enter a Bitcoin address, it, it, it actually changes it right after you enter it and you don't notice. And then it submits it to the Bitcoin address of the, of the hacker. Uh, so people's withdrawals just disappeared through Bitcoin on, on Bovada and Ignition. And I called up and had a long talk with them about this. And I said... You guys have a big flaw here in that when people do a Bitcoin withdrawal, you don't actually show people the address that it's going to. You just say, okay, we're processing your withdrawal. You don't see which Bitcoin address it's going to. And since you take two days to remove it, or to remove it, to to review it, if someone were to see it's going to the wrong address, then they could quickly call you and say, hey, cancel that withdrawal. Some hacker compromised the Bitcoin address I I sent you guys, so cancel the whole damn thing, and they would. But if you can't see which one it's being sent to, you don't know if the one you entered is the one where it's being sent to. So I told them this, and they dismissed me at first, but I had a lot of phone calls with them, a lot of talking. And I did this for two reasons. One, a selfish reason, because I was making Bitcoin withdrawals, and I, I didn't want the same thing to happen to me. I'm pretty good at keeping malware off my computer, but still, you never know. It's, it's a, a vulnerability I, I didn't want existing there. And, and number two, just for the poker community in general, I, I felt that this was something that could really help others so this doesn't happen to them like it had to these people on 2 plus 2 who complained to. I believed I believed their, their complaints. So, after a lot of pressure, they told me that they can't tell me what, but there's a good chance they're going to change something, and, and they, they did. They changed it to where now it, it shows a partial Bitcoin address. It's like, you know, say the beginning dot, 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 and then the end of where the money's going to be going to, so this way you can match it with the one you entered. And if it doesn't match, then you can quickly... It doesn't tell you to call them, but you can use common sense and you can see if it's going to the right one. And you can even take a screenshot so if it ever disappears, you can prove it to, to Bovada. That was the other problem. They couldn't prove it. Like, they say, hey, I entered this address and Bovada said, no, you entered, you entered the other address. And how do you prove it? Here you can take a screenshot saying, we are sending it to this address and if it doesn't show up, then you, you can show them. Or if the address changes, you can show them. So that was a big improvement. They, that was my suggestion. They, told, they It wasn't a suggestion. I, I pressed pretty hard, and they told me that there's a good chance they're going to change it. So they did. But the, that was rare. Most of the time, they just ignore you when you when you call them and complain. I've complained about the client, and I know Trader Ruski complained about the client, and it's they haven't changed that much. But what, what I have found is I've gotten used to it, uh, provided that... I close everything else. That side window, I have to close all that crap. If I just have the poker up, the client isn't as bad. 
though uh, it's it's very it's kind of a pain in the ass to resize. Like, do you find Trader Risky when you try to resize it, it kind of snaps back to to, to bigger, and, and it's, it's it's kind of hard to size properly. Have you noticed that? You know, I don't really resize it because it kind of fits well with with what I'm going on with the tournaments I play and stuff. Oh, you're lucky. <laughs> so, yeah, no. But one thing they did do, just to give them some props, because we had a lot of bad things to say, is like when you're pl- I, the tournaments I play in usually start between like five and eight Pacific, <clears throat> and I jump in usually an hour, hour and a half late to all of them, but. They've got they've got all the breaks coordinated through all kind of the tournaments that are between ten and hundred and fifty bucks. So if I have like five or six going at the same time, the breaks are at the same time. Oh yeah, I read about that on two plus two. Yeah, that that is a good idea. Yeah, that's a, that is good. They they did do something smart there. Yeah, I don't play tournaments on there, so that's why I didn't notice. But uh you know, my my old complaints or not old, my recent complaints about the clients still stand, but as I said, if you take the red background and you close all that stuff on the side, then it's not as terrible as it appeared to be at first. Yes, the, the chips are too small, the amounts are too small, there's a lot of wasted space, and as I said, the resizing isn't all that easy. But at least you can resize on, like, Phil Galfon's site. So. Yeah, but and just and just missing those like you know when somebody's raised, you think you're raising, you don't really see the bun right where the guy may have raised in front of you, and then yeah, yeah, and and that still goes on. So that's that still happens, and also I hate not being able to see because I had to close that side stuff in order to see everything fine. Now you don't see the, like the winning hand or the list of winning hands or who won the last few hands, and it's useful information sometimes because if you, sometimes you you fold and you don't pay that much attention. You go, you want to go, okay, well, who won the last hand? What you know, did it get the showdown? You, you want to quickly see that on the side, or you want to see if if one guy has been you know, winning the last five hands or whatever. You, these are useful things to know in a cash game, and and you can still get to it, but it's not just right there, sitting on the screen like it used to. They, they needlessly changed all this crap, and we've talked about it before. So it's it's not unplayable, but it's definitely a step down from what it was before, which is, which is sad. So, okay, we're going to move on here to our next discussion topic. 775-FRAUD55, if you want to call in, or text us, 775-372-8355. Taking a look at the texts we have received... I kind of forgot about it until now. I kind of neglected the texters. For the 916, refrigerator, I've always invested in Whirlpool. I've always been happy with them. Very durable. Unfortunately, Whirlpool, which was once uh, very high quality, has gone downhill, as has uh, Maytag. You know, the Maytag repairman, who, who's dead, by the way. That was Gordon Jump from WKRP. He was the Maytag repairman. He, he's dead, and, and pretty much so is Maytag. Uh, the, the, a lot of these once... Great brands or very good brands have have gone downhill. I f- I found at least the advantage these days is you you can go read reviews. Now it's it's hard to find unbiased reviews. There's all these bullshit review sites of appliances. When I had to buy a dryer a few months ago, when our dryer died, the problem is we have a lot of appliances kind of a cl- around close to the same age, and this refrigerator kind of died young. So like so many things keep breaking around the same time. But when I, I was looking for a dryer to buy, there it was very hard to find reviews that were unbiased. There were so many sites that had, quote, reviews, but they had affiliate links and a lot of crap where I could tell that they were just directing you to the, the ones that they had affiliate links with. 
but but uh, at least if you can find reviews which you can tell are unbiased, you have those. And I learned to stay away from like certain dryers I otherwise probably would have bought. Thanks to the reviews. And I like, I, I say, oh, this one looks pretty cool. And then I see all these reviews talking about how it just doesn't dry the clothes well. They run it for an hour and things are still damp. I'm like, nope, don't want that one. So I, I would rule out anything that had repeated complaints like that. And so the one I got is pretty good. It's not, it's not flawless. It's got a few issues, but uh, nothing, nothing major. And I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. And I got a pretty good price. So I, I'm looking for the same thing with the refrigerator, except a little more complicated here because uh, I, I, my Ben's mom wants a, an upgrade here. So... Now we've got to make room for it and have someone who's good at cabinets to work with that. So I've got that going on too. Okay, from the four eight zero. Little extra pressure for the World Series, by the way. It is. It is it's actually ten thousand dollar refrigerator. Getting to putting in. Let's go. <laughs> we've got a time pressure and a money pressure. Uh, so someone says uh, that's Cartman from South Park singing that wretched version of Poker Face. Yeah, I, I think you're right. That was what I played on that other podcast. Uh, someone wrote from uh, earlier today, just just as the show was starting. I can't wait to hear you fire off on those fucking retards on real grinders. Now, since the guy brought it up here about the retards on real grinders, there, there was one particular guy who's actually, I believe, a bracelet winner. It's not even like a. It's not even the typical like recreational player who doesn't know what they're talking about. But I, maybe I'll maybe I'll mention him anyway, since uh, he started up with me. Um, this guy's name is T.J. Shulman. Have you heard of him before? Not, not, not Barry Shulman or Jeff Shulman. I have not. Yeah, I, I hadn't really Was heard of him. Relation? No, I don't think so. He's from Georgia, and uh, I don't know how old he is. I know he's older than me. Um, he has uh, two rings, no bracelets. Um, yeah, he looks like he's in his fifties. It was funny because I, I, for a little while on Facebook, I, I just changed it recently. But for a little while on Facebook, I changed my picture to a throwback picture of myself from like '95. And uh, so it was funny sometimes on Real Grinders. I had some idiots talking about you know how I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just a kid. Uh, yeah, how, how long could I have been in poker? I go, no, no, you don't understand. This is a this is an old picture. I would think by looking at the picture, you could tell it's from the '90s. But some of these people couldn't. They were the they were they thought they were talking to a kid. I go, no, 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 no. I, I'm a few years away from the the seniors event. Uh, but but this TJ but this TJ Shulman started up with me today related to the whole thing with Dan Highmiller, which is funny because he wasn't defending Highmiller. He was a big critic of Highmiller's. Uh, I'll tell you in a second the stupid thing he was saying. But but he he tried this whole crap about how how you know Stewie Unger was trying to hustle him and someone else was trying to hustle him from the old school poker world and uh, it's, it's sort of thing like trying to make it sound like I was young and inexperienced and by then I'd already changed my picture back I'm like I don't know what you're talking about here because I, I I'm not one of the young guys here I don't know I don't know I, he I, he's probably older than me but not by that much anyway. He raised the point. Remember, he's trying to bash High Miller, and as I said, I, I'm always fair to everybody. So while I was critical of High Miller here, I wasn't just looking for reasons to bash the guy or exaggerate. I wanted to be honest of what was and was not happening. So he was saying that High Miller was so egregious with what he was doing because he was actually charging 3.0 markup because what he, what High Miller was doing was actually only giving people their share of 40 percent of what he cashes and he keeps the other 60. So he keeps the 60 and then he gives people the shares from the 40%, which which then turns the 1.7 markup into 3.0. He was trying to say. 
And I was telling him, no, that's not true. That's not what High Miller's doing. Yes, it's, his package sucks and it's misleading, but but he's not doing that. If you, if you buy 1.2%, you have 1.2%. But he was insisting I was wrong over and over and over again. And I was explaining it to him. And he's saying, no, no, I understand that. But, uh, but he kept going back to this 40% thing. So I thought, okay, maybe Dan Heimler wrote something that was misleading. Dan, Dan's not the best writer. So I thought maybe he really did write something that was confusing like that. And T.J. Shulman saw it and, and believed this. So I said, you know, Dan's kind of a bad writer. Maybe that's what happened. You know, can he send me a, can he post a screenshot here? And the guy's like, I'll bet you 10K that I'm right here. Come on, let's bet. I go, I, I'm not going to bet something that, that you may have seen and I didn't. I'm not, this is something that you bet over. I, this is, I, I just show the screenshot. If you're right, show the screenshot. He kept calling me names, telling me I'm, I'm looking like an ass, and I'm going, just show the freaking screenshot. If he posted that your share is only coming out of 40%, then show us the screenshot. It'll take like two minutes to make a screenshot and post it here. And he just wouldn't. He kept trying to bet me over and over, and finally I just got tired of the conversation. It was so stupid. I don't know what the guy was going on about. And, and we were kind of on the same side there. He just he he was exaggerating, and I'm, I'm telling him he's wrong. I'm telling him that High Miller was not charging 3.0 markup, and, and some some of the events he was charging 2.0, some of the events he he ends up free rolling because he's charging so much markup. But he was never charging more than 2.0. It was it was always between 1.67 and and 2.0, averaging about 1.7. But he he just wouldn't. This was like a guy who who just he may have known he was wrong, but did not want to back down. And I kept saying, just just prove it. Take a screenshot and show me because I haven't seen this. It's so so stupid. I, I don't get it. Uh, he, for some reason, I thought this guy had a bracelet, but I guess he doesn't. He's from Florida. He has two rings. Uh, he has two hundred twenty-three thousand in in caches total. He has seven World Series caches, but they they, they add up to fifty-four k. So nothing really large. He did manage to min cash in the main event last year. So the guy's probably a decent player, but uh, not a very good critical thinker. The, the funny thing was, uh, in one of his posts to me, he was bragging about how, something about how not everybody can do math or something like like like, like he can, and it turned out he couldn't. Uh, whatever. I there, There's people who post a lot of stupid things on there. Uh, it, it is an entertaining group, and there's a lot of things that get posted up there that you'll see that are worth knowing about. Some of the things I talk about on this show are things that come to my attention because they occur on Real Grinders. There's like 17,000 people. It's very active. And uh, regardless of what you think of Ray Davis, you know, obviously we talked about, you know, he's had, he's had his controversies lately, but that's, that's aside to the whole thing. It's, it's the Real Grinders isn't the site about Ray Davis. It's a site run by Ray Davis, or it's a group run by Ray Davis actually on Facebook. And there's there's a lot of things that go on there that are either kind of just stupidly entertaining or are actually interesting to know about that are going on in poker. And it's just because of the mass number of people there. Things come out. That's a You should not close your eyes to that sort of place if you like to know these stories. So I, I bring the best ones here. So I guess you can close your eyes to it if you want to, but uh, that uh, sometimes I, I don't get in many f- arguments or fights over there. This is actually one of the few I've had. I, I really haven't had many 
fights back and forth. I, I have I do much more arguing on my own site than I do on Real Grinders. And Real Grinders, it's it's I'm pretty. Uh, I'd say a combination is kind of respected and just not all that controversial. I don't post that many controversial things. Uh, yeah, I'll post about controversies, but not controversies that uh, people are going to disagree with me. Controversies where b- basically most people agree that I what I post things. Are, a lot of them are very obvious, like things about scams or whatever. Uh, so, and, and when I have expressed like strong opinions, there are things that can go either way. Like for some reason, I, I just wasn't getting much resistance. But with with this, for some reason, the guy was all over me. I don't know what the problem was. Anyway, let's move on here. Oh, see, any more, any more text? Let's see here. Um, from the seven two zero, a post about Caesar, an article on for the New York Post about Caesars. I should have looked at this right before the show. This was an article from May fourteenth at night, so about a day ago. So Caesar's entertainment bidder could be looking to clean house. Caesar's entertainment may be soon handing out mass pink slips, including some of his executive to some of his executive suite. The post has learned. Hmm, I wonder if they're going to fire Seth Falansky. Maybe he will have to fall back on his radio voice. Uh, a looming sale of the of America's largest casino chain is shaping up to result in mass layoffs as lead prospective bidder El Dorado Resorts gets busy investigating ways to slash at least half a billion in costs. To wring a profit out of the debt-ridden business, the post has learned. So that's that's the theme of this whole thing. It's kind of like a lot of what we've talked about before. I talked about this last week with the slashing of comps. I mean, it's a new story that was just posted up on the Post yesterday on the New York Post, but it, it's kind of a rehash of what we talked about last week of all the cuts that they want to make. This is more saying that a new buyer might be making these cuts. But, uh, yeah, sometimes these companies will do this. Sometimes that's a way they save money is they look at high-paid executives and go, why are you making so much money? Why are you even here? We don't need you. (laughs) They kick them out the door, and they eliminate the position. And sometimes that's correct. Sometimes that's what needs to be done. Sometimes these companies get too fat at the top. Well, we'll see. Not worth the whole subject right now, but thank you for the article. And feel free to send me more stuff like that. I, any article about Caesars, you can feel free to send me. Seriously, you read an article about Caesars, ship it to me. I may, I may have seen it already, but that's fine. I won't get mad at you and say, I saw that. Why are you telling me? Like, no, um, I may tell you I've seen it, but I won't be mad. Always send me this. Uh, there are some people who like to send me things. Like Bobby Orr, I appreciate. He sends me a lot of articles on Twitter, like on t- Twitter private messages. And I appreciate that. And sometimes they'll send me things that I... I I've researched already five days ago, and sometimes he'll send me things I've never seen before. So I like receiving it all, because he doesn't know what I know. He doesn't know what I'm aware of and what I'm not aware of, so I I appreciate he brings me some things I have not seen or or known, and I'm sure he notices I bring up some of these topics on the show. And I I appreciate that from him and anybody else who wants to send me these things. Anything you think would be relevant for this show, I like to know about. Uh, I've said before to people, I just want to remind people before we move on to the next topic. If there's someone who's personally ripped you off and you want me to start a topic about it on this show or on the site, I'm probably not going to unless you have 
real proof. It, uh, you're welcome to do it. You're welcome to come on as a guest and do it. You're welcome to post on Poker Fraud Alert about what's happened to you and name names. That's fine. But for me to do it, it's a different story because this can open me up to both legal liability and if you happen to get the details wrong, uh, I, I, it's, I also just think it's morally wrong for me to get involved when it doesn't involve me based on hearsay. So uh, uh, there's no reason it has to be me. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm giving you the platform to do it if you want to do it. So if someone ripped you off, feel free to come on the show and you can call in. You can even schedule a time to call in and, and you can talk about it. If you want to post about it, create an account, you can post about it. I won't delete the post. So that's what can be done. It, it shouldn't be placed on my shoulders because it's, it's your problem. I'll give you a platform, but I'm not going to do it myself unless it's something that's uh, verifiable and I think is of the public interest. Even if it's verifiable, like I've had people bring to me something that happened to them and it's pretty ver- pretty verifiable that someone ripped them off. But it seems like kind of a one-off thing between two people and – uh, it's not interesting to the masses that, you know, person A, unknown person A scammed unknown person B. When I say unknown, I mean unknown to the poker community. That's not interesting news. So you can post about it for everyone to see, but for the show, that's not very good content. So it, it's better heard from you if you're, if you're the victim of this or if you're aware of it. Uh, I, I cover the things that are more of, of, of public interest. Okay, so moving along here to our next topic. Trader Risk, are you still with us? It's one AM, it's getting to be in the danger zone for Trader Risky. Yeah, I'm I'm about to I'm about to uh pass out Treff. I sent you t- <clears throat> a message on Skype. You probably didn't see it. But I'm going to stay on as long as I can, but I will probably disappear. I I don't see the message on Skype. (laughs) Oh, no wonder why. Yeah, I don't see anything. I see the window for, like, our our call we're having here. I don't see anything. Oh, I see. I see. I I see somewhere else it's showing. Something... I can't go. I can't get right. You. I don't know how to send. Right, it, it shows up. It's kind. Of, that's a <laughs> screwed up thing. <laughs> I see like like on the preview it says I'm fading fast. Blah. Then I can't see the rest. And if I click on it, then it's so weird. It's not showing. I don't know what's going on here. Well, it I'll, says on the third cup of tea. Okay, on the third cup of tea. Yeah, for some reason it didn't show. It's more Skype idiosyncrasies. Okay, so. We're actually not that far from the end, though. But I, we're going to move on. It's funny that guy sent me the article about Caesars because we're going to talk about another Caesars topic right now, which actually is on the agenda. There's been so much talk about the Rio this year and its supposed sale, its supposed destruction in play, you know, because there's going to be a baseball stadium taking over the, the spot and... Uh, what if they sell it before the World Series starts? And it was, there's been so many claims by these gossip Twitter accounts and by individuals and by people who claim to be connected that know about it. And I read these claims and I go, this just isn't adding up. It just does not seem true. And I do know a lot about Caesars. That's one company where I I just have a lot of knowledge about them. And this does not add up to me. And finally, an article came out 
which seemed to be from a more credible source. Because the previous ones were from, like, as I said, gossip sites, or gossip accounts on Twitter. But the Las Vegas Review Journal, which is either the biggest or second biggest newspaper in Las Vegas, currently owned by Sheldon Adelson, by the way. The Las Vegas Review Journal did a fairly big article about the Rio this past week. And you can go to the Casino in Las Vegas portion of Poker Fraud Alert, the Casino in Las Vegas forum, and you'll the one that the thread called Rio to be de- demolished soon. If you scroll down a bit, you'll see Shiz Money posted the link to the article. And he also posted a graph from the article. So the Las Vegas Review Journal did this pretty lengthy article entitled, After 30 Years, Rio and Las Vegas is Losing Its Status and Shine. Which, okay, that part's true. That that headline's true. The article's on May 10th by someone named Todd Prince. And it starts out saying, Nearly 30 years after the Rio opened, the red and blue jewel that helped catapult Las Vegas to a new level with its buffet and nightclub has lost its status along with its shine. Once vying for high rollers with top-strip properties like Caesars Palace and the Mirage, it now competes with 50-year-old Circus Circus for cost-conscious visitors, enticing them with sweet deals before before fees as low as $32 a night. Okay, let's just stop right there. I'm not going to read the whole thing, by the way. I don't want Sheldon Adelson suing me. But uh, the... Beginning here. First of all, anyone who knows the Rio knows that it is not really all sweets. They've said it's all sweets. It's not all sweets. Most of the Rio, aside from the actual real sweets, which are not that numerous, there's probably about as many there as there are at any large Vegas property, uh, the regular rooms are not sweets. They call them sweets. They're not sweets. They are large hotel rooms. That's all they are. The definition of suite is very loose, is the problem. And in many cases, suite can simply mean a larger-than-average hotel room. Some places will make it a hotel room that has some kind of small separation between two parts of it, other than the bathroom. So like a, at the Venetian, they like to say it's all suite, just because there's a step down between where the bed is and where the like living room type area is, which I think is also kind of crap. That's not really a suite either. I just stayed in one of the so-called suites uh, near Yosemite. And while the place was was a very good value and I was happy I I stayed there, uh, it wasn't a real suite. It's the same thing. It had like that step down. It's very similar to Venetian in that way. But Rio is even less of a suite than that. Rio, it, it is just a large hotel room. And if you go look at pictures of the room, you'll see what I'm talking about. There, there's no, it, nothing about it makes it look like a suite, other than its size. And it's not gigantic, it's just, it's just large. It's larger than average for a standard hotel room. But that's it. It's got a bed, or two beds if it's two queens. It's got uh, a couch, it's got a table, it's got a desk, it's got a refrigerator and TV. There's no separation anywhere. Then you've got a bathroom, and a closet, there are there are two there's two there's a sink outside the bathroom and a sink inside the bathroom and that's it. Very very similar to a regular hotel room. I mean it is a regular hotel room. It's not just similar. It is. 
So when saying that you can, you're getting sweet deals, anyone who's writing that doesn't understand the Rio that well. That right there, this Todd Prince guy doesn't understand it that well. He also says before fees as low as 32 a night. Well, that, that's the trick I talked about last week with the resort fees. That's a, it doesn't matter what the printed price is if you have to add resort fees to it. So the truth is, after resort fees, it's actually like 62 a night. It's like 30 bucks or 64 a night. I think it's 32 bucks right now. Plus tax. But the guy is bringing up a valid point that this is not a high-end property. It is now competing for the budget customer, aside from a few very high-profile weekends during the World Series when there's a ton of people in town. That's correct. Uh, The article also focuses on the fact that the Rio is really suffering maintenance-wise, that they're not renovating, they're not doing much maintenance. That's also true. I've talked about that a lot on the show. Not news to me. I know it. But yeah, it's it's good. We do have an article focusing on that. There's an interesting graph showing that, uh, showing various properties with uh, how much, uh, uh, how many rooms have been renovated. Many of them in, in Vegas, and the Rio has not renovated anything. Planet Hollywood has renovated over 2,400 rooms. Caesar's Palace has renovated over 2,600 rooms. Paris, Las Vegas has renovated 2,900 rooms. Harris, Las Vegas, has, has renovated 3,200 rooms and is about to renovate another 900. Horseshoe, Southern Indiana, has renovated 500 rooms. Bally's, Vegas, has renovated over 2,000. Flamingo, Vegas, has renovated 2,385, and they're going to renovate the other 1,000 uh, sometime soon. Rio, zero. Rio has uh, not only renovated no rooms, the room slated for renovation, the number is... Zero point... Zero. So that's that's an interesting graph. I I knew it. I mean, it wasn't news to me. But yeah, they they are definitely not spending money there. And this is the first article I've seen in any mainstream publication which is talking about this. The Rio was originally not a low end property or even low mid end. It was this was supposed to be kind of a middle high end property. The the downs that we just lost Trader Ruski, but that's he probably probably just collapsed from the T. The usual time. But the Rio has changed in, in that it's it's gone from a property meant to compete with the higher-end ones in Vegas to the ones kind of competing with the lower-middle-end ones. The article says it's been rumored for sale, to be for sale for about a decade. I don't really believe that to be true, which I'll explain shortly. And... Uh, saying that uh, Caesars will not dec- they won't comment on it at all about its future about its present about the renovations they haven't been doing but uh, they're talking about in the article what type of money it would get in a sale Caesars hired a company called Molis and Company to do a valuation of the Rio in 2017 and the valuation came back a little bit higher than you might expect for the Rio. I don't know how many of you have been there, but the valuation that was given by this company in 2017 was... $100 I mean, it might have been that. It, it might as well have been that. It was between 636 and $836 million. 
there's no way. There's no way that the, the, the Rio in its state in 2017 was worth anything near that. The article does acknowledge that it probably would not get that because of two reasons. First of all, it's not in good condition and would require a lot of money to renovate. And second, that once it's no longer part of Total Rewards, now called Caesars Rewards, that it would lose a lot of potential guests, that people are coming to it now because it's part of Total Rewards, and, and once it's no longer part of that and it's independent, there's going to be like zero reason to go there, which is true. That's a good point. Okay, So then the article goes on about uh, the reasons that the Rio has... Uh, you know the history of the of the Rio that opened in in the early '90s, I think in '91 or something, and then Harris bought it. This is before Harris and Caesars were the same thing, but Harris bought it in '98 for 880 million dollars in stock and assumed debt, and at the time, Rio was it had a pretty good reputation. It wasn't run down yet. It was only like six, seven years old. It had a lot of features there that people liked. They had that show in the sky that they did uh, in the casino and other little mini shows that would go on around the casino. It had kind of like a party atmosphere to it. It had kind of like a, like a fun atmosphere. The whole point of the Rio is you're supposed to feel like you're at a, a party, a constant party in Rio de Janeiro. That's why it's called the Rio. That's why it has that whole Brazilian theme. And uh, they actually hoped that it could be something that Harris. This is actually going to be the high-end property in Vegas in the then Harris Empire. <laughs> I mean, really, that that was the point of purchasing it. The article says, and that was true. Twenty-one years ago, Harris and Caesars were not the same thing. Caesars was separate from it, so that was not their high-end property. That was a separate property. So they needed something that they could use to compete against the middle and high-end properties on the Strip. And even though this wasn't on the Strip, it was uh, it was uh, away from the Strip, which was a pain in the ass, that the large rooms and the party atmosphere there, that they hoped that this would draw people away from the Strip and that they could entice high rollers to go there. So the article mentions that, and that, that's true. There are also some innovations at the Rio, which the article talks about. Actually, I guess it says the Rio opened in January 1990, so I guess it really is very close to 30 years old. It's about 29 and a half now. Uh, the, the, they were the first Las Vegas resort to ever put a buffet kitchen in the dining area. And they opened a... Uh, that... that uh, Voodoo nightclub on the roof had a uh, it's a large nightclub which was uh, bringing a lot of crowds over there. That was a big thing at the time to actually have a nightclub on the roof of a hotel. And uh, they had floor to ceiling glass windows in each room, which was. Unusual at the time, though it wasn't that thrilling because you didn't have much of a view in most places. 
So I don't think that really got many people over there. They had a Monday night football party there. So a lot of people enjoyed it. They also had a lot of scantily clad girls there. They called Ipanema girls. That would be in colorful costumes. And then they opened up a new tower in 1997. They had the show in the sky. And the the Rio was doing fairly well, except it had a problem. The problem was its location. It was not on the Strip. They actually had to build a sidewalk between the Las Vegas Strip and the Rio on Flamingo Road, so people could at least walk there. You'll you'll sometimes see if you if you get off the off ramp, uh, if, let's say you drive north on the 15 from LA or somewhere south of there, somewhere south of Vegas on the 15. So you drive up north on the 15, you get off on Flamingo, you have to make that left turn to get to the Rio. You'll be driving over the freeway at that point. And you'll see that uh, there is a, a sidewalk, and you'll see these people walking on the sidewalk. And what are they doing here? These are actually people who are walking between the Strip and the Rio, which, which is still not very appealing to do. It's, you gotta got to go over the freeway, so it's up a hill and then down. And it's not super close, and in the summer it's really hot, and it kind of feels unsafe at night. Even The area is not terrible, but it kind of feels unsafe over there. And there's a whole lot of noisy traffic around there. It just doesn't, it's not a pleasant walk. But there's people who do it. They, they, at least, they at least built the sidewalk, which before didn't even exist before. Well, that became more and more of a problem. The claim of this article, which is incorrect in my opinion, and I'm going to explain what I really believe is the case, is that the Devastation of the Rio came from the 2008 financial crisis, where the housing bubble burst and banks were failing. I'm sure you all remember that from 11 years ago. That definitely hurt Vegas, there's no question. People all of a sudden did not have excess money to go blow in Vegas. So Vegas trips quickly were ending. High rollers became no rollers. Vegas property values crashed big time. They had risen crazily in the 2000s before crashing in 2008, worse than most other cities in the U.S. So it devastated the entire city. That's for sure. But that's not what killed the Rio. I mean, it hurt the Rio. It hurt every single hotel there. I'm not going to say it didn't hurt the Rio. It hurt every hotel. But it didn't hurt the Rio any more than any other hotel. This article, though, claims that that was the reason. They said the financial crisis that that erupted in 2008 devastated Caesars, which had debt exceeding $20 billion. Caesars' cash flow that did not go to creditors uh, went to maintaining its strip properties. The company had few resources left over for the Rio, which then Caesars chairman Gary Loveman called an asset we don't consider essential to our strategy in 2009. So what he's saying here is that because of the devastation that Caesars experienced from the 2008 financial crisis, they they had to cut somewhere and they decided to cut maintenance of the Rio because they were deciding the Rio really wasn't part of their future at that point. And that's why the Rio fell apart. Fell apart meaning as far as relevant property anymore. That's that's not true. It's a little bit true, but it's, it's not the reason the Rio hit its hard times. 
The Rio was already in trouble before then. See, here's the truth. And when I say the truth, I mean from my vantage point. I lived in Las Vegas at the time this happened. I have been following Caesars very closely for a long time. I've obviously spent a lot of time at the Rio, being a World Series of Poker player. I have a an interest in the industry and in all of these type of stories, so I've been following all of that. So I have a perspective from many different directions that others don't have. Some people have it, but uh, they, they don't really think about it very much. I, I actually have that perspective, and I think about it. So here's the truth from what I can see. The big problem for the Rio was that off-strip properties have lost their luster in recent years. The public is fickle, and what the public likes or sees as desirable changes over time, and sometimes fairly quickly. The off-strip location, while never good for the Rio, and always hurt them a little bit, even from the start, became devastating in the past decade and more, more than the past decade, say about the last 15 years or so, when more and more kept showing up on the Strip and there became less and less of a reason to leave the Strip. There were more and more high-end hotels on the Strip. The older hotels started to serve the middle and middle-low-end market on the Strip. So everything a tourist would need pretty much ended up on the Strip, more than ever before. These tourists did not want to leave the Strip, nor did they find it very appealing to have to drive or take Uber or Lyft or walk to get to places outside the Strip. They they have everything they need, and they don't really feel like going through the hassle of going somewhere else, unless there's a really good reason for it. And there was simply no good reason for it anymore. There was nothing special about the Rio anymore. The things that were kind of appealing there were starting to become old hat. The show in the sky, yeah, you, it's interesting, but people saw it, and it's not something you want to see every single time to ve- you come to Vegas. Same with that whole Brazilian party theme and all that stuff. It's it's uh, It was a, an interesting gimmick for a while, but with more and more on the strip for tourists, with more and more choices on the strip for every level of expenditure that people want to make on their Vegas trip. There just wasn't a reason to stay at the Rio or to go to the Rio if you're staying on the Strip. So people weren't. As a result, Caesars came to the correct conclusion in the 2000s, in the later 2000s, that the Rio's only remaining value was its convention space. So that's why they didn't sell it. They needed the convention space. I've said this many times on the show, so I'm not going to harp on it too much here, but they they needed the convention space. It has a large parking area. It has a large convention space. They don't have that on any of their, any of their other properties. So they didn't want to sell it. They needed that convention space for conventions. But at the same time, other than the conventions... 
the property was mostly useless at this point. It, what was bringing people there in the 90s and early 2000s wasn't really working anymore. So the Rio was no longer a priority, as Gary Loveman said in 2009. Not because they were out of money and, and just couldn't spend money on it. It, it simply wasn't doing well because there was nothing appealing about it anymore. There wasn't a reason to go there. Vegas had changed. Everybody wanted to be on the Strip and only the Strip. If there's something really great off the Strip, they'd go, but that's also what brought the Palms down. The Palms was the hip place for the young, beautiful people to go and party. And for some years in the 2000s, it was. And then the Cosmo opened. The Cosmo's on the Strip. It's a much better location. It was newer. All of the Palms clientele moved over there. And the Palms is not going to be able to recover. They, the, the Palms, it may continue to exist, but it's not going to ever be what it once was. Because again, everything is now on the Strip. There's so many options on the Strip now that weren't there before. So there's no reason to go to the Rio. And Caesars correctly realized that. But they didn't sell it because they needed the convention space. So what do you do? You've got a property that is not attracting people anymore. But you can't sell because you need something out of it. There's something it still has that you need to preserve. Well, what you do is you keep it in a holding pattern. No renovations. No improvements. Minimal maintenance. No more show in the sky or Brazilian party theme. Just get rid of it. All you need to do is keep it barely operational to the level of being a low to mid-level Vegas property. And no more lost leaders either. Anything operating there would have to stand on its own two feet. That's why the show in the sky was closed and uh, those little other side shows were done away with because they were not making money. Those were a loss leader. You know, there's no way to make money from those. Those were there to bring people in. They decided no more of that. We don't need to bring people in. Everything at the Rio needs to actually turn a profit or it's not going to be there. Think about it. Can you think of anything at the Rio aside from maybe the pool? But that's just kind of a feature of the hotel. It's not really a, a thing there. Is there anything at the Rio you can think of that you believe operates without turning a profit, and stays. There really isn't. So shows or restaurants there all have to turn a profit in some way for the company, or they'll be closed. Room service. Let's think about room service. You go to the World Series, you want room service after 11 p.m. when you're done with an event? You can't get it. After 11 p.m., room service is closed. Why? Because it was determined that after 11 p.m., Room service is not profitable for the Rio to have. They actually lose money, despite the high prices, that uh, keeping the department open that does it is more costly than the few people who order room service, because usually the hotel is pretty dead. During the World Series, it would make a lot of money, but they just don't feel like making those changes just for seven weeks. It's actually more hassle than it would appear to be. They could be done, and I've told them that before. But they just don't want to go through the hassle of, of changing this just for seven weeks because they have to get these employees to stay longer, or hire new temp employees. So a lot of, they have to deal with the union. and all. There's a lot that they have to do to expand room service for those seven weeks, so they're just not going to do it. 
But that's the reason there's no room service after 11 p.m., because it cannot stand its own two feet. Other hotels, yes, they may lose money on room service being available during the middle of the night, but they consider that a feature of the hotel which is important to people and brings people in and brings people back there, so they, they keep it running. Not at the Rio. At the Rio, anything that's kind of a luxury and extra that is not making money will be gone. So room service after 11 is one of those things. Everything at the Rio has to stand on its own two feet. This is not printed anywhere. This is not announced anywhere. This hasn't been spoken anywhere, as far as I know, outside of, uh, outside of the, the Rio boardroom, or the Caesars boardroom about Rio. But that's the truth. I'm, I'm not saying this from any insider knowledge. I'm saying this from my uh, powers of observation and analysis. Is there a chance I'm wrong? Yes. Do I think there's much of a chance I'm wrong? No. I don't believe that Caesars was considering selling it because they just didn't have a replacement for the convention space. And then finally they said, look, this is ridiculous. We're one of two huge hotel companies in Las Vegas. There's us and MGM and a bunch of uh, smaller competitors. And amazingly, our one hotel with convention space is crap and is off the strip. This won't do. Convention... There are more and more conventions every year in Vegas. Conventions are, are huge. Bigger than ever. And that's not changing anytime soon. And Caesars was tired of losing a lot of the convention business to properties that are much nicer, that have also newer and updated convention facilities. Think about it. If you're going to have a convention, do you really want to have it at the Rio? Is that really a glamorous place to have your conventions? No. So, yes, they they can fill a convention space and they need the convention spaces for the World Series they need it, but it's, it's not competing well in the convention market. So they realized that, and that's why they came up with the idea of the Caesars Convention Center, which is in the process of being built in Center Strip at the link. And that is why when that is complete, they will dispose of the Rio. Dispose meaning they're going to sell it. And that will be that. Right now, it is a minor headache for them to maintain the Rio. They'd rather sell it and get the cash. They could actually use the cash right now, but they can't. So forget any sale of the Rio until the Caesars Convention Center is in place. And the reason the Rio went downhill is because of the change in the Vegas landscape, making the Strip really the only relevant place for anything middle, end, or above. Now you may say, well, wait a minute. What about hotels like the Red Rock? That's fairly nice, and that's way out there. Well, that's a different story. That's, That's a nice hotel that's aimed at locals. And there was a market for that, where locals wanted to go to a nice hotel casino for uh, night out, staycations, whatever. And uh, they didn't just want a local's place. They didn't want all local's places to be garbage. So that's what uh, Red Rock and and Green Valley Ranch, that's what they're there for. 
But as far as tourists are concerned, it's on the Strip. That's where it's at. That's why the SLS failed. The SLS thought they'd just renovate the Sahara and call themselves high-end and somehow everyone will come. Didn't happen. It's been a tremendous failure. Because they're not really on the Strip. They're too far north. So yeah, Caesars is going to get rid of the Rio, for sure. But only once they have a replacement for the convention space. This article from the Review Journal oddly doesn't mention that. And they also, a few times in the article, talked about the all-sweets crap, which is stupid. So it's funny, even the Las Vegas Review Journal and can get things wrong like this. And even in an article which had some interesting facts and some truths in it, overlooked some very key things. For some reason, this convention space issue is being overlooked by just about everybody. Look at all the discussion about the Rio you're seeing everywhere on Twitter, in this Las Vegas Review Journal article. Everywhere there's a discussion of the Rio, there's hardly any mention of the convention space, and I don't know why, because that's the biggest factor driving this entire thing. I feel like I'm the only one talking about it. It's kind of like last week when I, I was talking about uh, Annette Oberstadt and how she, the losing of the weight actually and, and the sudden, a lot of care she was having about how she looked and the obsession with that, how that hurt her poker game. When I said that at the time a few years ago, people jumped all over me and said I was crazy. And then she makes a YouTube video admitting that's the truth. I mean, sometimes I just see things so clearly and I can't understand why others don't see it that way because this is not me being some genius to discover something that others would miss. This doesn't take expert powers of analysis to figure out that Caesars has one property with usable convention areas and that they don't want to get rid of it till they have a replacement property with usable convention areas. That's, that's not hard to figure out. But uh, everyone's overlooking and everyone's not talking about this. They're all coming up with their own th- stupid theories about the Rio. I suggest you read that article in the Las Vegas Review Journal, but take it with a grain of salt. There's some parts of it that aren't accurate, as I said. Once again, it's on the Las Vegas Review Journal. It's called After 30 Years, Rio in Las Vegas is Losing Its Status and Shine. You can just go to the Casino in Las Vegas section of Poker Fraud Alert, and you'll find it uh, in the post by Shiz Money. Not the original post, but the a few posts down. You'll find a link to it in the thread called Rio to be demolished soon. But it's funny, you'd read something like this if you didn't know better, if you didn't have this perspective like I do. It would seem like a very, very informative and super accurate article. You wouldn't think there's anything objectionable. And I wonder, like articles I read that seem like to make a whole lot of sense about other topics I don't know that much about, I wonder how often there's things like this where someone who's an expert on it could just tear the whole thing down. or I shouldn't say the whole thing. The, the whole thing's not inaccurate, but there's there's omissions and there's some inaccurate parts of it, in my opinion. And I have to say in my opinion, because I don't have inside information proving anything I'm saying here. But I'd be shocked if I'm wrong. 775-4055, 775-372-8355.
The next topic we have here is about an interesting partnership between stars, that is poker stars, and Fox. Yes, that Fox. I'm actually talking about the Fox that you would think. Fox News, Fox Studios, Fox. Fox Sports, they're, they're, all of that is a partnership with Fox. And it's happening with Poker Stars. This was announced last week that Poker Stars and Fox Sports, which is a subsidiary of the Fox Corporation, that they're going to start a new sports betting brand called FoxBet. And likely they're going to be advertising this plenty on Fox Sports and also on the regular Fox network when they broadcast sports. They called the deal a first of its kind, which uh, where Stars is going to be providing the Fox Bet platform and Fox Sports is going to be doing the broadcasting portion of it. Fox Sports is going to provide the Stars Group, which is the current name of the owner of Poker Stars, once called Amaya. They're going to be providing them with an exclusive license to use certain Fox Sports trademarks. And likely the Poker Stars logo will be there somewhere too, because Poker Stars is pretty well known, and that will probably be somewhere prominently displayed. They're going to launch two products near the end of 2019, or it's kind of the mid to end 2019, hoping to be in place approximately in time for the NFL season that will be starting later this year. Fox Sports is a frequent broadcaster of the NFL. There will be some kind of free play game that's going to have prizes for people who predict outcome of uh, football games. That is provided the things up and running in time. Then there will be the Fox Bet wagering platform. And the statement on that says that the Fox Bet wagering pl- platform will give customers in states regulated with regulated betting the opportunity to place real money wagers on the outcome of a wide range of sporting events in accordance with ap- ap- applicable laws and regulations. So, of course, this can only take place in states where there is legalized sports betting and legalized online sports betting, which not all states are willing to do yet, even ones that are allowing the legalized sports betting. And this may not be available in Nevada, by the way, because Nevada still has issues with what Poker Stars did with operating illegally, uh, gambling wise, in all, all the way through Black Friday in 2011. But this is an attempt for Fox to really get in on the sports wagering thing. 
which they see as a huge market coming up, especially as more and more states legalize sports betting, especially online sports betting. Seems like sports wagering is a an industry with a lot of future at the moment. And Fox is partnering with a site that already has some experience and some name recognition in PokerStars. And remember, PokerStars does have already, they already have their own betting platform called BetStars. Except this one's not going to be called BetStars, it's going to be called FoxBet. So what is this deal? Well, believe it or not, the deal actually mentions ways it can be extended all the way through, would you believe, the year 2044. Yeah. It is possible that when this deal ends, I will be here on Poker Fraud Alert Radio at the age of 72 and talking about it. Talking about how I've just played my uh, eighth Super Seniors event. I bet I'll sound the same, too. That's, That's a weird thing. I've sounded the same for like 30 years. I, I bet when I'm 72, I'm going to sound the same. And people are going to hear me. They're going to go, there's no way this guy's 72. And they go, no, no, look at him. You'll see he's 72. But with every year that passes, when people hear me, when they hear me and don't see me, they're very surprised to hear how old I am. So I, I don't know if that's good or bad. Like, is it good that people think you're young on the phone and then they see you in person and they go, oh, wait a minute, you're not how... I, I didn't picture you to look that way. I pictured you much younger. And unfortunately, I get that now. Not as much in poker because people in poker know what I look like. Those that don't Google me and see what I look like. So it's not a surprise. But other times when there's been people that have spoken to me on the phone and not met me yet then they're surprised I'm as old as I am. And if I sound the same for like the next 10, 15, 20 years, it'll just get worse. Anyway, going back to this, it it can go for up to, uh, all the way up to 2044. It's it's not locked in. It's a, it's a deal that I don't know when the early end of the termination could be, but it's a, it's one that's structured to where it can just keep being extended all the way through 2044 without much effort. So it's different. of course you can say well any company can ex- extend their deals. So it's it's tougher because there's already framework in place to where they can just easily extend it rather than have to write entire new contracts and negotiate new deals. They can push, both sides can just say they're happy and just keep extending it. So this is here's the financial information regarding the deal. Fox Corporation are going to, they're going to get over 14 million shares in the Stars Group. So basically they're going to own almost 5% of the Stars Group. The price per share, by the way, is uh, about $16.44. $16.44. So multiply that by 14 million and you've got about uh, 236 million 
In the official announcement, it says the Stars Group currently intends to use the aggregate net proceeds of approximately $236 million for the general corporate purposes and to prepay outstanding indebtedness on its first lien term loans. The common shares issued to Fox Corporation are subject to certain transfer restrictions for the first two years, subject to customer, customary exceptions. So they this Fox can't just get this and then sell it. They have to hold it for two years. But Aside from that, they're getting about 5% of the company in, in uh, shares. The Another statement says, Under the commercial agreement, Fox Sports will grant the Stars Group an exclusive license for use of certain Fox Sports trademarks for a range of immersive games and online sports wagering and certain exclusive advertising and ed- editorial integration rights on certain Fox Sports broadcast media and digital assets. As part of the transaction, Fox Sports will receive certain brand license integration and affiliate fees. In addition, during the term of commercial agreement, the Stars Group has agreed to a minimum annual advertising commitment on certain Fox Media assets. Prior to the 10th anniversary of the commercial agreement and certain conditions and applicable gaming regulatory approvals, Fox Sports has the right to acquire up to a 50% equity stake in the Stars Group's U.S. business. That's interesting. That sometime between now and 2029 that provided the government doesn't interfere, Fox Sports actually can acquire 50% of all the U.S. business the Stars Group does. So they're also kind of hoping that what if Stars blows up huge in the U.S. with legalization of uh, both online poker and online uh, other forms of online gambling, including sports betting and casino gambling, that Fox could end up owning half of that. Not of the entire company, but whatever the uh, the, the the equity stake in, in the U.S. business of it. Well, this actually might affect poker. You might wonder how. We're talking about sports betting right now. Well, think about it. What if Fox does decide to acquire 50% equity in the Stars Group's U.S. businesses. What if they do that? Fox is pretty powerful in the U.S. They have substantial influence in the U.S. Stars has been attempting to get approval to operate in certain states, and they keep running into these uh, bad actor problems based on the fact that they offered online poker after the UIGEA in 2006 all the way through Black Friday in 2011. There is some belief that with with Fox in their corner that they may be able to overcome this, that this might be what they need. Having a, a, a very large and influential business, existing business in the U.S. that owns half of them, or half their U.S. business. That Fox can get this pushed through where Stars itself could not. Rafi Ashkenazi, who's the CEO right now of Stars, said... 
We believe the strategic partnership uniquely positions us to build a leading betting business in the U.S., which represents one of the most exciting long-term growth opportunities for our company. Leveraging our proven media partnership strategy with Sky Sports in the U.K., we are excited to partner with Fox Sports to integrate wagering into sports media and drive customer acquisition and retention in the U.S. That's basically just saying we're happy to have a whole new customer base that we can drive towards our uh, sports betting products in the U.S. that Fox is going to provide us. So we will see. It's a, it's a pretty big piece of news, actually. And something that shouldn't be overlooked is the fact that sports betting is really becoming big. It hasn't quite hit yet. But the more states that legalize it, and the more big companies that get behind it, like Fox, you're going to start seeing it everywhere. Remember when DraftKings and, and FanDuel were exploding everywhere on your TV? You, you couldn't watch anything without those FanDuel and DraftKings ads, and it just seemed like they were everywhere? You're going to start seeing that with sports betting, where it, it will no longer just be something that a niche population of, of people are engaging in, but but the mainstream doesn't really see much of it. Because it's, it's sometimes hard to picture what people totally outside of gambling are, you know, the way they view things. Because if you listen to this show, you probably have some interest in gambling. Even if you're not a sports better, you probably have an interest in the gambling world. If you're interested in poker, by definition, you have an interest in the gambling world. So if you're part of that world, then it's easy to see, even if you don't engage in it yourself, how a lot of people talk about and are excited about and engage in sports betting. But if you're not in that world at all, it really doesn't show up in your life too much, other than in the lives of people you might know or be close to that are into it. I'll I'll give a good example. Benjamin's mom. Benjamin's mom has no interest in gambling. Which which is good and bad, by the way. It's uh it is good because uh I don't have to worry about various problems that come up that gamblers experience. Even responsible gamblers. And uh it, it is nice in some ways to be with someone who isn't part of that world. Now, I couldn't be with someone who objects to the whole thing. She doesn't object to it at all. She's very aware of everything I do. But she doesn't have interest in it personally. She'll listen to my stories of what's going on, and she understands it, but she doesn't have an interest in it. If she wasn't with me, she wouldn't think about this stuff at all. If I don't bring it up to her, she doesn't think about this stuff at all. So someone like her, she's not going to really be exposed to sports betting if not for me. And let's say we weren't together. and Let's let's say she wasn't with a guy who was into any form of gambling. She would never think about sports betting. She'd barely ever see anything about sports betting on TV. I'm talking about today, not the future. Sports betting would barely ever cross her mind. And barely be something that is visible to her. And that is the way it is for most 
non-gambling interested Americans right now with sports, with sports betting, that is. But that's changing. It's changing big time. With these large companies getting involved, it's changing big time. And soon enough, the gambling aspect will start to make itself more into the sports broadcasts. And there will be more gambling shows on sports networks. There will be more sports betting commercials. It'll be much easier to bet on sports from the comfort of your own home without having to use third uh, out-of-the-country sites like uh, Bovada. So there's going to be a boom in sports betting. I can see it coming already. It's not quite the same as a poker boom because you're not really playing against other sports bettors. In a way, you are, but mostly you're not. Mostly it's you versus the house. Where there will be some opportunity, aside from these companies that are providing the sports betting services, but where there will be some opportunity for those already familiar with the industry and those already who are sports betting successfully, I think will be in the field of sports betting advice, also known as touts. And while a lot of those are scams, or semi-scams, and I'm sure plenty of those will exist, and there will be plenty more, there will be uh, probably an explosion of those too, unfortunately. Legitimate ones, which are more honest about their success, and less gimmicky, and basically more upfront and honest with everything. There will be more of a market for those, for those who really know what they're doing. There's the age-old question, if you are doing so well sports betting, why sell your picks? But there are answers to that. If you're killing at sports betting, then there are there is no answer to that, because you're, you're better off keeping the information to yourself. If, if too many people do what you're doing, the books will adjust. But if you're just kind of uh, a moderate winner, and especially if you don't want the, if you're not, if you're worried about the variance that comes to sports betting, and you want just more of a steady income, or maybe you think you can even make a lot more selling the picks to a large number of people than betting them yourself, because maybe you don't have the bankroll or can't get enough action down to make a whole lot of money on your picks at the rate you're winning, then there actually might be some future if you can make winning picks on a consistent basis. Running some sort of site that gives sports betting advice or rounding up people you know who can and putting them together for a service. You, even if you're not good at it yourself, if you if you know several sports bettors who you, you trust in general to be winning bettors, you can get them together. And I I could see a future in that sort of business, kind of similar to the marijuana business right now. Uh, That is growing very quickly. Between the legalized marijuana and the CBD oil. And even uh, our own Eric Benzimokin 
has been doing legal work for some of these companies and even individuals who are uh, charged by the federal government for growing or whatever. He's been doing uh, defense of them. So that industry, there's been people who've entered it. A uh, former member of Poker Fraud Alerts Forum, Vegas 1369, he entered that industry. He quit being a bartender and entered that industry and has done very well. So there may be the same thing with sports. That the sports tout industry may explode, both the legitimate and the gimmicky scam portion of it. And I'm watching that. Because I've, I've generally been uh, a winning sports better for the last few years. You wouldn't know it from my baseball picks recently. I have a bad week on that. I was doing very well until like the last five days, and I've just slumped pretty hard. But overall, uh, people who have watched will have seen that uh, I'm able to grind out a winning record, even with the, with the house juice. And if I could just tweak things a little bit more and cut out the things I'm doing that uh, seem to not be working that well. Maybe you could just get a little bit better record. Uh, I, I would actually consider running such a site or being part of one, provided it was legitimate. I, I would never run or be part of a gimmicky bullshit one. But that might be an opportunity in the future. But the, the sports betting age is coming. And it may have the same sort of boom and somewhat bust like poker has had, where there will be big excitement with it and everybody doing it all of a sudden, and then it just kind of dies out. But... I think when, when we get mass legalization in many states, especially the large ones, and you get big companies aboard and you get the on, the easily accessible online betting to a lot of the country, that's when it's going to happen. We're not there yet, but it's all starting to come together. All righty. We're, we're getting near the end here. That's okay. We've been on for a while. But we're not near the end, we're at the end. We have one more topic that is about New Jersey. A site in New Jersey, one of the legalized online casino, has been fined by the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement. This is a pretty embarrassing story. But nonetheless, it occurred. It's a weird story, too. They already had an issue with someone who figured out how to get around the uh, the geolocation and a fine that occurred because of that. But now we have a second one from a different provider. The Hard Rock Atlantic City online casino, which 
had its uh, has its online casino run by Gaming Innovation Group that's out of Malta. Had its geolocation cracked by someone who was uh, technical enough to do it, but it doesn't even seem like it's, it's incredibly hard to have done. In fact, it's pretty embarrassing when you hear the details. A Nevada-based gambler, so Nevada and New Jersey pretty far from each other, decided he wanted to play on HardRockCasino.com, which is the Hard Rock Atlantic City's legalized online casino, which you can only play if you're physically standing in the state of New Jersey. The software is supposed to determine that based upon several factors and only let you play if it determines you really are physically in New Jersey. You don't have to live there. You have to just be there at the moment you're gambling on that site. However, this gambler, for reasons unknown, put out the effort to be able to play on HardRockCasino.com despite being in Nevada to play at very low limits. And he ended up losing a whopping $29 on the online casino. <laughs> why, why you try to get past the geolocation to bet such little money, I don't know. Unless, unless he was betting big money, it just so happened it landed, he lost $29. Like I, I played very high-stakes poker before, and then I walk away having lost 10 bucks. But that's probably not what happened. I don't know why this guy did. Maybe just for the challenge of it. Maybe he was betting small at first to see if they'll catch him. He was afraid they'd confiscate the money. I don't know. It doesn't say who did it. But it definitely occurred. It occurred, uh, it, in fact, the date was not even said. It was not revealed by the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement, but it was sometime before July 2018. It's the only thing that was said. Now, here's the funny thing. The way this person did it was by finding a vulnerability in the browser-based software that you would run to uh, play on hardrockcasino.com and this person found how to change the information that the browser sends over to the site to say that they're in New Jersey instead of the fact that they're really in Nevada. (laughs) Now, in case you don't know why that's funny, in case you don't know why we have the crowd laughing in the background here, listen to that again. The person's browser, the guy who was playing, it's his own browser that's sending the information over to the servers saying where it is. Instead of the servers determining it, instead of it on the server side determining where the person is from various factors, they're having the browser on the player's side send them that information. Now, I don't know the specifics, but that's what was happening. What what I'm presuming was occurring, and I'm just guessing at this part, but that maybe when you log in to the casino, that uh, there's some program on the browser's side that uh, collects and then uh, it's a program. I mean, it's 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 run probably on the website telling the browser to collect various information 
about the player, including where he is, probably from the IP address. And then it has the browser send that information to the server, which then decides if you're in New Jersey or not based upon what it receives. And what this player probably found is that uh, he can interfere with that and change what the browser is sending them back and have it send back that he's really he's in New Jersey when he's really not. But this is insane that the browser that the player is using is sending this information. There's no reason that it should be on that side. This should be determined on the server side. There's no question because the browser side can be interfered with by the user, and it was. So in July, they actually shut down, July 2018, they shut down hardrockcasino.com and fixed this. It was only down for a few hours. They had to put in some work after that to figure out how many people did this. And they found that it was only that one guy (laughs) who lost $29. Then they, uh, I don't even know uh, how this was discovered, but they discovered it somehow. Like they, they realized that this could happen in, uh, in July, and that's why it was shut down. Then they were like, okay, let's figure out who did this, and they only found one person. So I don't think they caught the guy and then said, oh, we got to change this. I think they realized they had this vulnerability, and then they looked into who did it and figured out it was this guy and nobody else. It took another five months until December 2018 for a complaint to be filed by the Division of Gaming Enforcement, and then there had to be a negotiated penalty where the two sides talked about what is the right penalty here? The Hard Rocks and uh, the gaming innovation group who provide the software, they, they were like, well, look, it's only one guy who did it who barely lost any money and we found it and, and fixed it. So look, it's it's not a big deal. And the Division of Gaming Enforcement's like, yeah, but what if that guy had told a lot of people and, like, a ton of people did this? This would have been a huge violation. And they're like, yeah, but it wasn't, so it didn't happen, and we caught it before it was it did any real damage. And so there, that, that was a negotiation back and forth. Uh, finally, the decision was that a $25,000 fine was going to be levied against not the Hard Rock, but actually the Gaming Innovation Group based out of Malta because it was their responsibility to have proper geolocation services, which they did not. The Division of Gaming Enforcement said that uh, the uh, the software quote did not t- t- or the the company quote did not take adequate steps to ensure that the computer server made the final call on whether a patron was within New Jersey. Instead, the patron was able to trick the system. <laughs> so it said uh, they said an end user from outside of New Jersey with technical knowledge managed to access the front end deb- debugger to change the location and pretend to be from New Jersey that's, that's really stupid I can't believe it was designed that way I I now apparently the this was not online very long. Apparently the the site was only up for about a week 
when this vulnerability was discovered. So this couldn't have been very damaging anyway, even if more than one person did it, but still, it, it is amazing that it could have been designed this way. And there's also some question of why the Division of Gaming Enforcement did not do their own testing to figure out if this could have been uh, done. Obviously, whatever information was submitted to them about their procedures to determine whether the person's in New Jersey or not, uh, you know, how was that not ever caught? How was... How did the New Jer- Division of Gaming Enforcement not know that this was the way they were doing things? Because this should have been submitted to them. So it really makes you scratch your head wondering what did they submit to the Division of Gaming Enforcement and who approved this? Because they, they have to give this information. They can't just say, oh yeah, we're, we'll figure it out. Uh, just trust us. There, it won't be anyone from outside the state. They've got to tell the Division of Gaming Enforcement what their geolocation protocols are what steps they're taking to make sure people playing are from New Jersey, how they are determining that they're in New Jersey. The general steps the software will be taking to be doing that. And you would think if they submitted that it's something the browser's doing and then the browser's sending back to them and they're trusting what the browser says, you'd think someone would say, wait a minute, why is the browser telling them and couldn't the browser be interfered with? Why are you not doing it on your side? Why are you having it on, on the computer's, the, the, the player's side? For those that still don't understand, it's like, it's like having no uh, identification requirement to get into somewhere restricted. And anyone who tries to get in, you just take your, take their word for it that they are who they say they are. So you're not checking any kind of real ID. You're just saying, well, you know, who, who are you? Okay, yeah, that person's allowed to come in. Come on in. Like It's kind of like that. Or I guess a better example would be uh, if... Let me give you a better example I just thought of. Let's say there was somewhere that you could only come into if you're, uh, if you're from the state of New Jersey. And it's something they really need to keep secure. So only people, residents in New Jersey can come in. And let's say they have a full list of who's a resident in New Jersey. And I know you don't have to be a resident for this. It's just for this example. So instead of checking the computer to see who really is a resident in New Jersey, anyone who shows up with what appears to be a New Jersey ID, they just let them in without checking back with their own list of who really is a resident there. It's kind of like that. They apparently didn't do any checking on the server side. They just took the word of the browser. $25,000 isn't a very big fine here, but still. I wonder how many more of these. I still wonder, what was the purpose of what this guy was doing. Did he really do all this just so he could play low-limit casino games on the hardrockcasino.com or was was this some advantage player looking to see if he can play on these without any kind of uh, without having to travel to New Jersey? 
and trying out low limits to see if they'll catch him? I don't know. just sounds like a weird thing to put so much effort into for a very small amount of money. I still haven't heard of anyone being prosecuted for this. Which I had always wondered about. They, they, they go after the casinos that don't geolocate properly, but what about the people who evade it? Are they, are they not attempting to get them in any kind of trouble? Seems like not. Seems like more incentive to do it. They probably confiscate your money when this happens. But aside from that, I don't think anyone's being criminally charged. I haven't heard of that yet. Well, that is it. We're done. We are done. We will be on next week. Same day of the week. Same Wednesday show. However, the following week, we will not be on Wednesday the 29th. I can tell you that for certain. I have a lot to do on Wednesday the 29th. I am going to be traveling to Las Vegas for the World Series. I'm actually going to be uh, meeting up with some family there who happens to be there at the same time. And uh, then the next day is my first World Series event, May 30th at uh, 3 p.m. I'm playing the 08 event. So, I, I mean, I could technically squeeze in the radio show late at night, but I don't really feel like it. I, I kind of just want to relax before I get my start at the World Series. It just, uh, it just isn't something I really want to do. So, what we'll do that week is uh, the day after I bust the 08, whatever day that might be, I'm going to play the Big 50. And then I'll tell you when the next show will be. I would like to do an early World Series show. So I'll try to squeeze one in at some point. But I can't tell you when that is. It's even possible we'll miss the entire show that week. But I'll try to get it in when I can. But it will not be May 29th. We will have a May 22nd show for sure. And then... We'll have to wait and see what comes after that. I'll be, you'll have to check twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert, and I'll try to make a thread on the forum, on the Flying Stupidity forum, that'll stick at the top to talk about the schedule, the ongoing schedule of Poker Fraud Alert Radio during the World Series, which is always kind of all over the place while I squeeze it in between events. So just keep that in mind if you'll be looking for the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Trader Ruski, for being part of the show once again until the tea took effect. Good night. Shalom.